everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 321. I'm your host, Chris Zoner. Joined, as always, with my co-host, Devin Bix and Span. And Bix, we are doing it again, alone again this week. Our uh, prospective guest is under the weather, couldn't be on with us. So here we are again. But yes, folks, we will have a guest next week. So be uh, prepared for that at the end of the show. But it's yes, not Tommy it's Dreamer, is it? <laughs> No, it's not Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> and it's not that guy who, uh, I don't know if you saw this, the the guy that's a, uh, I guess, a baseball Twitter personality that was talking about charging $50 to $100 for his podcast guest work. Did you see all that? Oh, to appear on his show? I hadn't, I didn't see the tweets, but I saw people like Bill Hanstock and others uh, talking about it. No. And, but I, 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 will, <laughs> I will say this, that if we were going to pay a guest... Any money to be on the show? No, 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 no. It was the other way around. It was the guests had to pay him. That's what, well, that's what I'm saying. Well, no, it was the host had to pay him. No, the host had to pay him to be there, be a guest on their show. Oh, for no, he was a guest on their show. Okay. Yeah. If if there was me, any guests we'd pay him for it's Robert O'Connor, but that's a whole other story. And it wouldn't be fifty to hundred bucks. But well, we don't have QAnon anonymous money yet, as we've discussed. Maybe fi- maybe fifty dollars Canadian. Which I don't know what that would be in America these days, but anyway. All right, so yeah, insanity. All right, well, this is me and you this week, so let's go back in time to 1994 and discuss the week that was September 23rd through the 28th, not 22nd, because we did the 22nd uh, back in I think last year. Let me make sure and check correctly. Uh, yes, we did the 22nd on show 268. So, so yeah, so last year. So there's where we're picking up at. And, uh, so September 23rd, 28th, 1994. And let's begin with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. Wait, we're not starting with the Jews and how we should hear it for him? It's later in the show. Oh, okay. Gotta make them wait. We're gonna make them wait for that one. Although this is timestamp, so they'll, uh, find anyway. But, yes, let's start with World Championship Wrestling and a wild week going on there. Behind the scenes. In a stunning move, according to Dave Meltzer, WCW set the stage for the October 23rd Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, where Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair would be the main event, in a match to be a retirement versus retirement match of the two biggest name wrestlers of the current era, with most of the speculation sitting around Flair losing and retiring, at least temporarily. Although things building up to this tape starting September 20th, and there was talk of it during the week. It became apparent over the weekend that this was the direction the company was going with the final decisions apparently made prior to the live television taping on September 25th. Although Flair himself actually wasn't told until the next day. The scenario started on the live Sunday main event show. Yes, this is the era where we would have the occasional live episode of WC main event on Sunday evenings. Yes. Where, where Ric Flair wrestled Dave Sullivan. Earlier in the show, Sullivan, who was playing a semi-retarded childlike role, it is the 90s, got an autographed photo of Hulk Hogan, and in return, Hogan gave him the wrestling boots he wore when he defeated Andre the Giant at the Pontiac Silverdome. The match only lasted a one-sided 65 seconds, with Sherry Martell interfering for disqualification. After the match, Flair began working on Sullivan's legit bad knee, the one that was operating on after he blew it out of Spring Stampede in a dark match against Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. That's right, in WCW 1994. As is becoming a scenario on every live show, Hogan ran in to make the save and once again destroy Flair. 
the masked man, who from the brief glimpse appeared to be Arn Anderson once again, although it's supposed to be someone else when the storyline's concluded, tried to make a save, but Brutus Beefcake, referred to as Brother Brutai, in every reference by everyone, as apparently Titan knows the Brutus Beefcake name and will let him use it on the indie shows on WCW, cut him off. After showing off the air an interview segment tape for the Saturday Night Show on October the 1st, Flair did an interview where Sullivan came out. Flair told Sullivan he was turning his back, he counted the five, and he turned around and he wanted him gone. As Flair's back was turned, Hogan showed up, and the two argued, and it led to Flair agreeing to retire to, if he lost to Hogan and Havoc, and also to a tag match on the next live main event show on October the 9th, where Hogan and Dave Sullivan would team up against Flair and a mystery partner. Now, news that this match would be a career versus career match in a tip to draw the company's biggest revenue pay-per-view ever which it almost surely will do, and probably would have done anyway because of the presence of Muhammad Ali. Not so much Ali as a ticket seller, but that Ali's presence combined with Hogan's retirement stiff would garner a ton of mainstream publicity, if handled right, was released by the company on September 26. The belief from those at the top and who they would be is a question mark. Since his decision-making process didn't include Flair, who is the booker, and does supposed to be in charge of those things, was that the Flair-Hogan angle was stale. And the Hogan retirement stipulation was going to mean anything as far as pay-per-view buys because nobody believed Hogan was going to lose. You know what would have changed that? What's that? If Flair won the title back at the Clash like he was supposed to. <laughs> yes, but we all know why that didn't happen. Although, on the other hand, they shouldn't have hot-shotted the belt like that. <laughs> no, they shouldn't have. But again, we all know why all this happened. <laughs> that doesn't work for me, brother. That's right. Although there are several in the company who may have wanted to flare out of the ring, there are only really only two or three names who had the power to actually do so, although without anything but speculation as to which one of them was the one. It would be fair to try and answer the question that everyone seems to be asking. They keep booing me against him, brother. That's right. This added stipulation was made despite the fact Detroit show had gotten onto a monster advanced sale. The biggest in years for a WCW show. Oh, oh, well, it's not like WCW has a local promoter with a history of success of promoting Hulk Hogan in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, making a career versus career would put the finish in at least a little bit of doubt to the average fan, which it would, but also removes Flair from all current plans and changes all house shows booked after October 23rd. The lineups hadn't been made public, but it put together. So Flair was on top everywhere against Sting, except in the few houses that Hogan was scheduled to work where Flair would work with Hogan. The only houses Flair and Hogan will work are Salt Lake City, Oakland, and Anaheim. Uh, the swing there from the 14th through the 16th of October. The decision was a recent one, probably finalized over the weekend. The several sources indicate plans already made for a finish where the stipulation is adhered to, at least for the short term, and that most likely it will be Vader replacing Flair on all house shows. Flair was originally scheduled for that to take place after October 23rd, including the major arena Thanksgiving and Christmas weekend shows. Ad Slicks have been produced just a few days earlier for Starcade on December 27th in Nashville, and the city is now said to be official but not definite, whatever that means. Listing both Hogan versus Vader for the WCW title and Flair in the semifinal on a triple main event show. But Flair won't be on the show, which shows the decision made to, to be a recent one, and now something planned out from the start. In addition, with Flair as the booker, a position he was asked to keep after this goes down, the company felt as long as Ric Flair was an active wrestler, he'd never make himself a mid-card wrestler and would always keep himself in the top two matches on the cards. This meant he'd have to be programmed with Hogan and staying even longer since they're going to be the two top babyfaces. Matches whomever were making decisions felt were no longer marketable with all the clean jobs Flair's done of late. 
in addition, was the belief that Flair's presence stands in the way of Hogan being universally accepted as a babyface, particularly in the old Mid-Atlantic Territory, after the reaction in Roanoke, where when Hogan appeared on the screen, he was booed out of the building to the point the promotion had to turn off the crowd noise. That's Fall Brawl. As the story goes, decisions made by the company and told to Flair on the 26, who may have either given, been given a contract extension as compensation or renegotiating the contract extension in exchange for his cooperation. And was told as a company employee, he was expected to follow the proposed directions. Flair stated several times that when the time comes for him to lose a retirement match or super retire, that he wouldn't come back, and that would be it. Hardy, har, har, har. Flair was given a scenario for an eventual return in around one year when Hogan would be double teamed by two monster heels and asked Flair to come out of retirement to be his partner for tag matches. Oh. However, said Flair turned down that scenario. I don't blame him. It's believed that Hogan wants to go back to the booking situation he's most familiar with and believes he works most successful, successful with, and that's bringing in large monster heels for him to be fed. Flair was offered a scenario to stay as a manager, which he declined. It's believed Sherry Martell be moved to join up with Steve Austin, who began a character makeover and receive his long-awaited push to the top. Although others are saying that Austin will at best tread water when it comes to his position because of plans for a series of monsters to occupy, occupy the top slots. In other words, that does not work for me, brother. No. Under normal wrestling circumstances, given that Flair has done clean jobs across the board already for Hogan, failed to beat him at the Clash in the most opportune situation, then was destroyed against an open-and-match wrestler, Sullivan, one would normally come to the conclusion that Flair would somehow win due to a third-party screw in Hogan, who would come back in some form under, usually under a mask or one of those now-famous Nick Botwinkle convoluted explanations. Similar to Conan last year in AAA at the first Triple Mania, the general belief on promised stipulation matches that the face wins, the stipulation has to be adhered to, or it puts heat on the promotion. But the heel wins, and there could be a loophole because the fans really don't want to see the face get stipulated on. The general belief has had its well-publicized loopholes when it's been done according to particular rules. But it didn't work because audience have changed. The monkey wrench and all that, as for all that to occur, it would have to require Hogan, even being screwed, to put Flair over and give up the title, something he's thus far never agreed to do. It's possible that all this is an elaborate work on everyone in the company and in wrestling for Hogan through the Midnight Rider angle, but Dave considers that possibility of that to be remote at best. All right. So basically, Hulk Hogan wants Ric Flair out of the ring. He wants his old school WWF uh, philosophy, pretty much. Um, he wants Flair to remain as the booker to handle everything else below him because Hulk Hogan has creative control, so it doesn't matter to him. Flair, Flair is not you know involved with his stories. So I mean, th that's basically what this is in a nutshell. Um, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, you didn't include it here, but I mean, we can address it in passing. The revived monthly version of Matt Watch from Steve Beverly reported that Bischoff was basically telling everyone that the show needed to do a 2% buy rate, which was grossly out of whack with reality and making them and making like everyone work insane overtime to try to make it a reality. But they already had the house, though. I mean, their 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 sell their ticket sales are great. Yeah, they have momentum, but that's in Breslov. That's not the rest of the company. Yeah, but you know the pie rate. I mean, I think that that's a, a straw man that Bischoff was probably using, though, to explain the situation. You mean the fact that they realized they burned out the feud really fast and 
needed to get Hogan with someone else in the meantime? Well, they, I mean, yeah, I mean, they totally screwed it up. Either they should have had Flair win the title at the the Clash. Which would not have been the best idea in the first place, like we said. Or just not even do that match at the Clash. It's weird how they did such a quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have, they didn't have to do that. You know, why, why not do some type of tag or something like that? You know, it's a fucking clash of champions. I Wasn't mean, that didn't the need original to, plan, actually? Yeah, I think so. I mean, didn't need to do that. So, I mean, you could have done Hogan and Sting versus Flair and Austin. You know, something like that. You know, I mean, that could have been done and it'd been great. And here, and here's poor Austin, you know. Well, and and uh, butterfly effect steamboat probably doesn't have a career-ending injury. Yeah, here's poor Austin. You know, he's he just lost his U.S. title to Duggan in that shitty way he lost it, as we talked about on that previous between the sheets last year. And now he, I mean, they're they're talking about finally now giving him that push to the top, putting Sherry with him, you know, give putting that rocket on his back. No, not going to happen. Also interesting about that, the Sherry thing is hinted at more on ECW television than it is on WCW television. Yeah. Because in storyline, who does Douglas call to get Steve Austin as his partner for the match Austin now shows when he gets hurt or whatever? Sherry. Sherry. Mm-hmm. But Sherry was also in ECW, so that, that makes sense in, in multiple ways. It does, it does, it does. But but but, but the thing is, is that Austin doesn't necessarily have to be programmed by Hogan. Austin and Sting had never had a feud. Never. And at they this, wrestled, they but never wrestled, had a feud. And they haven't even really, like, their best TV match hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, so they, they never had a feud. So put Austin and Sting together. You know, Sting is also just so backburnered in general, though. Yeah, but I mean that's what I'm saying though. But the, that that gives him a work rate feud with Austin instead of the feud that he was going to have with fucking Avalanche. Put fucking damn Duggan in with an Avalanche or some shit like that. You know, I mean, the, well, he doesn't end up. St- well, Sting does the feud with Avalanche, yeah. But which that's is what also, I'm saying, yeah. Which is also kind of interesting with hindsight that Hogan brings in a guy who drew he drew big with four years earlier. And they have tag matches, but they don't have a singles program. Never. And, and, and I mean, SummerSlam 90, I mean, that's four years previous, so you could always bring that back. Yes. It's been four years. They outdrew WrestleMania on pay-per-view that year with that angle. Yeah, I mean, so you could bring that back. It had, it had some miles on it. They kind of ended it abruptly. You know, in a, in a way. Yeah. So you know, they did follow ups on house shows, but yeah, but the, yeah, for but TV I mean, purposes, it just kind of fizzled. Yeah. So you could bring that back again. Have have Austin and Sting do their thing. You know, do, uh, Hogan and and Avalanche. Have fucking uh, have Vader and Duggan do their thing, which they eventually did anyway. So, I mean, you got stuff to do. You got people there. You know, I mean, you got people to maneuver around. Dustin's there, you can maneuver him around into something. I mean, there's things you can do. To, and, and Austin definitely, desperately needed to be elevated. It was yeah. past time. But with Hogan there, it just wasn't going to happen. Think about it. 
Yeah. Think about this. All right, think about this. And you know, Austin, you know, the, in the LDC in the ECW promo where he's uh, Stevester. What's the thing he talks about in that promo that people don't really talk about enough? Is guys with blonde with the blonde hair. When when did think in Hogan's run on top in both WWF and in well by WWF at this point I mean just been in WCW. How many guys was he working against over those years that had blonde hair? Are we counting Flair? I mean Flair, I mean, Flair, but how many guys was he regularly working against that had blonde hair? Off the top of my head, Flair and Butch Reed, of all people. Dino Bravo, I guess, in the in proxy. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, ho, ho, uh, that's something that Hogan and how many other baby faces, top-ish baby faces, had blonde hair in WF. Well, even in general, a lot of the time, I mean, you had some, you know, you had the fabs. It depended on where you were, but you got to remember, like for decades, blonde hair was a heel thing because. Going back decades, for some reason, I don't claim to understand it. People widely thought that it was "quote unquote" gay. I mean, yeah, but the eighties changed all that. I mean, eighties changed all. Look at all the blonde hair babe faces in all the you know, other places in in the in wrestling. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, absolutely. But Warrior lightened his hair up some. It wasn't blonde, but he lightened it up. Carrie did uh, too. Yeah, but again, it's like you know, Steve talks about that. Got you know, got uh, blonde hair and stuff like that, and you know, it just it struck me then, and it reminded me now. There was probably something to that that Hogan didn't want guys with blonde hair as his competition, either against or on the same side. That seems like something that that seems like something that he would be conscientious about for some fucking reason. But I mean, but yeah, but Hogan, I mean, Hogan wanted to do Hogan things. That I mean, that's what it come down to. And also was going to get screwed. Flair was going to get screwed, which is funny because Flair is the fucking guy that got him, that basically got him in the company. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's silly. It, the whole thing was fucking silly. Which also, and by was, way, we don't say this enough. What an ungrateful prick. Well, yeah. That's Hogan. Flair. That's what he I mean, does. Bischoff got him the deal. Gave him the deal. But, I mean, it's not just Flair. It was Ian Breslov, too. But, like, Flair was personally trying to pull strings with him to have him come in. Because, both because he felt it would be good for the company. And because. It would be good Flair's for his paycheck. This. Well, that, <laughs> that, too. But Flair's been open. Well, guarantees. But. Flair's yeah. about this too. He loved working with Hogan. He loved that he could just have an easy patterned match with him. Yeah, Hogan worked to his strengths at that time of of, of his comfort zone. Flair wouldn't be the heel bump guy. I mean, the problem is, go ahead. Yeah, I was say the problem is in this era of Ric Flair's life, and basically, basically, it's, and it started basically when he came back to WWE '93. He was never going to get booed again. Well, no. In WCW strongholds, that was never going to happen. Never, no matter what he did, and that's the problem here with Hogan. Hogan, were you know that Roanoke thing and the other places that Hogan would go to, just getting killed. Yep. Only just the beginning of that too, but 
Yeah, it seems like it, it seems like you just it's just too much. I mean, the you didn't need to do this and draw it out. Why not have this a star Your big pay per view of the year. What is this big rush with all this? Yeah, it's that, why are we? You know why? Because Hogan wants to work fucking the monsters. Yep, that's all it is. He wants to be in his comfort level. And here's the thing with Hogan: he's under the contract. Well, he is under contract, but oh, well, not long term. He's on a per, he was on his per dates deal. No, it wasn't per date. It was that there was a specific number of dates, but it was well, like a six month deal. Same right? thing. Yeah, same basic thing. So. Right, they don't know that they have them beyond like January. No, no, they don't, and they're and they're doing all this sacrificing to the to the company to appease this jackass. It's it, also, I mean, it's, they, it's also so interesting that the most insecure period of his career is the one where he had the most cemented power. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Oh, this era of WCW. Oh. It pain it pained me to be a fan of WCW, you know, being you know in the home territory and watching all this shit go down. It was sad. I it really was. I mean, I remember Dash at the Beach when Hogan goes to celebrate in the locker room, and all of a sudden, there's Duggan, there's Brian Blair. Who's anyone with the company? Well, and never came in, but still. And was there anyone else that wasn't on the roster? Brutus. Brutus, yeah. Brutus had not been on TV yet, I don't think, had he? Not really. I don't think he was at the press conference or anything. So, so yeah, I think that's Brutus's first appearance, too. And it's like, it went from being, like, at that moment, when he walks into that locker room and you see those guys there, it went from being kind of a fun, exciting thing to have him in WCW to... Oh no! No, I mean, Sting. I think Sting was there. No, I was just talking about people who weren't on the roster. I know, but uh, but but Sting. I think Sting was there. I don't remember Steamboat or Dustin and those guys were there. You know, it's just like, wow. Here we go. Right, he's not even. You're, he's not even willing to be friends on camera with the WCW baby phases. Was he? When, do you ever remember him doing that? Other than Sting. Sting was the only one. The legacy WCW baby faces? No. Exactly. Sting was the only fucking one. The only one. And the reason he did that is so so he could have Sting play second. uh, Yeah, yeah, well, not just that, but to have Sting's rub. And also, he. To Sting give him the the, the approval to the fans that I'm, you know, I'm cool with Hulk. We can. And you can cheer. We're red and yellow and. Yeah, because I mean, who do, who does Hogan pal around with? Sting, Savage when he comes in, not a WCW guy, Doug and Duggan, and stuff like that. Brutus, yeah. And then once the Nasty Boys turn babyface, I mean, same thing. They're more they're WWF guys basically, yeah, by stature. So it's the place they've spent the most amount of time by that point. Yeah. It, yeah, that's really something to think about. I don't think Hulk Hogan ever worked with a WCW legacy babyface for the first... Other than Sting. For his first whole run as a babyface. Yes, he never did. Okay, so obviously... Never he doesn't one. have time. He doesn't have much time, but no Steamboat. Um, no Steamboat. No Dustin. No Dustin. 
What else is around? Uh, well, I mean, the main guys are Steamboat, Dustin, Johnny B. Bad, Cactus. Uh, Cactus, but he's turning about to leave. No, but he he only tar- he turns like a few weeks before he leaves, though. Yeah, but he's about to leave. We're, we're getting into it. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of road. That's the thing. There's also not a lot of heavy baby face at this time either. Nasty no. boys, nasty boys turn at this time, but they're with him. Yeah. They're a ho- they're hoping guys. Um, a Duggan, of course, like we just said, a Duggan guy. Yeah, the WC Bayface roster. I mean, you, you got the Armstrongs, but <laughs> you know, I mean, God love them, but they are what they are at that time. All right, I'm 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 looking at the roster here. Okay, well, Dave Sullivan, but Dave Sullivan is not. He, he's a Hogan guy. All right, so um, got Alex Wright. He's brand new. Bagwell and the Patriots, Stars and Stripes. That seemed like an easy thing that Hogan could be involved with. Nope. Oh, like he wouldn't be threatened by Delt Wilkes. Guardian Angel, a guy he has a past with. He doesn't. He doesn't have anything with him. You know? Nope. They don't interact until after Bubba turns and they wrestle on the first Nitro. Pretty much, yeah. Pillman. Pillman's there. Yep. Nothing. So, it just... Hogan, Hogan's Hogan. He's, he, 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 he was one of his click. In every way. What a fucking ass. I, I should say, by the way, though, since I mentioned the Sting, Red and Yellow stuff, we talked about the Savage thing before. Sometimes we do forget to r- mention, though, like, the Savage thing is probably more Slim Jim than Hogan. Because there was black in there, too. Yeah. It's just coincidence. You know, I happened to work out that way. But, anyway. Well, Savage was in WF. He didn't wear red and yellow like that. And Slim Jim adds big. No, but he brought over a whole Slim Jim campaign with him to WCW. I know. And that was what kind of cemented him as the guy. Now, he did wear red and yellow during the Monster Maniac or whatever they were called. Him, the Ultimaniacs or whatever. He Ultimate did wear Maniacs, yes. Yeah. All right. So let's go to Matt Watch. The, that's right. Matt Watch, 1994. According to figures released in the September 26th issue of Variety, mid-September ratings for the World Wrestling Federation Network were 5.8, while WWE's Wrestling Network stood at 4.9. As far as individual shows, the top rate among the big two companies was WWE Superstars at 1.6. That's less than half the rating of Superstars during a similar period covered in broadcast and magazine in the fall of 1988. WWE's flagship worldwide was barely hovering at a 1.0, Indicative of its weak status in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Boston, and the Bay Area markets. The place in perspective, the significance of the figures, consider the following. One, the syndication figures for both organizations are consolidated totals to their three syndicated programs, plus approximately 62% of the combined ratings for their cable offerings. Two, syndicated pro- programs of any kind are expected to draw at least three rating and be seen in TV markets covering 70% of the nation's viewers in order to attract national advertisers. And three, wrestling is on at least a limited hit list, quote-unquote, of shows advertisers steer clear of because of violence or controversy and content. And then four, both Titan and Turner took substantial hits at both market losses in time period in September and October because of ratings erosion, meaning in major cities. Real quick, there you go. There it is being in black and white exactly what the grift was with wrestling's indication ratings. Combine the syndication plus about 62% of the combined cable ratings. And one thing he didn't mention here, 
five. I'll add five. Uh, Fox is now with the NFL. So these stations that would carry wrestling on Sundays at noon or whatever, uh, no longer carry wrestling. They carried the Fox pregame show. And, and then if they and if they carry wrestling in the afternoons, they got NFL football. So, bam. And then the baseball was the following season? Uh, no, the, the baseball was... Um, no, baseball on Fox wasn't until 96. Are you sure? Because the, ba- sure the, baseball, the, the baseball network started in 94. That's uh, NBC and ABC, where they shared... Fox didn't have baseball until 96, if I'm not no, mistaken. No, November 95. Okay, yeah, so it was all NFL. Then. So wait a second. What was causing, like, in New York, superstars to get bumped around and stuff? Well, wait, was Fox carrying Sunday games or Saturday games or both? Well, um, on what, baseball? No, uh, NFL. There was no NFL on Saturdays. I mean, except that's for, like, thinking, the last two weeks of the year. That's what I was trying so to figure out, because fun. the thing I remember is... I mean, Challenge obviously got hit too, which was on Sundays here. But I remember Superstars getting bumped around a lot in that last year, year or so. I guess two years. Um, what channel was on it on? Saturday on channel on Fox Five. Like it got well, moved I mean, to. I don't know. I say eventually it got moved to like four or five o'clock. This is, and this is in '94. And with there being preemptions, yeah. I mean, it was '94 into '95, I believe. Yeah. Well, it wasn't because of baseball. Okay. Because I said Fox didn't do that till '96, because yeah, NBC and ABC shared uh, the baseball network yes. now, in that era. As far as hit lists, what these are formerly known as, especially now, is DNA list, do not advertise list. If that term sounds familiar to you. It's probably because of the whole thing where a bunch of advertisers put Impact on their Destination America DNA list several years ago. Yeah. All right, at their peaks, they have claimed more than 260 stations in the United States and Canada, WCW more than 190, though many of those were multiple stations in the same market. While complete market for this for Titan programs is not available for the current season, and magazine forecasts for the WF to fall into the 160 to 170 range, with WCW down to the 125, 130, dropping perilously close to the 70% floor range to sell adequate national advertising. Sources close to WF, which likely publicly dispute this claim, contend the Titan sales force dropped its prime upfront rate for a 30-second ad to $25,000 this year, down from the high thirty-three dollars to $35,000 range. WCW, which until the arrival Hulk Hogan historically has attracted far fewer children and teens, the strongest ad attraction for Titan, is reportedly selling in the fourteen dollars to $17,000 range. Both companies have also reportedly offered make good ads during the summer for underdelivery of projected audiences during the 1993-94 season. Though Turner Program Services has been much more in debt to sponsors. In an effort to beef up wrestling sales, Turner produced full-page color ads in the key television trade magazines, touting the arrival of Hulk Hogan and the name recognition he brings to WCW. The campaigns had little success in boosting syndication markets or ratings. No one should have expected it, says Dr. Steve Padgett, professor of broadcasting at Troy State University in Alabama, who follows the ratings progress. Those were ego ads as much as anything. Hogan's rarely even on the syndicated shows. Except in short tape interviews, that's hardly enough to merit a general manager to take a second look at their shows. Padgett says the World Wrestling Federation's new generation is having also little impact. These companies need more than slogans to enliven the product with both the public and with advertisers, says Padgett. 
When Turner first began selling its wrestling shows to add incentives for stations to buy, the company required stations interested in Turner's colorized movie packages to take one hour of wrestling. The strategy resulted in approximately 30 new stations for WCW wrestling. During recent months, the Turner sales force was attempting to force a number of stations license for the company's CNN news source, Daily News Feed, to take an hour of wrestling in order to keep the feed. The ploy was not successful. A few stations which agreed consigned WCW product to overnight hours their audiences are virtually minuscule. So here you go. Well over a year before Vince starts crying about this in the Billionaire Ted skits and his letters and stuff. Here's Steve reporting this. There you go. And if WCW is going to be pimping Hogan in their roster to the syndicators, have him on the syndicated shows! Especially that you're taping them in Central Florida in huge batches close together. Like, is he it, doesn't necessarily have to wrestle because he never he never really wrestled much on WS syndicated shows. Right, but at least have him there. Have him teach a bunch of promos in front of the crowd. Yeah. Yes. Or have him even have him do run-ins or do, do or do something. Be ringside. Do something. Now they do have, have him be there every so often. They do have an end up uh, wrestling. I think it's February sweeps on Worldwide, though, right? He, well, he ninety-five. He does wrestle a few times on That's Worldwide. What I'm about, yeah. Yeah, because he did the him and Savage's Dos Diablos deal, and you know Dos Hombres, whatever. Yeah, Dos Hombres. I mean, they, they, they do. They, Hogan does do something. I think it was Dos Diablos. Dos Hombres was a uh, steamboat and duck. Same, same general thing, though. Yes. But but yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically a hold. So just have him be there. Not you don't have to have him every week. I mean. It, Every other week, every two weeks, whatever. Let let the people know that you know Hogan could be on TV. But anyway, in the past, wrestling analysts have been quick to cast ratings to clients as cyclical. However, little evidence now suggests it exists to suggest a strong revival of quality stations at time periods for national wrestling programs. Only the opposite. Several key reasons have developed in addition to the gradual erosion of fan interest for the meltdown. One. In the last five years, substantial numbers of stations which have carried major match shows have gained new younger general managers who do not see wrestling as a key to their difficult time periods. Some have flatly turned thumbs down on wrestling and forced the shows to weak alternative stations. Two, in addition, since the rapid resurgence of wrestling as a national ending in 1984, the emergence of Fox as a major network player has reduced the number of available time slots on the former independent stations. In addition, the new Warner Brothers and United Paramount Networks, which launch early next year, will further reduce those availabilities. And there's that, too. Three, further the explosion of high-budget action-adventure hours of syndication, which draw larger audiences to stronger demographics in wrestling, have eroded once-priced time periods. The number of, numbers of those programs are only expected to increase in coming seasons. The Action Pack! Remember that? What a, what a uh, fun time that was. Yeah, this is when we start getting Hercules and Xena and everything, yeah. That's right, from the action pack. And then uh, four, Saturday morning has become vulnerable in key stations because it provides government pressure for more child-friendly programs, of which wrestling does not qualify. Newer managers would rather schedule Bill Nye the Science Guy over Bret Hart if it means keep Washington mandates off their back. And five, weekend late-night time periods have become so competitive that wrestling rarely ever wins in the ratings head-to-head program matchups even in its once-assured safe haven. Late night could be even the next perilous slot for wrestling with more 2 to 3 a.m. slots in the Norman big cities. 
Six, the probability of infomercials for stations that made wrestling a non-viable entity on weekends in many markets, unless the two big companies compensate stations for carrying their shows. That and terrible ratings. It's largely what first WCW have a Saturday morning slot in Los Angeles. The term people may pay compensation to stations in L.A., New York, San Francisco, and Boston, and may well be forced to buy the privilege on staying on existing stations in smaller markets if rating levels do not increase. That one is as important as any of them. We've talked about this before on the show. The rise of the infomercials. That that did as much of killing wrestling on Saturday morning television as anything. Yep. Because you don't have the local territorial connection that could have saved it or anything. That's a, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You're not there every week. You're not putting on a show from a TV studio in that town. That, so why, why, should we, why should we carry your show if you come here maybe once a month, if we're lucky? You know? We can put this pay programming on. It gets as good of ratings as basically you do. And we're getting paid. I mean, they're paying us. So, exactly. What wrestling faces aren't necessarily imminent, but within the next two years, if the audiences remain stagnant or continue to decline, the companies may be forced to stop production on one or more of their syndicated shows. <laughs> Need Steve hit that round the head. In earlier years, the argument has been B and C shows are necessary to boost the total gross rate for the map packages. However, the spotlight main event shows have long been on life support, and wrestling challenge and WCW Pro are often on far fewer stations than in their heyday. A primary reason why little of the note ever happens on the B show and the pro show now is on TBS for it does its syndication. Hardly an attractive sales pitch for local station managers take it. Yes, that's right. Pro was airing on TBS before it was airing in syndication. Tell me, about yeah, but The fact that it's airing on both anyway, but also... The syndicated main event was usually more or less the same show as TBS, right? With like an extra second. I never saw it, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> There's very it was never syndicated there. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. So wait a second. You're trying to offer three different syndicated hours, and two of them are basically the same show that airs on TBS first. Mm-hmm. WCW, everybody. Mm-hmm. The expense of producing the shows for a skeleton station lineup would be virtual self-defeating. WCW maybe will be tightening this pay-per-view and clash gains, so the impor importation of Hogan has done nothing for their syndicated ratings. Part of a potential Hogan contract extension could include a clause requiring more in-ring appearances on the worldwide show, perhaps once a quarter. However, Hogan has not been inclined to work matches on syndicated television since 1987. Yeah, I, the Bob Wharton match would be the last one, right? Until the until the worldwide stuff in '95, I think. Yes. If you really get down to it, says Paget, the best thing in the long run would be for wrestling to go away from syndicated television for a couple of years and come back in a new format, which would be fresh for station managers to consider. They can't keep going in the direction of the last two years. In particular, they've been going and it's been a miraculous revival this time. Well, they're pretty much off syndicated completely. Rather than worldwide, it's the only one that, that, that stayed. To the end. To the very end. Yeah, we to the very the end. The last Nitro. Yeah. Alright, so what are your thoughts on all this? Hmm. They especially when you consider that this is a focus of Bischoff's, in at least in theory, 
it sounds like he needs a little bit of a kick in the ass. And I don't know what the reason was, but it seems like he learns from this. I'm curious if he's reading the new Matt Watch. Because, you know, I'm guessing it's the next Orlando tapings where Hogan starts working matches. Or the tapings after that. I'm pretty sure Bishop probably did read Matt Watch. It would seem like something that he would be interested in because it's television. Yes. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Well, Superstars is off syndicated television for in ni- Fall 96. 96. Challenge is gone in Fall 95. Well, yes and no. Spotlight is gone in Fall 95, and Challenge basically becomes new Spotlight. Yeah, but who had Spotlight? <laughs> and then very few you know, people but- had new Challenge, too, right? Yeah, so... And, um... But they came to the market a few months later, though, with Shotgun. But the thing was, Vince didn't want to pay for syndication anymore. He would, he was still willing to do it. He just didn't want to pay. Yeah, the only yeah, it was Shotgun. I forgot about Shotgun. Shotgun, then of course, uh, which returned to to uh, Jackson uh, Velocity. I mean, they're yeah, all syndication. Jackson Metal. Jackson Metal, and then Velocity. Of course, no, Velocity later on, was, Velocity was cable. Velocity was syndicated, brother. No, it wasn't. Velocity was cable the whole time. Are you sure? Yes. Well, whatever. I mean, but Jack the Metal, that was still, that was syndicated to the early 2000s. Yes, and then they got rid of doing original syndicated shows, and it became uh, Afterburn and Bottom Line. Yes. Which still exists so, in some form in, like, the Middle East. So, yeah, the, uh, they lasted a while, some of them did, but not what it was. Absolutely. All right, back to the uh, wrestling side of things here. There's a strong chance Terry Funk's gone. As he sent a fax to the company on September 26th, saying he could continue to work the way things were going in the same money deal, which was assumed to be him quitting since he missed television that night, the 25th, and is expected to be off all house shows and pay-per-views unless something changes later this week. I'm not the only one no. who expected it to say that the fax said his horse was sick, right? <laughs> no word on who his replacement would be. Funk could just sign a lucrative deal with Victor Quinones of IWA in Japan. So there you go. He signed a lucrative deal with Mr. Asano. Yeah, but still. And Funk was entertaining. as Remember the stud stable and all that stuff. So, yeah. Hated seeing him go. But, hey. It is what it is. All right. um, And then they do the thing where he's replaced it as... uh, uh, Scheduled house show bookings by Amarillo Slim, Eric Watts in a mask and like chaps and vest. And then if you're gonna replace Terry Funk anywhere, well then Dick Slater comes in, of course. Dick Slater. <laughs> All right, there's a strong. I already read it. The latest on Rick Steamboat is this: Steamboat was injured at Clash against Austin, but continued to work the house shows for one week. He then took a few weeks off before Fall Brawl, and they hoped he'd be ready for the show, but it was touch and go all along. They learned two days before the show that Steamboat wasn't going to work. It'll be out of action probably until January, maybe with Logger. The company's justification for not letting fans know is they really don't know his status until two days before the show. But even advertising someone who was 50-50 shouldn't have been done without at least letting the fans know there's a good chance he won't be appearing. Uh, yes, that would have been. But uh, yeah, I'd say that uh, Steamboat was out of action a little bit longer. Let's try 15 years. <laughs> So, also, I'm still unclear on whether or not he got hurt at the Clash or one of the house shows the following week. Well, 
He got hurt. That's all that mattered. Isn't, sadly. The, isn't there also the story that there was like a house show in Anaheim and that's where he got hurt? That's one story, but who knows? All right. So let's go to the torch for our television reviews. Saturday night on 24th, saw Jimmy Bad win a squash match. Tony Schiavone said the confetti from the Bad Blast would be collector's items because it was Bad's first TV title defense. In the post-match interview, Bad enthusiastically talked about winning the TV title and facing Honky Tonk Man in the future. Well, I'm glad somebody's looking forward to that. Hacksaw Duggan won a squash. Schiavone explained how Duggan won the U.S. title. In the post-match interview, Duggan more or less reintroduced his character to describe himself as the blue-collar champion. Good for him. Alex Wright beat the gambler. Kevin Sullivan showed displeasure with Dave Sullivan's obsession with Hulk Hogan and slapped him. Steve Austin won a squash during which Shivani said Austin claims he slipped on a banana peel and you lose the U.S. title. In a post-match interview, Austin accused Steamboat of not really being injured. Gene Oakland plugged his 900 segment saying he would respond to that journalist from Pittsburgh, Mark Madden, on his 900 line. Fix. I'm not sure what this is about, do you? We talked about this on the show, didn't we, last year? The issues that they had going on? But you see, of all of all, you and your memory, I thought would would have this like a steel trap. Okerlin, okay, let me, well, okay, he's not writing for the Torch anymore, so it would have to be either on the Hotline or in the Post Gazette, right? It'd be the Hotline. I do remember that. Wait, well, Matt, because Madden is on the Hotline now, right? Yes. Okay. I I don't remember. Hmm. Do you want me to? So, what what show is it that I need to pull up the notes for? I'm looking at it right now as I'm going down the list. Uh, okay. This is what we read last year from The Torch. What what show w- number is this? This is 268. WCW Hotline personalities Mike Tanay and Mark Madden draw higher 900 number call counsel on the hotline than everyone else, including Oakland, with his heavy false advertising every become a Saturday show. The Madden-Oakland 900 line war continued with Oakland dripping on Madden every chance he gets after Madden called Oakland on his false advertising on 900 line topics. Apparently, Oakland's not getting what he wants, which is for Madden to be censored or fired from his forced criticisms. Hmm. So there you go. All right. Um, Star of the Strikes won a squash during which the Blacktop Bully, a.k.a. Repo Man, was kicked out of the, by security for being a disruptive fan. What a gimmick. Star of the Stripes hyped their tag title match from the live man event next day afterwards. Honky Tonk won a squash. Scenes at the Detroit press conference aired, the one we talked about last year. Flair said, I'll haunt Hogan the rest of my life if he wins at Havoc. Oakland interviewed Flair and Sherry with his bogus title belt. Dave Sullivan interrupted and said, Hulk Hogan's a real world champion. Flair offered the rest of Dave. Dave accepted. Kevin Sullivan came out and told Dave to change his mind. Flair told Dave he had 30 minutes to change his mind. Flip aired a Ming attacking Brian Knobs in a locker room at the War Games. Arn Anderson won a squash. Colonel Parker and his men were interviewed afterwards. Flair just Steen versus Vader. Garden Angel then beat Vader by DQ when Harley Race interfered with the top rope headbutt. Vader moonsaulted Angel after the match. Flair closed the show with a promo facing Dave Sullivan. Strong points overall. Strong show. Press conference was footage was classy. Flair's interviews were great. Most of their interviews were really good. And the Hyper Live main event was good. Weak points. Fall Brawl was almost a non-fact. There's so those who ordered it might have felt they got they paid to see something inconsequential. Worst of all, Vader's triangle match victory wasn't even mentioned. Yeah, when you talk about lanes up pay-per-views in that era, Fall Brawl 94, you know it has to, the war games and all that great stuff with Dusty, is as lame duck as it gets because it, Hogan's not there. Flair, Flair doesn't wrestle, Hogan's not there. It's just like, 
Eh. Also, Vader you know, doesn't get the title shot he earns for five months. No. <laughs> so it's like, eh. You know? Yeah. But there is war games, so... Yes, with uh, Terry Fung nearly breaking his neck. Mm-hmm. So way like the Saturday Night main event, well, according to the torch here, saw Hogan's Up Man win a squash. Hogan did a live interview saying the match at Halloween Havoc is the most important match of his career. And Hogan presented Dave with the boots he says he wore when he beat Andre the Giant. And Dave had Hogan give him his autograph. Star and the Stripes beat pretty wonderful to win the world tag titles when Patriots shoulder tackle Roma for the pinfall. And then Flair and Dave Sullivan. Flair attacked Dave from behind, starting to match. Flair covered Dave's head with a row. Sherry joined in the attack. And, well, let's just go to the clip, shall we? Well, we're starting from the beginning because it's a short match. Yes, very short. Wait, this is, is this a copy I taped off TV? Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest, our feature confrontation. Introducing first is from Daytona Beach, Florida. Sometimes you gotta fight fire with fire, Bishop. He asked for it, the big dummy, and he's gonna get it. How could Ric Flair steal such an opportunity? I'll tell you how he can. Like Dave Sullivan. I don't even want to hear your excuses for this man. He is despicable. You're right. He's the dirtiest player in the game. And he hasn't lied about it. He told you he is, and he is. Hogan's been Flair 
you've been triple teamed. This isn't fair. You should suspend Hogan right now, strip him of the title, and send him back to where he came from. You should see that Hogan come out of He goes after Flair. Flair and Sherry Bale, and then Brother Budai. He's not the winner. He's not the winner. They should hang together. And Kevin Sullivan making his way to the ring. This isn't over yet. Don't leave your sense. They too do not leave. Who knows what's going to happen now? He's telling his brother to come out here on the floor. He wants him out here now. Sullivan, Kevin is beside himself. Just like I'm going to tear Ric Flair apart. Someday, your brother's going to tear you in half. All right, that's it, folks. We're all out of time. So long from Atlanta and the main event. Wow. When it comes to the blonde-haired guys, Dave Sullivan doesn't count. But anyway, <laughs> um, you watch that and you go, man. Why did they tape on Sunday nights more? Wasn't that crowd on fire for all that? <laughs> well, they're not sitting through a long, particularly long taping either, if I remember right. Yeah, well, so it, well, this was the first taping. So they taped two uh, two weeks of main event, but that was a hot ass crowd, and, also, and Hogan came out there going crazy. When we've seen Hogan shoot angles on center stage, even on on the pre tape shows, they do seem very up for him. Yeah, because it's Hulk Hogan in a center stage. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a it's a place you wouldn't expect Hulk Hogan to be appearing at. You mean because but, there were so many Blizzak people, brother? <laughs> <laughs> Not really as that, but as far as the size of the venue, Hulk Hogan only he only works the big houses, brother. And those were free tickets, so when nobody paying to get in, so. Yeah, I'm sure, but, I'm sure uh, he made some lovely comments about the Center Stage Theater fans and the, and the neighborhood that the venue was in. I will say this about the Hogan stuff in this era. Hogan working against Kevin Sullivan at least was a fresh thing. Yes. Because they, they never worked against each other before. That said, I know Mick was leaving, but it's so dumb that Mick turns heel like two weeks before he leaves. 
loses to Sullivan, and then Sullivan immediately turns heel. <laughs> like, literally immediately. Yeah. This is the weekend after Fall Brawl. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was hot. Can't deny that. Absolutely. All right, they taped the uh, October 2nd main event afterwards. We have Frank Anderson, Bix, over the gambler in the opener. Uh, pretty wonderful, won a squash and demanded a rematch against Star of the Stripes. Honky Tonk Man beat Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. Duggan beat Regal by disqualification when Austin interfered. John Bad made the save. Flair did an interview, interrupted by Sullivan, who told Fla- Dave Sullivan, who told Flair that with his magic slippers, Hogan skipped boots. He could beat him. He could beat him now. Flair turned around and said, in five seconds, he better be gone. Well, Flair turned around, Hogan was standing there in Dave's place. Hogan challenged Flair to a tag match. Flair and Arn Anderson versus Hogan and Dave Sullivan. But Flair won a tag match. He had agreed that if he loses, he put his career on the line of havoc. Also, Flair said he also wanted Hogan so badly he would agree. Hogan Coast showed a promo for next week's main event. But it ends up being mystery partner who ends up being masked man. Yeah, but it was Arn Anderson on the tape. And you know what? Looking at that, I don't know if that was Arn Anderson. He looked a little more wiry, frame-wise. Yes. A little bit taller. Yeah. So, there's your uh, your taping there. Now, the next day, they taped in Knoxville at the uh, Civic Coliseum, the home of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And put almost many people in the building, 4,500, as Smoky Mountain did for their Night of Legends show. But it was about 90% freebies. There's enough real heat between Eric Bischoff and Jim Cornette that running a freebie show in Cornette's main city is more than coincidence, even though WCW does try to do its TVs near Atlanta, and they're pretty much all freebie shows. The way WCW papered the September 26th show is that they had local cable companies send two free tickets to the wrestling school to everyone with their cable bill. Wow. Fans were upset because of the TV promos. The advertised main events is Flair versus Steamboat, although that match was pulled away before the show due to Steamboat's injury, and Bader versus Sting. And none of those four wrestled on the show, and Flair was the only one who even did an interview. That'd be sad, everybody. <sighs> they did that shit in Macon. They would, you know, they would advertise fuckers there, and then uh, they would never show up. Oh, yeah, that happened. So not only are they killing his town by booking tons and tons of free TV tapings in the Knoxville area. They're also doing that with the no-shows. And, and the thing is, is that, well, Smokey's already, I mean, Smokey's helping him kill the town anyway, so, I mean, it's just... Well, <laughs> it is 1994. And we'll have more on that later. Alright, uh, sticking with the torch, while WCW like WF faced major cutbacks in sheer number and quality of time slots, they recently hooked up with Syndicate Incorporated in Canada to distribute Canadian Worldwide across Canada on the Baton Broadcasting System in 18 markets, Bix. So, Canada. Getting a WCW presence. Baton Broadcasting System? Yeah. Okay. Never heard of them. No. I guess it's Baton. I don't think it would be Baton. It is Canada, though. So, it could be. Uh, ratings. On the 24th, Saturday night did a 2.1 rating. What a live main event it, with the Flair Dave Sullivan match and Angle also did a 2.1, which has to be a disappointment considering all the hype for that show. Well, Pro did a 1.5. Well, it's up against the NFL. You know, what can you do? Yeah. I mean, this is that simple. 
And I mean, ratings were not that great. Yeah, the so. big the big wrestling cable ratings rebound is more of a thing that starts in '95. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan ran out Catfish Jack on an interview on the September 24th Saturday, I mean, Saturday, Saturday night. Mad about him spitting on the belt in the ECW interview. Yeah, I wish we had that, but we don't. Mm. But one thing that did happen this week, they started a promotion on their AAA pay-per-view show. On syndication, they made a mention that let the people believe the pay-per-view would include WCW and AAA wrestlers. On the morning pro show, on the 24th, did a 90-second segment the people did everything they should have done had they not wanted the sunny bias in the pay-per-view. Emphasizing as Mexican wrestling from south of the border and showing clips of clowns first without developing a base of the moves and only airing one hot move in the clip. There's a difference of opinion when it comes to selling the show as those in charge will be making the emphasis that it's Mexican wrestling is the best tactic to draw so many WCW viewing audiences as a curiosity. And that's only in cities with large Mexican populations that non-Mexicans would the heavy Mexican push has something telling them not to buy it. This is a position Dave strongly disagrees with. The funny part of the show is that in the top three matches, exactly 50% of the wrestlers are from either the United States or Canada, and the show is from the United States, and two of the promotions involved, if we were to take IWC as a promotion, are based in New York and Mexico City. Gary Juster, who's in charge of the project for WCW when he presented the ideas early last week, showed tapes of two matches. Los Exoticos, the transvestites, and the monkeys, who dress up in monkey masks and wear tails, which caused everyone in the company to think it was the biggest show they'd ever seen. And Bobby Heenan ran around talking about the Mexican wrestlers, a bunch of transvestite wearing tails running around. Transvestites wearing tails running around. Either Jester made an intelligent tactical move, airing those clips that limited the possibility of anyone who would take it seriously, but also eliminated jealous old-timers who would see it as a competition to try to subtly make it fail. Or move that was exactly the opposite. I mean, also, and I'm surprised Dave didn't point this out, none of those guys are on the pay-per-view. No, but I kind of think Juster did that on purpose. With pure motivations, though, you think? Yes. I think yes. so, yeah. To make sure they didn't fuck with him. And it's not the worst idea in the world, but also meant that they were not going to promote it like they probably should have as well. So you kind of damn if you do, damn if you don't in that situation. Now, on the Wimbrose Collide name, nothing has been resolved, although WCW is definitely using the name. For reasons Dave can only slightly understand, there seems to be serious personal dislike between Todd Gordon and Ron Scholar. Well, we hate our own. <laughs> Scholar wanted to run a promotion versus promotion feud idea on ECW television, and house shows using AAA heels like Conan, Love Machine, and Guerrero versus ECW headliners, but Gordon wanted nothing to do with that, and somehow both sides managed to make each other man the process. Didn't we give Scholar's side of some of this on the yes. our show? Yes. Don't you think that Paul Heyman would have done this? Yes. Yeah, absolutely he would have. Absolutely he would have. Why do you think Todd didn't want to do it? I uh, Probably threatened by Scholar. Possibly. Possibly thinking Scholar was going to come in and probably take a, try to take over or something. That's I don't this know. dude who's just a lawyer who's a fan hooked up. With some concert promoters, made a deal with AAA and started packing houses everywhere. Yeah, he's going to run. He's going to he's going to uh, look better than me, and he's going to run opposition to me. Well, or because he knows Paul's vision is to make this a thing, maybe he thinks 
Paul's Paul, gonna go him. Go off with Ron Scholar and start a new company, like a new WWN or whatever. Which Paul? That's the whole thing with Paul and Jim Crockett, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think you shouldn't think about all this stuff. Anyway, Chris Cruz and Mike Tanay will be doing the announcement on the show. Cruz is in Tijuana, making him only the second WCW employee to actually attend the show, and appeared blown away by the show. And was reading page to page of notes, trying to gain familiarity with the product. So the anchor, the interested Tony Schiavone doing the show, was eliminated. Uh, we'll have more on that Tijuana show later. Also, during the week, there are very 90-second segments that will start on October 3rd on the main event. Baby industry sources are predicting this is a failure as a claiming that they introduced a new concept. They would need at least three months preparing the audience and a strong game plan, not six weeks and really no game plan or concept. At the same time, this group does have a base audience to show by the fact that it has drawn already, but this is really a roll-to-die situation because nobody really has any clue how it will do. Only they'll probably do a lot better than if and when Univision's deal gets some local syndication running in just local TV in two markets and a cable show that goes in relatively new homes. The plan is, if it does well, to run two more shows in 1995. Well, we all know what happens here. It's just a one-and-done shot. Yep. But it's a hell, of a, it's a hell of a show. It's a memorable show. One of the most memorable favorites of the decade. Oh, yeah. And Cruz and Tanay, you know, Cruz back when he had a soul or whatever. Um, Did he really? More than he does now. Yeah. But uh, they did an absolutely phenomenal job. Yeah. Especially for Tanae, who had never done that before <laughs> at all. Yeah. I mean, that that's the insane part. That's the first time Mike Tanae has ever called a wrestling show, much less a live one. Mm-hmm. Did pretty well, I would say. Yep. And now he's back to being Dr. Vegas or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Although, actually, he never stopped being an odds maker except for it for the TNA run, right? Yeah, that's when he was full-time with TNA, yeah. All right, back to the Torch here. And uh, it's pretty much almost all Torch to the end. WCW reviving a light heavyweight division in November with tournament airing on Pro and Main Event with highlights airing on Saturday night. WCW Triple A and New Japan wrestler are supposed to be part of the tournament. Uh-huh. That's the tournament that uh, Jean-Paul Levesque was supposed to be part of, too. Yeah, I mean, as we all know, you know, that uh, Jean-Paul Levesque, a uh, very scrawny, you know, cruiserweight-sized gentleman. Mm-hmm. Get well soon. Yeah. Stay away from Nikon. Hogan versus Vader is a virtual law for Starcade with Flair's impending retirement in order to get Hogan agreed to face Vader. Vader promised to work lighter against Hogan. I forget. <laughs> it didn't eventually turn out that Vader had to sign a legally binding document that he wouldn't hit Hogan. Yes. Yes. He wouldn't stiff him. Yeah. Ain't that something? You worked in Japan for years. I mean, that was it is Vader, but that's if a different. I was him, I'd, be, I'd be more worried about the unwashed gear. <laughs> yeah, but Hulk Hogan in Japan is a different person. He had just been in Japan the year earlier, and and worked like Hulk Hogan. Well, and he worked the Dome show on January fourth too. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just saying, but he, yeah, he. I mean, Hulk Hogan in Japan, like I said, is a different person. He just dropped tolls. He's, he's an Ichiban. He's Ichiban there. He's not Ichiban in the United States. Well. You know, that's the difference, I guess. WCW has been in discussions with the Ultimate Fighting Championship promoters about entering a wrestler. While Vader was who USC folks wanted, Ming is the only wrestler WCW management is considering. Ming, a.k.a. Haku, King Tong, is considered one of the more legitimate and tough street fighters in wrestling. 
Dr. Dash usually mentioned the same breath along with several Japanese wrestlers. Ming will likely be Terry Funk's replacement Halloween Havoc. Okay, so eventually the idea is for this to become Craig Pittman. That doesn't end up happening, and I'm not sure it ever comes out why. And then Pittman does Valley Dudo Japan 95. Um, and Ming, I believe, was like, no, those guys are tough. <laughs> Something like that, right? Yeah, his legendary stories are more about the stuff he did in bars and shit. Like about pulling out people's eyeballs and stuff, biting their noses off. But he was a tough dude. It's just the stories are about more like bar fights. Yes, not, you know, I mean, granted, there's still very little rules, but not a martial arts competition. No. Road Warriors and the Steiner Bros are expected to sign early next year. Animal's almost ready to return to the ring after sitting out with an injury while collecting insurance. Is WWF going to be promoting in Japan soon, too? <laughs> well, I mean, the Steiners were going to come in. They we literally ran music videos on TV and were in the uncensored ad. Yeah. And Hog does wrestle in WCW, so there is that. Yeah, and then Animal comes back in 96. Yeah. Ron Simmons, Tex Slasher, Shanghai Pierce were all given their notice. No. Mm-hmm. Back to Dave. One of the local cable systems played in the Halloween Havoc commercial, which was the Johnny Bass TV champion right before the start of Fall Brawl, where he won the title. And, of course, talked about Flair and Hogan in the cage when the, with the career stip in regards to Hogan. Before that was made at Fall Brawl. No, before the that match was everybody. even... The match is made at Fall Brawl. The career stip isn't even added until a week or two later. <laughs> WC everybody. And Hogan's done their paradise in limbo again. The show, originally in limbo, was renewed for 22 episodes by Rusher Entertainment after Turner Program Services bought the original 22 episodes for reruns. I think this is Dave not knowing how Reicher is spelled. Reicher, yeah. Reicher didn't cut it down to 10 new episodes, and this past week made the decision to can the show completely. Hogan's still working on ways to get the show a second season, and nothing is final, but as of now, the show isn't being renewed after all. So long, Thunder Paradise. It is just the one season, right? Mm-hmm. He got a video game on the on the Philips CDI, though, out of it. Which is very rare, but yes. Um... Okay, do you remember what his character Spence's full name was? No. Randolph J. Spencer. Well, there you go. Randolph. And Chris Lemon was Martin Brubaker, nicknamed Brew. Yes. And, I forget, you know, how pissed off do you think that Jesse was when he found out that Hogan was pl playing a retired Navy SEAL? <laughs> Oh, well, Jesse Jesse just left the company right right before our week, so me and I were about no more. Well, no. Um, also, he left the company because apparently... <sighs> Bischoff has said he doesn't think Jesse had a substance abuse problem or anything, but <laughs> something was going on, and he found Jesse like, sleeping yeah. at a TV tape. We talked, we talked about that last year when, that, when we talked about that story. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That'd be sad, everybody. All right, let's go to Japan now, and we'll begin with New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's all Japan's all. Jushin Liger, Keiichi Yamada, who has been rated near or at the top of nearly everyone's list of the best wrestlers in the world for the past seven years, and considered by many of the greatest, as the greatest junior heavyweight pro wrestler of all time, suffered a badly broken left leg on September 24th in Nagoya. Okay, real quick, because this did come up last year with the retirement. At this point, it's him or Ray, but... I think Liger is... How do I put this? 
I think Liger probably is the greatest junior heavyweight of all time. I think, I think he has it locked. I think, I think what Liger has um, over Ray is the amount of high-end singles matches. And also being the guy. And you know what? To a degree, because of how much he shaped that division and the perception, I think his booking is a factor, too. But I think Ray was a better, better performer. So if I'm listing as far as performers, I'm listing Ray over him. So yeah, that's, a that's just one. me. I don't know. That's just me. I mean, that's, I, I, here's the thing. Ray, and no fault of Ligers, but Ray had more of a run later in his career as one of the best wrestlers in the world that Liger did. I'm not sure Ray was ever the best wrestler in the world, though, was he? Oh, I think he could have been very easily the best wrestler in the world uh, in the mid-2000s. Easily. Okay, yes, in the WWE run. Yes, that's what I'm saying. In that run, which he's, you know, 13, 15 years in the business. so And barely has knees. Yeah, and yeah exactly. Be- before anyway. he got uh, stem cells and was eating babies and all that. Liger was wrestling the rare main event for him, team with Ricky Choshu, against Cajun Muda and La Pegasus before a set of 11,000 fans at each prefectural gym in Nagoya. It was a freak accident on a rather tame-looking high spot as Liger went Muda into the ropes and leapfrogged them, with Muda rolling under and coming back with a quick savat kick. Apparently, Liger's leg gave out on the landing, and he couldn't get up after he rolled out of the ring from the kick. Also, I'm pretty sure that's not what happened, wasn't it? That he went to do a slide on, through Muda's legs and got caught in the mat? This is said apparently. After he lay there for a while, Hiroshi Hase and Takuki Azuka noticed something was wrong and came out with a stretcher to carry him from the ring. Photographers went backstage and noticed that his leg was all dark black and he was immediately sent to the hospital where the x-ray showed the badly broken left leg and doctors said it'd be six months to a year before he could return. The match itself continued as a singles match with Muto against Choshu. That's so finally Pegasus, who had left the ring to make it an all-even match, returned to the ring. Hase then came out Choshu's corner and won a tag, but Choshu never tagged out and eventually was pinned by Muto's moonsault. The next day, New Japan announced that on September 27th in Osaka, Liger's IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tommy put its stake in a six-man one-night tournament with Gran Amada, Shinjiro Tani, Pegasus, El Samurai, Black Tiger, and Norionaga. In the major surprise, Tanaga, by far the least impressive wrestler, the six pinned Hamada, the pre-tournament favorite, Otani, and finally Pegasus in the finals to capture the tournament. Now we come to this. The injury may not have actually occurred in the match. It may have been an injury that he had been working with. It was simply a matter of time before he started resting and recuperating. It It was simply his decision to do an angle that night to lead to his disappearance. The scenario surrounding the main event on the 24th went awfully smoothly for having such an unexpected scenario take place, making it appear that the wrestlers involved were totally awesome using the almost telepathy and creating a scenario out of cloth or that it was somewhat planned. Liger went down his first high spot, less than one minute to the match, where he leaped over Muto and landed on one leg, and the leg gave out, and he just stretched it out. The other side of this equation is that New Japan had heavily pushed a Liger Great Muto match on September 26th in Kobe, where both wrestlers were going to debut their new ring outfits, and Liger had the new outfit on tour with him, but hadn't worn it yet. In the Goya, when he went down. Surely, if they were going to do an angle designing the rest of legit injury and give him time off, they'd done the injury on September 27th, the final day of the tour, and use it to change the junior title and create a grudge title match scenario for him to return for. Okay, first of all, um, I'm guessing 
this was not a new ring outfit, and given what happens in their match after Liger comes back the following year, I'm guessing this is talking about the Kish and Liger thing, and not... And yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah, probably. But, okay, so I did pull up the video. Let's watch this real quick. Um, It is what I remembered it being. It's that he goes to do the baseball slide from Hugo's legs. But let's watch this, okay? Because... I sort of see why someone might have thought that there was a work here, but let's see. Also, Liger is, for the only time I can ever remember, wearing a mismatched mask and bodysuit. Yeah. He's wearing the silver mask with the traditional red and white uh, gear. The way he gets up and falls down looks kind of theatrical, but it looks like he fucks up his ankle bad there. Well, let's, I mean, put it on mute. And what, just do it without the sound? Yeah. And they did do Liger rolling under a leapfrog, too. That was the previous uh, move in the sequence, but okay. Drop down. Leapfrog. Yeah, you see... Yeah, look at his look at his foot. When it gives out. Yeah. It, it, he, it, he is hurt. He's not yeah. playing. You can see his leg get mangled. Yeah. Um, And I think he's... You can see him up... I think part of his upsetness almost seems like it's that he got hurt on such a simple routine thing. Yeah. All right, here, we've got a slow motion. Oh, we do. Here. I didn't even realize. Okay. Yeah, come on. So that's that's the injury, and then yeah. Oh yeah, right there, right there. His ankle is ha his leg is hang his ankle is hanging. You can see it through the boot. Yeah, right, right, right there, right there. Yeah, that's when when he got back up and stood on it. Yeah, absolutely. So you can yeah. even see you can even see it go on the slide. On the yeah, but it. I mean, look. Look at that. Yeah, that's where it see, started. You can see it breaking. And then he still's got a little bit of adrenaline, and then he's like, oh, crap. When he stands yeah. on it. It's like, you know, the thing where, like the Anderson Silva thing, where got in fights where guys, you know, MMA or kickboxing, where guys break their legs throwing a low kick and it gets checked. What almost always happens? The guy throws the kick. It's checked, he breaks his leg on the check, and it happens quickly enough that he steps on the bro completely broken leg. Yeah. So. Yeah, is, yeah. I mean, I it's get why in real time this might have looked strange in the arena. And also, this is a t it's, since it's not a TV taping, it's a home video taping, no one's going to see this for months. So, but I think Dave. I think Dave is more saying about how what happened after the fact, how they right. 
they just kept going and how smooth everything was transitionally. That's well, what Dave's I, the pull, I guess so. you know, calling about. Well, now there is one other thing we should mention, though, too. There is there is another good reason to be, at least be mildly suspicious more broadly. Who's involved in us? The bookers. Well, not just that. What did Liger do a little over a year earlier? He did a fake broken leg uh, to take himself out of Super Juniors part of the way through. Yeah, and you also have all the bookers involved. You got Choshu and Liger, and then Hase comes out to try to be in the match, too. So you have all your bookers involved. So that's probably why it goes down so smoothly. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's legit. So, anyway. Well, it's clearly, you know, he's clearly getting hurt here. Yes. And obviously it was a real injury regardless. And Yeah, it was a real injury regardless. It was a a question of whether the injury took place there or was it a previous injury that, whatever. The thing I don't get is why for so long people thought the 93 injury was legit. He's back on the next tour. Yeah, and and it was clearly a story like in context it seems like a storyline injury because the whole thing is just Scorpio working over his leg and they do a ref stoppage yeah they also announced Liger would have to cancel his appearances for Michinoku Pro Wrestling with a small region outfit had a dream tag match with Liger and Great Sasuke against Samurai Super Dolphin this week and a Liger Sasuke singles match schedule with Amada expected to be to replace him both nights Liger would also be out of the Super Grade Junior Heavyweight Tag Tournament which he was a top draw in from October 9th to 18th and his spot as a uh, Tiger's partner will be taken by Sasuke. Black Tiger, he means. Yes, although nothing was officially announced, Liger will also be forced to miss another singles junior heavyweight tournament. He was scheduled to face seven the opponents, coincided with the first Triple A Japan tour, scheduled from the 15th to the 24th. What would that be? The Triple A tour. I don't think they end up doing a tournament, though, do they? No, that was the original plans. This scraps it. So there was going to be some kind of Copa New Japan or whatever. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or Copa VVD or whatever. And yeah. it's scrapped without Liger. Well, probably because they had to do the junior title tournament. Yeah. So you're not going to do two two junior single tournaments back-to-back like that. No. And, okay. I guess the other thing to talk about here before we move on, though. My understanding is that it was Liger who gave Hanaga the book. Right? I, I think that's what the story always was, wasn't it? That it was not a Choshu call? Well, he was a Choshu guy. No, but that he, well, he was, yes, he was part of it. From the beginning. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, the impression I got is that Liger just wanted to focus on his recovery and he t- trusted Hanaga to be the champ and Booker in the mean, you know, in the end. I think Choshu did it. You think it was him throwing his buddy, you know, kind of a lifetime achievement spot? Well, who, who else am I going to? I got one of my guys helped help me book. Let's get my other guy to help me like, buy a junior guy to book. The juniors. Why not? Yeah. And it was a nice change of pace. Yeah. Although this is towards the end of him being a meaningful wrestler in Japan. But it was an interesting choice. I don't know if, I don't know if it's the right choice, though, to make him the champion. Booker is whatever. But I don't know if he was the best fit, but it was fine. And there was some interesting stuff. You know, yeah, the Santo match on the AAA tour is fun. So, it is what it is. But, this, you know, this is the beginning of the second phase of his career, basically. Or at least the second phase of his career as Liger. The, the interesting thing about it is when he first comes back, he's trying to still be high-flying Jushin Thunder Liger. Everyone forgets that. 
he's not trying to change his style for the first few months. It's after the first, you know, it's after however many weeks or I guess months back, he realizes that's not really sustainable. And he starts doing the palm strike as a finish and changing his style and doing a lot less flying and a lot more like storytelling epics and all that. And he became an even better wrestler. And then, and then again, when he got the brain tumor and came back from it, he got even better because he's Jushin Liger. Yeah. All right. Um, this group completed one of its biggest weeks of the past year with major shows in Kanazawa, Miyagi, Yokohama Marina, Aichi Gym in Nagoya, Kobe World Hall, and Osaka Castle Hall. The results of the gate by this group standards had to be considered almost a mixed bag. Yokohama was reaching Anoki on the show and scaled back at a $1.5 million house. Did sell out. Although there wasn't the overflow like they had a few years back at major shows in that building, it would sell standing room. The Goya, which holds 11,000, also sold out. However, Miyagi drew 3,500, blamed on heavy rain until night of the show. Kobe drew 6,000, which was well in the capacity, and Osaka drew 11,000 for a loaded up major show, which has to be disappointing. This FMW sold the building down a month earlier at 15,382 with no television. As noted earlier, the only title change was the junior heavyweight title where Hanaga came out as champion pinning Wild Pegasus in the finals in Osaka after the Lagler injury. Fans were largely anticipating both the IWGP singles and tags titles to change hands in Osaka. However, the Hellraisers kept the tag titles beating the Steiners in 1603 when Hawk pinned Scott out of nowhere with a powerbomb in a below-average match. Masiro Chono had been given the mega push all week with his heel turn and giving clean wins of a great mood of Hiroshi Hase and Hawk Warrior, which David is the first time Hawk's ever done a job in the singles match in Japan. It probably would have been over Scott Norton. Dace is a problem with that finish. It's a DQ in New Japan avoids finishes like that, unless absolutely necessary. Wound up getting pinned when champion Shion Shimoda reversed a schoolboy into an armbar for the submission. Now, let's start in Yokohama, the 23rd. Power Warrior worked injured and was pinned by Hashimoto in their title match. Remember the DDT, strong match. Hashimoto and Chino had a major match confrontation to build the Osaka match. And Hashimoto also said he won't defend title against Power Warrior one more time because Power was 100% for the match. Earlier in the show, Chono and Great Muda had a wild match, ending with Muda putting a table on the Chono and going up for the moonsault, but Chono moved and Muda moonsaulted the table, and Chono quickly pinned him. Oh, gee, I wonder whose rival they're setting up. <laughs> in the main event of that show, Anuki beat 54-year-old Wilhelm Ruska, who won two gold medals at the 72 Olympics in Judo. It was a weird storyline as he had a totally scientific match and went up outside the ring and Ruska put Anuki out with a sleeper. Anoki lay motionless and a stretcher was brought out for him. He was put on the stretcher, carried away. But in Undertaker, a Hogan-like fashion, he got up off the stretcher and ran back to the ring like a maniac, using punches and kicks, and finally knee drop off the top rope before Anoki put Ruska out with a sleeper in 11.37 and declared the winner. And the reason for right. this, of course, is that Anoki's on his final countdown tour and Will Ruska is the only one of the Anoki 70s martial artist opponents who he could really conceivably have a match with. Yeah. So the rest of the show, we have uh, Satoshi Kojima of Yuji Nagata, Akira Nagami, Takayuki Yuzuka, JJ Jacks of Hiroshito and Naranaga, Handicap Match, oh, Igante and Black Tiger. So yeah, El Igante and Eddie Guerrero over El Samurai, Tadayu Suna, and Tsukamitsu Ichishawa. And that's, that's got to be one of Jorge Gonzalez's last matches, too, right? Yeah, this tour, pretty much, yeah. Grand Amada over Shinjiro Tani, Yoshiaki Fujiwara over Jushin and Liger, Steiners over Scott Norton and Wal Pegasus, Tetsumi Fujinami, Hiroshi Asse over Riki Choshu Manaba Nakanishi, Chun over Muda, and then Hashimoto over Power Warrior, and Inoki over Ruska. Now um, the next night... Well, I just noticed something. Um, especially since there's some 
thing political happening with Norton with the DQ. You know, with all the stuff we talk about about Benoit and politics in this era, especially on those Sabu, sh- you know, Patreon shows, um, it did seem like for a while in this period that they were building up him and Norton as a tag team. And then it just disappears. And then it seems like he's going to be the junior heavyweight of Murder, Inc. And it goes to Sabu. So, I wonder what's going on there. I don't know. Especially since he is a Choshu guy. Yeah. He's one of Choshu's boys, so... Kind of weird. Because, like, it just seems like this keeps happening to him very close together. Right? Because they, they... Him and Norton were teaming together a bunch. Yeah. All right. So, the 24th in the Goya, besides the match where Allegra was injured, the main, which was the main event, Shoto Pin Hawk is 51 in the Bloodbath using a shoulder block on the top rope. We had Ishizawa with Tatsutaki Iwa in your opener, Osama Kido and Osama over Hero City and Urinaga, Satoshi Kojima and Eligante over Shinjiro Tani, Tadao and Yuji Nagata, Grand Hamada over Black Tiger, Ashimoto and Hase over Norton and Nakanishi, Steiners over JJ Jax, Fujinami over Fujiwara, Chono over Hawk, and Muno and Pegasus over Choshu and Liger. Can you imagine how ornery and uncomfortable to watch a 1994 Steiners versus JJ Jax match would be? Those poor guys. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor Azuka. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, the 26th in Kobe saw Katoro Hoshino and Kotetsu Yamamoto come out of retirement for a tag match, losing to Hase and Kojima. The two were a famous tag team called the Yamaha Brothers in Japan, Tennessee, and Texas in the late 60s. Hoshino 50 has one match left in his career, which will be at the February Sumo Hall show. And... Outside of that, the only matches he has after that is the one or two gimmick ones where he's managing Makai Club, right? Yes. All right, uh, results in Kobe. Hiro Sato over El Samurai. Izuko over Yuji Nagata. Eligante over Tadao Suda and Black Cat. Uh, wow. Kojima and Hase over the Yamaha Brothers. Grand Hamada, Nuranaga over Ishizawa and Otani. Hashimoto Nakanishi over Hawk Warrior and Black Tiger. Eddie and Hawk teaming up. Great Mood over Samakito. Norton over Chono by DQ. Hase Chono Fujinami over the Steiners. And Wild Pegasus in your main event. I'm going to guess that this is the tour where Eddie and Hawk get in their fight over Eddie drunkenly talking about being in the best tag team in the world. That's possible. I, I think it is, actually. Well, it, ha- it pretty much probably has to be, in a way. <laughs> you know? Well, because well, the next tour that he's on is when Art dies, yes. Yeah. And then in Osaka, El Higante did his first job in Japan, a six-man tag, when Scott and Norton pinned him after a clothesline. Did the tournament for the title, I junior title, Hanago over Hamada, Tiger over Samurai, and then Norton Nizuka over Naga- and Nagami over Higante, y- Yasuda, and Nakanishi, Hanago over Atani, Pegasus over Tiger, then we had Choshu and Hase beating Fujinami and Mudo, Hawk and Power Warrior over the Steiners, Hanago over Pegasus, and Hashimoto retaining over Chono. Now, the main idea was to have Chono turn heels focus on the shows and go over on everyone until finally losing Hashimoto in the main event. He even got Hawk to agree, although Hawk went through the SDF submission instead of the schoolboy, kicked out right at three, and immediately started punching and kicking Chono with the idea he thought he'd kick out. As figured last week, by looking at the results, Scott Norton didn't agree to put Chono over clean, so they had to do the dinky finish, which nobody was happy with. But Norton did agree to bleed heavy during the match to make Chono look strong. Well, how about that? <laughs> 
Scott Norton refused to do the job to Chona. On this run. When Chono is getting a big push with his new heel character. That's ballsy. That is ballsy of that man. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's say we go with our Benoit theory here, okay? Yeah. If we think something was happening with him and Benoit that got dropped, it was dropped for Benoit to become the junior heavyweight of Murder, Inc. Yeah. Which, even though it doesn't happen... Perhaps Norton is not happy that his tag team push with his friend is not happening anymore. Yeah. And let me just say this. I just recently watched all of this. I mean, not all of this, but this era on the Vallis tapes. And you want to talk about a hot promotion as far as like crowd heat and oh. shit. Oh, my God. When Chono turns heel and that, that early run of, of, of murdering. Oh, my God. Those shows were amazing. And by the way, Eat that reminds one. me, any, anyone who knows of any Google Drives that may have all of that New Japan stuff collected, like the later classic stuff and the Valis tapes and the TV and everything. Like, please, Does anybody even do that stuff anymore? To... Google Drives? Yeah. Oh, other, yeah. Than the, other than the one I know, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, not would that wouldn't have that on there. Uh, yeah, no, no, the one I know about has a lot of Japan on it. So I don't know. But I I've been meaning to sign up for that one anyway because I I really want to watch all of the like lesser known '90s New Japan stuff from the cla- classic shows and the Valis tapes and stuff because yeah for people who don't know I guess it's around when like '91 that New Japan started keeping a lot more at TV tapings than they actually used. Because, you know, going back earlier, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they didn't save and that it didn't end up on classics. But then starting in like 92 and especially the night, like 93, 94, there's tons and tons of stuff that never aired previously and would only air later on Samurai TV classics. So there's just so much, you know, people who never made TV, you know, Axe Moon, Art Bar, you know, all sorts of stuff. And throw in the home videos like there's just a, and, and, and then handhelds too. Like there is a ton of New Japan in the mid 90s. That even like the hardest of hardcore American fans of Japanese wrestling largely haven't seen. Also, because uh, a certain tape dealer in Western Pennsylvania stopped getting Samurai Classics when they got up to 1989, because that's when he started getting Japanese TV, not realizing that they were showing unaired stuff. So it wasn't until years later when other people found Japanese contacts that that stuff started circulating here from people yeah. who taped everything. Yeah. Alright, um, before losing to the Hellraisers, the Steiners had beat Pegasus and Norton, Hase and Norton, and Zuka and Nagami, but lost six men with Pegasus against Chosha, Fujinami, and Hase. Scott's finished in Old Japan, which is used often this year in Japan, and had used a few times on WFT matches in the US, where he picks a guy up like as a suplex and drops it straight down like a pile driver, is being called the SSD, the Steiner Square Driver. So is it Square Driver or Screwdriver? Well, here it says Square. So I guess, and- I mean, and I think Meltzer trans- always called it Square Driver. Yeah. But then Tanae and WCW called it the Triple S, the Steiner Screwdriver Suplex. Yeah. So, people usually call it Steiner Screwdriver. That's kind of the accepted name. But I've never been clear on what the intended name was. Yeah. They announced Anoki would face George Foreman on April 15th, 1995 at the, in North Korea. 
Anoki stayed like the rest of Hulk Hogan on January 4th, 1995 at Tokyo Dome, and also have a singles match against Ric Flair before he retires. Okay. I'm firing up newspapers.com because I remember looking this up when Bischoff did the podcast episode about North Korea, and some of this came up, and he was like, oh no, that was never going to happen. And I, I had, I forget if I had looked it up or looked it up because of that, um, and saw that at, at a minimum, North Korea's Korean state media had said that um, that would be the match, which kind of explains a lot. But I'm not sure if that's announced yet. Okay. Um, okay. The only hit on newspapers.com in 1994 for Antonio Noki, George Foreman, and North Korea, and an, together an article, is from the Mansfield, Ohio News Journal. Um, <laughs> it's our, it's our old friend Jeff Gorman's wrestling column. Hmm. Jeff Gorman of, uh, you know, longtime Pittsburgh Indian announcer fame, and also ROH, an ROH play-by-play announcer at one point. And his wrestling column around the ring mentions, while we're in the Orient, we should mention that Jack, and this is from, this is from November, though, this is November 24th, uh, Antonio Inoki has signed to face Jap- world boxing champion George Foreman at a sports festival in North Korea next spring. Foreman will actually enjoy a youth advantage, blah, 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 talks about Ali. I know I've seen more. Like, I saw something but for sure. Th- here's the thing, though, uh, at this point in time, uh- George Foreman's not the, the boxing world boxing champion. Is he by November twenty fourth? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. But when Dave's reporting this, he's not champion yet. No. He still he still he still hasn't fought Makamura. I kind of get what you're saying. The comeback was news, but what really makes him is the title win. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Foreman, Foreman, Foreman. Okay. Alex Marviz ends up saying in his uh, newspaper column in March, Anoki originally was negotiating with George Foreman for a wrestler-boxer match in the main event, but that ended when Foreman won the IBF and WBA heavyweight titles. Okay, so there you go. There it is. So Marviz... There it is. And Marviz, and who I would would trust to be fairly accurate, saying that it, it was legitimately being negotiated for, but the title win just ended it which makes sense um oh looking back to jesse ventura earlier he ends up uh making a comment oh he ends up he oh, he told that he told alex that because pro wrestling is quote unquote too politically correct he had no interest in returning as an announcer to either promotion <laughs> well, there you go all right back to japan fmw tokushima city gym September 23rd for a 32.77. We have Masato Tanaka, who is uh, still going strong today. I mean, is he in the G1? No, I think he's in the... Um, no, the, uh, the Noah deal? The Noah... Yeah, the Noah one, N1, I think, or whatever it's called. M one It was something. M one yes. Which I believe uh, also has various promotions and stuff represented. Yeah. Suppose, Boy, suppose is that something it, New Japan should have done this year. Supposedly Tanaka was awesome too. Oh, uh, be- he is a freak. It doesn't make any sense. No. Even if he he's on, Kasa- even if he's on like all the steroids or growth hormone in the world, which I don't know if he is, like it doesn't make sense. This man should be drooling in a nursing home somewhere. Well, he beat Kasaku Gashigawara here. 
Choden Senshi Battle Ranger Z and Damien Sesesese beat uh, Samba Asako and Cockroach number two. Who's that? I don't know. Makayato over Ricky Fuji. Sharshashuya Keiko Awami and Safari Mac over Megumi Kudo. Combat Toyota Miyosato. Tarzan Goto and Hinskatsu Oyo over Mr. Danger. Mr. Masanaga Koji Makagawa. And in our main event, no roast barbar street fight death match. Asushi Nina, Mr. Gunasuke, and Kastosh Niyama over Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator, Mike Awesome, and Hideki Asaka. But then we have September 25th. The first ever no rope barbed wire electrified explosive double held death match held in the swimming pool took place on September 25th at the Jingu Pool in Tokyo before it saw 3,200 fans. With Asushi Nina, Kastosh Niyama, and Mr. Gunasuke beating Mr. Pogo to Gladiator, Mike, All- uh, Gladiator Mike Awesome, and Hideki Asaka. The match had barbed wire around two sides of the ring and no ropes around the other two sides. And every time wrestlers fed all those sides into the pool, there was an explosion as if they had hit a landmine. Magazine photos of the September 25th double held match in the pool looked intriguing with all the explosions in the water. It was funny also because they took the wrestlers to the ring in, a small, in small rafts, but when someone did a run into it, it feared they had to dive into the pool and swim to the ring. <laughs> if you've never seen this before, you have to watch this. It's amazing. And being a major FMW thing, I gotta think it's on YouTube, right? If Oh, it was. Almost surely Absolutely. on Brett's channel, right? Well, he had his issues with them, so uh, I don't know. Oh, because um, it was a quest or whoever started giving him trouble, right? Yeah. Because they, uh, they were like, at- all of the notable indie and semi-major promotion stuff from that era. They, they have the, the home video rights and stuff. Yeah, so... Uh, it is on YouTube, folks. So, I mean, there's versions of it on there. On Brett or other? Yes. In fact, the complete home video is online. So go look, you can go look that up. Look for Swim Pool Deathmatch and you'll get all your results. Yes. All right. Um, Oh, I just remembered too. I didn't look, I forgot to look earlier, but, uh, tickets are uh, now on sale as we record this for, uh, the Onita show in Jersey next month. All right. The semifinal, <clears throat> they ran an angle as a tag team of Tarzan Goto and Hinskatsu Oya, which just started as a team less than two weeks earlier. Already had split up when Oya turned on Goto during a match against Mr. Danger and Yukira Kanemura. After the match, they announced that Kanemura and Mr. Pogo would join with Oya and others to form the heel group called the Wing Army. Now, this is a fun promotion that Kanemura, Pogo, and Masanaga were the biggest stars of before they all had to quit to join FMW. Masanaga didn't commit on whether he would join the Wing Army or not, but made it out like he wouldn't team with Anita anymore, nor would go to a pogo. <clears throat> All right, results. Shodan Senshi, Battle Ranger Z, and Koji Nakagawa team with Masano Tanaka to beat Makayato, Tetsuro Kuroda, and Gosaku Goshigawara. <clears throat> Sambo Osako, Riki Fuji. Demian Sesese, Silver Cockroach number two. Sharshashuya, Kroshimeo Damar, and Keiko Awami over Megumi Kudo, Kambai Toyota, and Miwasato. Tarzan Goto and Scott Oya went to the no contest with Masanaga and Kanamura. And then our No Roads Exploding Barbar Dynamite Pool Elimination Deathmatch. Elimination style with Anita eliminating Hosaka to win. And Kanamura made their post match run ins on Anita most of the house shows leading up to the pool show to set up, that, set up the big angle there. So I think this will always be my favorite FMW gimmick, just for the gimmickry of it. Not necessarily the best. It's a swimming pool with explosives, yes. Yes, and, and every time someone goes in the pool, <laughs> the explosives go off. And they had their dry, their ride out on rafts. Yes. Which, the only time that ever happened was during the Jungle Island death matches in Japan would run. Gunray Jima, yes. 
So, fantastic stuff. I, I don't know if I've ever actually... I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing with the uh, swim-in, though. Oh, yeah. I, I got this years ago. I mean, we're talking 90s on a comp tape. Uh, and I remember just losing my mind the first time I saw it. So, yeah. Tremendous. That that was on that tape. The bathhouse death match is on that tape. Oh, that was a fantastic tape. The Kendo Nagasaki grocery... Uh, grocery store death matches on that tape. Oh, that was, was there? there was a compilation that Feinstein or someone did. That was one of the best ones. That. I forget what it was called though. Yeah, this wasn't a Feinstein because I never ordered from him, and he no, didn't put it together. I, know you, but... I don't know if you got it from. I didn't think you got it from him. But... I got. I I got it from McAdam. Okay. Yeah. And I know someone put together that comp tape, but I don't remember who, uh, that there was one that was basically all of the like just. Wildest, most offbeat. Death Piranha Deathmatch death was on. Yeah, Piranha Deathmatch is part of that too. Uh, oh yeah. Is the um, the death <clears throat> Deathmatch on there? No. Okay. Yeah, another promotion is to start with a split up of the War Group. Don't know if this is an angle or shoot, but the deal is Takashi Chikawa, mid card wrestler, his contract expired in July, has been working without a contract since. So this week that he would be opening up a new office and would bring seven or eight wrestlers with him. Chikawa, as the story goes, had a falling out with Tenru's brother-in-law who is now president of war. Supposedly, Professor Tenrud's brother-in-law also led to Cheryl Hara retiring at the end of October. Great Kojika, a retired wrestler who was an all-Japan lower card guy from mid-60s to the early 80s, had been a guy getting towels for war, quit with Ishikawa, and re- will run his group's office. So this would be independent wrestling.tv's Big Japan Pro Wrestling? The birth of Big Japan Pro Wrestling, yep. Which is not a deathmatch promotion at the very beginning. No, 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 no. But quickly becomes one. Yes. I'd love to know what the story was there. Yeah, I, I don't know. Especially with Kojika as the guy, as the owner. Um. So I'm curious. Do you think Tenru's brother-in-law has any tattoos? Possible. <laughs> huh. Suits, yeah. sweaters, hats, cigars, missing fingers. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to fight with him. All right, IWA Japan. I wonder they if they paid show- for Tenru's alleged penis enlargement surgery. <laughs> Who knows? Kanagawa on September 23rd. Johnny Gomez. Joe Gomez. Over to Jerry. What? Matt. Yes. That, that, he's like a foot taller than him. <laughs> Literally. Jason the Terrible went to a 30-minute draw with Hiroshi Ono. Deadly Fred from Stranglemania. What the hell is happening? But- Miguel Perez Jr. of Takashi Akano. Barbar Barricade match. Shoji Nakamaki. Mamanamumi over Abe. The Headhunters beat the team of Kendo Nagasaki and the Cuban assassin Dave Sierra. And then our main event, Dick Murdoch and Nobutaka Araya over the new Jason the Terrible and Leatherface. So, the guy who went 30 with Ono is the Puerto Rican guy whose name I always forget, right? All right, let's run down the list here uh, as I search this out. Um, all right, so let me find the results here as I trickle down. Uh, all right, so here we go. All right, so September the 23rd in Kanagawa. New Jason the Terrible is Tracy Smothers. Okay, that's right. Leatherface is uh, Rick Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason the Terrible is the Puerto Rican guy. What's his name again? No, it 
He doesn't have his real name on here. Okay. I, I feel like I've heard it before. And uh, Gomez is, of course, Joe Gomez. So there you go. Uh, I, I wonder what he brought in his luggage. <laughs> Don't want to know. Well, it's it's, uh, it's Japan, so he probably didn't get away with too much. Well, that's, All that's right. true. Well, I'm sure there's some stuff you can get away with. IWU. Oh, fix. my God. We've got an international <laughs> wrestling union show. They ran a show. International and- or independent? Independence. They ran a show in o- Osaki, not Osaka, Japan. Oh, so they're running the bootleg Osaka, too. <laughs> we have Ryo Miyaki over Takashi Tsukata. The Black Mummy over Poison Sawada. Goro Shirumi over Kishin Kawabata. Kazuhiko Masazaki over The White Mummy. And a Battle Royal won by Takeshi Miyamoto. Okay. Of the promotions running at this time that we have results for. So no university wrestling, you know, no uh, JWA, Kokusai. IWU is the scummiest, right? Oh, uh, we're not done yet. Oh, no. All right, let's go to Michinoku Pro. They ran a more Japan on September 25th for the 1,800 fans. We have Wellington Lucas Jr. over Neho Shikawa. Taka Michinoku over Masada Yakushuji. Sato... Tiktogo over Grand Naniwa. Super Duffin and Jensei Shizaki over Terry Boy, Men's Tail and Shiru. And Grey Sasuke and Hansa Nakajima over Superboy and Tarako. I'm not that. even going to guess who Tarako is. And then we have this promotion NSPW, whatever what that stands stand? for. What? They ran Cork and Hall on September 24th. Excuse me? Our opening match was a different style fight. Hiromi. Hiroshi Osumi over Katsumi Hirano. Yukimasa Yokota over Shingo Shigeda. Takeshi Hara over Masiko Kochi. Yoshiro Ito over Keisuke Yamada. Koichiro Komura over Fumio Akayama. And then our main event, Hiromichi Fuyuki, Gato and Jado over Hideo Takayama, Babohito, Hiroshi Takura, and Ichiro Yaguchi. Okay. <laughs> Cork and Hall. When one of the most recognizable names on the show is Masahiko Kochi, I mean, on the undercard, I guess I should say that that that's quite the show. Well, this is Fuyuki and them. I bet. I, I guess this is one of their little deals they had before. You know, they went to FMW or whatever. I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm pulling NSPW up on Cage Ranch. I'm curious if there is anything else from whatever the hell. That, okay, this. They have it under freelance shows on Cage Match. Yeah. So this is probably like a Fuyuki Gun produce or something, I would think, right? Has to be. So. Yes. There you go. Wow, what a, what that a is, What the? Have you ever heard of this before? No. No. And also there's a commentator listed. So there, there's presumably video of this. Yeah. Probably some commercial tape or something. With, with the, I don't remember ever hearing the <clears throat> name before. Han, uh, Hanbei Terauchi is the... Concept. Yeah, who knows? Pancrace! The magazines this past week were flooded with photos of mascots Finaki, Minoru Suzuki, and Horse Gracie at UFC 3. UFC 3 has played up huge in both the wrestling magazines and martial arts magazines. In the magazines, Ken Shamrock said that UFC isn't like Pancrace, which he said was a sport. But more like the tough man contest used to compete and win in before he got into pro wrestling. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I can see where he's coming from, though. Especially 
at the time. Um, it really is something to... It, granted, you have the pancreas to hook up. But it is something how quickly UFC caught on with the Japanese wrestling media. Oh, yeah, they loved it. Yep. And also, this reminds me of something uh, kind of cool. Did you see the uh, photo that Sean Waltman tweeted of him and Minoru Suzuki at the GCW show? Yeah. So I asked him, like, I was su- I said, I was like, I'm kind of surprised you wouldn't have met each other before. Because he said that it was the first time they ever met. Because, you know, remember Sean, when, when Sean was training at the Malenko school in that era, I forget if it was like one day a week or two days a week, they'd all go over to Masami Soranaka's house and learn, you know, Carl Gotch catch wrestling. And, you know, in that era, we've seen all the magazine photos and stuff of Fujiwara's guys and the, you know, however, whatever you want to call them, the, you, you know, UWF 2.0 slash PWFG Pancrase guys going to Florida to train with Carl, but they didn't really overlap. Hmm. That was cool to see them together, and I'm sure they had a bunch to talk about. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, PWFG. Lots Speaking of talk of with... First Fujiwara Gumi folding up after their next show on Halloween. And Fujiwara going back full time with New Japan. Well, that doesn't happen. It neither really happens, but... PWFG does kind of start to slow down, and Fujiwara does take a lot of dates with New Japan. Yeah. All right, they ran Cork and Hall on the 25th. We had Carl Greco over Minoru Tanaka in your opener. Don Arakawa over Hiroshi Kotsubo. Oh, yeah, Kutsubo nothing Gen- says shoot style like Don Arakawa versus Kotsubo <laughs> Genjin. Kasumi Yasuda over Daisuke Ikeda. Yuji Nagata over Shuichi Funaki, Yuki Shikawa over Tokamitsu Ishizawa, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara over Joe Malenko. Main event. And that's something people kind of forget about, that Ishizawa worked for PWFG a lot when he was first starting well, in Japan. Nagata did too. Yeah. Well, the New Japan Young Boys would work there a decent amount. So, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's something I miss too. The, of having younger New Japan guys show up on indies and getting in reps on those shows. Yeah. It was a cool kind of, you know, different flavor, but it doesn't really happen that much past this era. No. Joshi, All Japan Women, we have a show in Saga on September 23rd from 2150. Uh, Tomoko Watanabe over Saendo, Machina, Suzuka Minami, and Tomoko Watanabe and Chaprita Asari over Rei Tamada, Yumiko Hota, Karito, Ajakong and Reggie Bennett over Esko Mina and Mishimoda. Manami Toyota over Mariko Yoshida, Kyoko Inoue and Takako Inoue over Sakashigawa and Toshiro Yamada in the main event. Then JWP ran Korka Hall on the 25th and drew 2,200 fans. Command Bolshoi over Hiromi Shugo, Kanyakutsu and Domasami over Fusai Nochi and Infernal Karu, Reggie Bennett and Kyuji Suzuki over Hiromi Yagi and Danamai Kansai, and false count anywhere match, two count rule in effect. Hikari Fukuoka over Miami Ozaki. And then LLPW, they ran for Osaka Farisu Gym on September 27th. First off, Eagle Sawai won the LLPW title and the LLPW berth in the Tokyo Dome tournament by pinning Nuriel Tateno. Tateno won the title at Cork at Home September 23rd from Shinobu Kandori. Top LLPW wrestler, LLPW didn't want to go to the Dome show and have to do a clean job for a wrestler from another promotion. How about that? Also, the Algerian women's group, Japanese tag titles changed hands as Yashikura and I and Miki Honda lost into Michiko Omakai, who's getting a lot of publicity in magazine photos doing bikini shots, and Carol Midori. 
speaking of that, Takako Inoue is apparently involved in some controversy. So she took nude photos that are going to come out in girly magazines next week, which have been heavily publicized. So wait, do we have Dave to blame then for the Bret Hart promo where, where he doesn't <laughs> understand what girly magazine means? <laughs> Actually, no, wait, that is correct. No, he's using it correctly. What am I talking about? I must be tired. <laughs> he's using it correctly. Because as we know from our generation, I remember from growing up on You Can't Do That on television, this is the correct use of Girly Magazine. The Bret Hart use of Girly Magazine is incorrect. Yeah. Um, because what, what was it? I guess did it, I forget if it had a character name or it was just Alistair being called Alistair. But he always but one of the running jokes involved the Girly Magazines hidden under his bed. <laughs> um, okay, before we get the results, though. We always say it when we talk about her in any detail. Good lord, would WWE have gone for Mushiko Omakai in like five seconds after finding out about her if she came around in this era. Oh, yeah. Hell of a worker, too. Yeah, but she had the look. Yep. And uh, she was she had size, too. She was a tall girl. Yeah, she was fairly tall for one of the Japanese women. Yeah, I mean, she, she, had, she had a combo. She definitely would have been... She she would have been on their list for sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure if they would have been a fan of her in ring style though. Well, because she was very much like a stiff kicks type. Yeah. So let's go to the all right Re- results at Cork and Hall on the 23rd, 1850. Mizuki Endo over Yamashita, Janu Yukari over Miki Honda, Yashikura and I Mikichiko Nagashima over Carol Midori and Kazama. Igo Sawai and Omaka over Harley Sado and Mikiko Furugami and the Tateno over Kandora to win the LLPW title. Okay. Um, LLPW wasn't the deepest promotion. But they have talent. Um, on the other hand, holy shit do those All Japan Women and JWP cards look good on paper. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at some of the... <laughs> uh, let's see what we got here. You know, uh, Suzuka Minami... In the you know trios match that one, Manami uh, Toyota versus Mariko Yoshida, Double Inoue versus Hasekawa and Yamada, and then on JWP you know um, the Candy Okutsu and Devil Masami versus Fusai Nuji and Keiru tag, and um, the other tag with the Hiromiyagi and you know Falls Count Anywhere Fukuoka and Mayumi Yamazaki. That those are some loaded shows right there. That that shows you the talent that's on that women's scene at the time. Yeah. Especially since you have people like Yoshida and Yagi who haven't even fully come into their own yet. Yeah. So, good stuff here. And uh, I guess we close out Eurasia here. Yeah, we got some Germany. CWA, Autobots, and Hanover on September 24. We got Tony St. Clair over Wrecking Crew Fury. Oh, that is uh, Mike Laurinaitis. Yeah. Legion of Doom, Johnny South. It's Legend of Doom. Legend of Doom. That's why I'll see if you caught that. This is from Dave's results. Uh, Legend of Doom, Johnny South over Primo Corner to third by DQ. Who who calls Mike Fury? Had he used that name? Is that his real name? Probably. I don't think it's a real name. But better, better known to most fans as Big Guido from ECW. August Schmeisel and Ulf Herman over Hiroshi Yamamoto and Dan Collins. Tens on. And Danny Boy Collins, Steve, yeah. British Steve Casey over Cannonball Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, PN News by Count Out. 
And then CWA Intercontinental match, Dave Fit Finley over Two Cold Scorpio in a three and three quarter star match. I think I've seen that. It's really good. Well, I was expect so. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. There's our uh, Eurasia segment. All right. That's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So that's a great 1994 commercials. We'll come back and we'll pivot to halftime where we'll talk about our Patreon show that's coming up. We'll hit the plugs, talk about uh, IWTV, other things going on. And then uh, we'll come back and go to other North America where we'll have an uh, interesting indie show in Manitoba to talk about. Some big names in the Pacific Northwest and uh, British Columbia. Triple A, as they're getting hot, uh, getting ready for when worlds collide, including Dave Meltzer and Tijuana. So all that more after the break. New York City. Panic. Terror. Chaos. And that was before. Maximum Carnage. What's it like to experience Skittles that combinations? Combinations of fruit flavor. In every bag of Skittles bite-sized candy. It's a wallop of fruit. A wallop? A wallop? Lemon, lime, and grape. So this would be a fruity bachu bag. Now add an orange. And it's a ting tang. Bachu bang. Every Skittles combination is a new experience. A caddy wampus. A double dodecathon. A fruit. How do you describe a Skittles experience? You decide. Taste the rainbow of fruit flavor. It's a fruit kerfluffle. Every time. <laughs> Skyscraper, elevator, tower in the sky. Sideways, wideways, you can give them all a try. Girders, panels, snap, snap, snap. Before your very eyes, you get a building like that. Snap, snap. Step it up with girder and panels. Now crank that crane and swing those beams. Install the lights in your building, please. Step it up with girder and panels. Girder and panels, collects building set. Other sets sold separately. Batteries extra from Irwin. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Miramax Films asks the question, what are two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and the secret suitcase have in common? That's a good question. The answer, they're all part of the most electrifying film of the year. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, and Bruce Willis. Die, you! You won't know the facts until you see the fiction. Pulp Fiction, rated R. Starts October 14th everywhere. Get it. If your parents can't afford $30,000 for college, ask your uncle. The Montgomery GI Bill plus the Army College Fund. $30,000 for college. Call your recruiter to find out how to qualify. The designers of Sega's new World Series Baseball set up cameras to capture what it really feels like in a Major League box. Then made it so you can pick any Major League team in any ballpark and made it have all the players, even the guys riding the pine. So with Sega's new World Series Baseball, everything happens, well, more like it does in real life. Hey, Ricky! Oh! Stay up! Taste the sound, you can hear it. Feel the crunch, lift your spirit. Get the scrunch
My head was down, I was feeling low. It was Saturday morning, my transmission wouldn't go. So I called up Gibraltar. Fix it fast, fix it right. Got me cruising on a Saturday night. Gibraltar got me cruising on a Saturday night. Cruising with Gibraltar. NFL Sunday, red-hot wide receiver Andre Risen storms the nation's capital, Atlanta versus Washington. Sunday at 1 p.m. on Fox 5. Weekday afternoons on Fox. Check out the incredible Power Rangers. Let's rock and roll! For twice the thrills. No! And double the chills. The best is yet to come. The Power Rangers, weekdays at 4.30 on Fox 5. All right, we're back, and hope you enjoyed all those great 1994 commercials. That was, was we pivoted to the halftime segment of the show. We're going to begin talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we haven't recorded the Patreon show yet, but it will be out this week as you're listening to this show. So uh, be on the lookout for that as we discuss the 25th anniversary of the New World Order, going from the formation of the group, Holland Nash entering WCW. To Hulk Hogan joining in and all the other stuff going on all the way up until Eric Bischoff uh, does his big turn and starts recruiting everybody on the roster pretty much to become members. So we're going to hit the golden age of the NWO, so to speak. And it should be quite the show as we'll have, uh, I'm sure, all the stuff going on about the uh, formation and all the rumors and innuendo there and who was going to be part of it, who wasn't, and all that stuff. And Mabel. Yeah, and how everything We'll read exactly what it says about that and when and where relative to Hogan, I'm sure. Yeah, so we'll have a lot about that and other other things too that was going on about that time. So definitely check that out for five dollars a month. You'll get the access to listen to that plus all the other shows that we have done in near five complete years of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Then uh for a dollar a month you get access to the uh Discord and thanks in this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, uh, make sure you pick a week that we haven't done already. And if it's something that we have done, make sure you have a backup choice handy because it could be a show that we've done or it could be a show that somebody else may have picked on the calendar in the future. So uh, always be prepared in that regard. And then follow the 30-day rule to get that information in the picks. 10-year rules in effect. Follow the Patreon protocol from the website Wednesday to Tuesday all that stuff that you all know so patreon.com slash between the sheets $50 a month legends in for a seven on the show and a hundred for the whole show that's if you choose alright so who we have this week Bix is our new and or returning patrons alright let's see we would like to thank I believe this is a returning champion Austin Musclewhite thanks Austin Justin De excuse me, Justin Dell Cave. Thanks, Justin. And this is someone who's returning to we weren't sure if it was Chris Mate or Chris Mate or Chris Mate or something like that. Thanks, Chris. Which by the way, I mean feel free if you aren't sure if we'll pronounce your name right to email me at the email that's on you know, the what on there for the Patreon request and stuff to let me know the pronunciation. When you <laughs> when you sign up or sign back up to get the shout out correctly yeah 
Because I feel like we're I feel, a couple people have commented on it after the fact. Usually surprised that we got it right, but you know, I don't want to mess up. I feel bad if I do. So there you go. So that's our new and or returning patrons for this week. So Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets, and also probably a good reminder too if you want to get a taste of what the Patreon shows are like. We should probably do because it's been quite a while. We should probably do another free sample full Patreon show soon. Because it's been almost a year since the last time we did that, but people should remember we have in our free thing. I may have, I'm, it should still be in the feed, which I need to get to Red Circle Bed updating it so we have the everything in the feed again. But if it's not in the feed, it's on the Between the Sheets which goes for just about everything. But remember, we took our two Herbie Abrams UWF shows and merged them into one last year that are that's available for free as a taster. So if you haven't listened to that, you can hear more about Blackjack Brawl and all the other Herb Abrams goodness surrounding that. And yeah, because we we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll discuss, you know, Blackjack Brawl on this show, but we'll have more on the other show from when we discussed it before. Yes, so, although I'll, luckily, I believe there is the version we found on YouTube for the for this show had some stuff that was not on the version we used when we did yes. the Patreon. So it won't be the same discussion. Believe that Thank we'll have, we have different we have different stuff to talk about. Yes, yeah. So it's not going to be a a carbon copy of the Patreon show. Yes, exactly. But anyway, we thank all you new patrons, returning patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, come along the way. We thank all of you for your support at patreoncom slash between the sheets. And uh, folks, this NWO shows is going to be a, a a great show. But let me go ahead and tell you. The next show, oh my God, it's gonna be it's gonna be one that uh, if you love the Herb Abrams stuff, if you love the global stuff, you will love the next one. That's oh the God, spoiler. I forgot we talked about this. Yes, we should do that. We're gonna we're gonna have a humdinger of a show, folks, coming up uh, for October. So it's be like ready Herb for Herb Abrams, Paul Heyman, Tom Cassati. <laughs> oh yes, all it, it is one. It's it's going to be a subject that we have talked about on this show a couple of times. So this is not something that you hear, you've heard about a lot, and it's going to be probably the most concise telling of this story that anybody's ever done on a podcast. Oh, so it's going to be the most comprehensive telling of this, I think, ever. Especially yeah, because I'm so, sure I'm going to have to dig into some non-wrestling sources as well. Yeah, so we will... Uh, we're, we're going to have a great one. So you definitely definitely want to get people uh, that you know that uh, aren't with the Patreon. Tell them that, hey, get with the program. Go ahead and put that, that money in. And, uh, yeah, you're going to get some great content coming up in these uh, next two shows. So definitely do that at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. IWTV. Um I've watched uh, more Wild Side lately to get prepared for the upcoming Exile. And, uh, folks, you definitely need to watch the Wild Side TV from August, September 2001. That's all I need to say there. But uh, Bix is now here to talk about everything else that's come up on uh, IWTV this week. Well, August, I think, to September is around, if not then, then right after is around when I started getting the TV Weekly for a little while, too. So we're also getting into that period, which is going to be fun for me. To, cause I, I mean, I was keeping up with it on the um, America One stream, but it was 
different and better, obviously, to actually have it on TV here. So I'm looking forward to that. But all right. So as far as, well, by the time this show is out, stuff that happened or premiered over this past weekend, uh, the latest C4 show from last weekend um, that will be will have premiered and be on, available on demand by the time you listen to this, featuring the main event of Daniel Garcia versus Speedball Mike Bailey. And let's see, is there anything else on there we should mention uh, of note? Dark Order's on the card. So, good-looking show from C4, which I believe is their first show since the pandemic. That's pretty cool there. And then tons of stuff that will have been live-streamed this weekend. Um, another AIW show, uh, Sean Henderson Presents, which I'm not really sure what that is, but it's at the H2O venue in Jersey, and it's, they have an interesting card that includes Anthony Green versus Two Cold Scorpio, and Alex Colon versus Colby Carino in a barbed wire match. I mean, being There's a lot of barbed wire matches these days just straight up barbed wire match no and being that cologne might very well be the best deathmatch wrestler in the world and colby's as good as he is that's a very interesting match on paper so look looking forward to that of course h2o has two oh no they only have one show proper this weekend they have their hustle mania um there's an invictus show which i think colby's on that too don't they make watches no, that's Invicta, not to be infused with Invicta MMA, which... Okay, no, 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 he's, uh, he's not on that one. I was confusing that with something else, but that's up this weekend. With Dan Danhausen versus Big Game Leroy is your main event on that one. And was there any... Leroy Howard? No, uh, Leroy, the, the former Leroy Green from House of Glory. He's the, one, he's the one that did the viral video with the gimmick where he's co- able to constantly play his Nintendo Switch during matches that went kind of uh, viral like a year or two ago. Which, it's funny, there was something like that now, that, that stuff that goes viral, like, a year ago, ages uh, worse than something from 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way our world is. Yeah, it's easy to forget stuff now. And mm-hmm. uh, also, over the weekend, there was there was a uh, show from the Carinos PWF titled, There Is No Budget for Ice Cream Bars. But they do not have the match listing up on the IWTV site, so I'm not sure exactly what's on that one. And then there was and obviously no ice cream bars. Well, that's in the title. So then, as far as new VOD, uh, let's see what we have here. Looks like maybe more of that title stuff from the UK went up. New Camp Leap Frogs. A lot of the usual suspects. Pro Wrestling Magic had a new show. Or two. Well, a new show, and they put up an older one. Uh, New South has a new show featuring Colby Carino versus Adam Priest. Colby's all over a lot of uh, IWTV stuff lately, isn't he? Oh, well, I mean... Maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely made a hell of a comeback, you know? Um, it, it, after all the stuff he went through recently, I mean, he's, he's guns blazing right now, and God bless him. He's He's still young, and you know he's coming to his own as a performer. And yeah, I mean, let, go out there and do it, man. Yep. And yeah, he he is four years sober this November. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yep. I mean, because his his dad, I, now God knows his dad worked all over the place. 
So, yeah, go out there and do it. Yes. So, good to see Colby doing well, friend of the show. So, looking forward to all that stuff. So, IWTV, yes, if you want to subscribe, independentwrestling.tv. The code BTSPOD will not get you any coupon bonuses for now, but as long as you're a paid subscriber, we will get a referral fee from IWTV. So, if you're signing up anyway, why not use code BTSPOD? at independentwrestling.tv. And as always, all this stuff is also in the show notes, too. Yes. All right, and the Viper VPN. Yes. Drop that Drop that one real quick. Yes. We got the, uh, whatchamacallit, the depo- or they started putting the deposit. I got the email a day or two ago, and it was actually more than I realized it was for this month. So that was nice. But, yeah, like we said before, like, just if we're being blunt, like, Outside, you know, Patreon continued support or whatever. But if you like, if you're looking for something that will reward us in a surprisingly robust way in just one shot, we get a very healthy percentage of what you're paying when you view Viber VPN through our link at tinyurl.com/slash/btsvpn. Like, I was shocked when I first heard it, and it's been exactly what they said it would be, and it's been pretty fantastic and you know like we said since the beginning this is here because i signed up for the service i liked it and was curious to see if they had any kind of referral program or sponsorship or anything. yeah 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 exactly you you went and got that thing first before anything else yes because i was looking for a vpn to try and because of the price and what they offer and you know especially i wanted one with an android tv app so it would be easier to you know stream stuff on the android tv box i have from Verizon that they gave me for free when I got Fios. And it works great. You know, they have plenty of countries, great speeds, great security features, verified that they don't keep logs for, you know, as far as privacy benefits. Just really, really good service. You know, and to get the best deal, which is 60 bucks for three years, although they have some other good deals too, but that's the best one. And that's less than $1.67 a month. You go to tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. All right. Plug time. Uh, Yeah, plug cover to cover last week. So if you haven't listened to that, do that. It's a uh, really fun show. So uh, there's that. Exile on Bad Street will be recorded. Uh, uh, this week as you're listening to this so that will be out very soon so be on the lookout for that as we will discuss the August through September months of 2001 and Wildside and like I said some fantastic television and we'll talk about Wildside running the weekend after September 11th one of the indie promotions to do that and how uh, how the mindset was at that time in the promotion among the staff and everything so uh should be a very interesting show, to say the least. And uh, Jeff and Dan always great on these shows, so everybody check that out when it drops. Now, next week's Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1984, and we'll talk to uh, John McAdam for the first time in a long time. He'll be back with us. And uh, we'll be talking about all the stuff going on in Japan as Ricky Choshu's army jumps to all Japan. Well, kind of, as they join with... Mr. Otsuka, so we'll have the all the rundown on that uh, from the Japan side, all Japan side. Lots of information there. More than I thought it was going to be. The Observer had a health, healthy Japanese section at that time from an unnamed source. That's what it was. 
In the Observer, that's what it said. Unnamed source. <laughs> Japanese wrestling by unnamed source. <laughs> oh, it wasn't written by Dave. It was written by whoever this mysterious unnamed source was. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's I what remember, it said. I remembered some of this because I think we put a little when we did those for early Patreon 84 shows. shows. Yeah. Yeah. We, so a, we talked about yeah. a little of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have that and all this stuff going on as all three promotions all train new train and uwf all start up tours and are all pretty pissed off at each other for various reasons so we'll talk about I don't that know why well it's that time then we got all the uh, other stuff all, you know for the territories we got all kind of fun clips there and of course uh, we got wf where we'll have some uh, fun clips there and talk about george scott gaining more and more power as time goes on and Dave's thoughts on that, plus other things. World class Chris Adams heel turn. We'll talk about the aftermath of that, and all this uh, other stuff going on. So really fun show as always. Nineteen eighty four has a lot of fun, interesting things, and all kind of good clips. So definitely check that out next Monday when it drops in between the sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L L N E R. You can follow the show proper at BT Sheets Pie Bix at David Bix, and uh, well. You know, last week we recorded this segment before Dark Side of the Ring aired. Yes. And now we're recording after Dark Side of the Ring aired, uh, the Plane Ride from Hell show. Yes. And uh, I guess I'll ask you here, uh, did the show meet your expectations? Yes. In- <laughs> because let, let's, let me, let's be honest. I mean, you are a researcher, but you, you do not see the shows until they air. No, I'm not part of production. At all, no. Yeah, so you don't. You'll see them when we see them. Pretty much, yes. Yes. All right. So, admit your expectations. Now, the aftermath, everything that's gone on. We should be clear social- just to root this moment in time, in case someone's listening a few weeks later. This is after the plane ride from L one. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. about. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so this is so. We've had the social media backlash. We've had Ric Flair, um, you know, not backing down, so to speak, from uh, the stuff that's going on here. We've had Tommy Dreamer and all of his controversy and RVD and his, his involvement with the whole Ric Flair thing. So uh, what are your thoughts well, on all this? And even like, you know, um, well, there was the coaching thing, too. We've had certain wrestling sites trying to look stuff up about the flight attendant, Heidi Doyle, in a very shitty way, which like. So where do you want me to start? All right, we'll talk about uh, let's talk about Flair. I mean, it's still very early and all that. I mean, Flair was basically removed from New York Comic Con after this, and uh, he was a vendor guest, but the vendor has stopped uh, promoting him. Yeah. yeah, so, but he's not backing down, you know, and he's. He's going to defend his honor, so to speak. So did did you expect he would do that, or did you think that he would apologize, or what are, you, what are your thoughts? I, I honestly wasn't sure what would happen, I don't think, um, for a number of reasons. You know, because the story was out there, not just that it was out there, but that it was in that Grantland article about him, you know? Obviously, it's different to hear Heidi Doyle recounting it, and that's going to impact people more, even if they already knew about it. But 
I wasn't really sure what would happen. I figured there would probably be some kind of impact. I'm not sure if I foresaw Car Shield pulling the ads or anything from everywhere. Yeah, and one thing that I that was noticed that before we started recording the show that I don't think anybody mentioned Monday, but or Tuesday. Uh, for NXT, you know, in the WWE opening montage where they show all the, you know, the old older clips and stuff, Rick Rick Flair's removed and was replaced by the Ultimate Warrior of all people. <laughs> okay, wait a second. I mean, I did see this, but okay. So to be clear, because of an allegation that one wrestler sexually assaulted a woman on an airplane. They replaced him with a wrestler who multiple other wrestlers have said sexually assaulted a woman on an airplane. Yeah. WWE, everybody. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, that's that story initially that Janetti told, but that a lot like you can back me up on this. A lot of people who were on that flight packed up involving college kids being given GHB and then what warrior groping the girl and yeah, but all right. So Rob Van Dam, who came out on Twitter and basically said that he was a victim of selective editing. Uh, your thoughts? Okay. Not having seen the full interview, knowing what the allegation was, why would he use the words trying to make her touch him if he didn't mean it as a confirmation of the allegation? Didn't seem didn't seem so uh, selective editing to me. It seemed like no, it was uh, it like a stream of stream of consciousness. Thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed very continuous. Like, um, you know, I believe the soundbite um starts and ends with him off screen, but that's just typical documentary, you know, B roll stuff. It all sounds very smooth, and. Like it, like his thing. Oh, I meant him, kind of crowding her. That so it, in in that way he was trying to make her touch. It was like no. <laughs> oh. oh, meanwhile, uh, breaking news as we're recording this. Looks like by the time the show is up, I will have finally met our good friend Lenny Leonard because he's calling the GCW show uh, the Friday after re- recording this, but before it comes out. Well, that's great. It's great. Anytime Lenny gets work, is great. Yes. So I'm presuming this is because. Uh, our friend Dave Prezak is under the weather that it's last second. And that's why it's a late announcement. Um, yes. So there's that. Yeah. Dave, uh, Dave has some uh, issues. Uh, he got kind well, of, they, uh, were, they were audible during the LA show. <laughs> yeah. You could tell he's got some throat issues, sore throat and stuff like that. So it, it, you, when your job is to talk, <laughs> I mean, that's one of those things that you kind of, uh, have to be careful with so yeah so this is great we hope for the best hear, hear lenny back too but yes we wish the best yeah uh, under the un, yeah under the circumstances i'm sure lenny you know wouldn't want day not ha- not to be there it would be great to have them announced together yes as they did it maybe uh, that will be spring bake in the fall last year yes maybe that will be happening more often yes and, that would be we, very nice yes. nod nod so anyway so yes and uh, uh, uh we're back to yeah, about the dark side. So Tommy Dreamer, uh, he became like uh, the number one villain out of all this after the show, even more than Ric Flair. I think because it was more immediate. 
in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, also yeah, the Ric Flair think... th- because, because the Ric Flair thing happened in 2002 and Tommy Dreamer's thing happened in 2021. <laughs> right. I don't, th- I think also because initially people weren't necessarily foreseeing that Flair would actually face any kind of consequences right now. And, you know? and basically, and it's also like you said that people knew that a lot of people knew the j- basic gist of what happened. But weren't expecting somebody to come out and try to rationalize the actions. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, that was... I'm not surprised that a Tommy Dreamer or someone of that era or ilk, whatever you want to say, would feel the way he did. I'm surprised, given how carefully cultivated his good guy persona is, that he would actually say it in a, on a television show. Yeah, I don't know if there's even that much more to say. Which is like, also, I mean, yeah, something just, to think about. Go ahead. It's just, it, I mean, it, he put himself in a bad spot. I mean, wow. Well, also though, like, as far as going, you know, eventually filing a lawsuit instead of going to police or whatever. A, all the shit with the her husband, even and the charter company begging her not to do anything, you know, which is not mentioned in the episode. She ended up suing the charter company for sexual harassment a few years later after, you know, a few years after that, after the flight lawsuit. And, you know, to do that, and it's mentioned in the lawsuit, you have to go to the EEOC and file a complaint first and have them find that there's grounds for sexual harassment, a sexual harassment lawsuit, and they did. And the complaint even mentions the plane ride from hell. So... The EEOC looked at all this and felt she had grounds. On top of everything else, um, where was I going with that, though? So Dreamer, but yeah, Dreamer just more immediate. I think that's why he was getting the brunt initially. And then, you know, Flair released his various statements, which, (laughs) okay. Oh, man. I saw some people arguing on Reddit that, some people were reading the first flare statement disingenuously that it was wrong to read it as he's saying, Oh, Rory Karp is a liar. Rory Karp who did the 30 for 30, but he did this interview, which he did with Nick Hausman, um, you know, saying he had never heard of Rick forcing himself on anyone. But so it's like, Oh, this, this guy's a liar, but this one thing now believe him because it's good for me. Some I saw some people saying that the idea is no, even this person who lies about me is saying this. I don't know. It was still dumb. And then there was the second statement, which I guess the, he sent to Wrestling Inc. and no one else. Well, his people sent to Wrestling Inc. and no one else, I guess, because they did the Rory Karpf interview where he admits to his quote-unquote helicopter trick and does seem to be f- f- freely admitting that he understands now that constantly taking his dick out was wrong. Right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's the way it, it felt, which surprised me. But he's still denying the rest. But here's the thing. We talked about this a little off the air, and I mentioned some stuff about it on Twitter. Given the generation he's from and a bunch of other stuff, who's to say that Ric Flair hears, thinks of the words force himself on as a stranger in the bushes with a knife? Yeah, it's, yeah, they, they, they think it's like full-on rape. Which I don't even, I wouldn't even put it that way. I just mean it, 
it's the way that some, well, there are some people that would even think of that as only being a stranger in an alley or the bushes with a knife. My my thing with Rick is, I'm pretty damn positive that Rick was so fucked up he don't even remember this happening. Well, that too. Which, I mean, there's obviously a way a lawyer would need to massage it, but I kind of feel like the thing like he could have done that would have at least saved the most face would be to say something like, "Look, like the." More of the statement, like, where he talked about his drinking and stuff, like, I know I didn't always do the right thing when I was drunk, and there are things I don't remember, and any, and if there's anyone I ever harmed while drunk, I apologize, like, something like that. Maybe there, I mean, maybe there is more liability to that than I'm thinking, but, you know what I mean? Like, there are ways he could have done this, though, without even outright admitting Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and there's obviously, I would say, proof that he was fucked up because i mean all the stories about what was going on in the plane and how he was you know partaking of all the the booze and stuff and everything i mean it's pretty obvious that he was fucked up so but yeah i mean shit happens though you know i mean yes and well the other thing the other thing that was ridiculous though and i won't be descriptive because i don't want to if we're not giving out warnings and stuff but he also said, like, you know, I talk about all my drinking and my drinking issues and some of the things I'm not proud of in my books. You know, the old one with Keith Elliott Greenberg and Mark Madden and the newer one with Charlotte slash Ashley and whoever the ghostwriter was. Why are you talking about your books? Well, one of your books also includes one of your oldest friends, Dave Crockett, talking about you often doing other forcible touching with women. Yeah. Like, just... uh, whoever his rep is... <laughs> I don't know them. They don't either. They're what? not good at their uh, job, or he just. Who's, well, wait a minute. Is he still with what's her name? That was with Lawrence Taylor. I think the one you're thinking of, he dropped after the hospital stay and whatever she botched about the handling of that. Yeah, because he always used to talk about her all the time. Yeah. No, I think and he hasn't been his agent in like four years. And Heidi Doyle. I mean, God bless her. I mean, to come forward like that for the first time in public telling that story yeah. i mean good lord that she's a brave woman to do that and yeah i also just God. don't get how anyone could hear her talk and not believe her because there has to be people like that that's the world we live in these days there have yeah. to be antagonists to everything i could tell you right now if i could i could walk outside and tell you right now that there are leaves on these trees I'm looking at right now outside my door, and there would be, I'm sure, somebody that would say, oh, those aren't leaves. I mean, I, 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 I guarantee you, that's just the way the world is now. People, There are people that have to be antagonists yes. in every way. That's how they get off. That's where all this shit that goes on now with, with these with the wrestling fans, you know, these WWE, you know, nut jobs. I mean, they're doing that on purpose. I, they, Honestly, in my opinion, I think a lot of these folks don't even believe what they're saying. They're just mm-hmm. saying this to try to piss people off. Maybe. Of course it is. No, of course it is. There this is the way the world is. Other thing I do want to say about Flair, though, which is that, again, none of this is defending him, but I think part of what's going on and how his denials and stuff are being worded the way they are, too, is that I kind of get the vibe that he might think that if his goal was not sex if his goal was quote unquote whatever joke or whatever he it was in his mind that he thinks it like that he might think it's okay and that it's not yeah. what he's being accused of like 
my gut is that it's probably some mix of those kinds of things. It does, and, it's I mean, not it's, a defense. It doesn't really make what the he's culture. doing any better. It was the culture. It, it's re- that wrestling culture. You know, look at all the look at all these different types of ribs those guys were pulling on each other. You know, I mean, good lord, that's yeah. just the way the wrestling culture was. Doesn't make it right, but that's the way it was. And I actually did go out of my way and listen because I was very curious to see how he'd handle it. I did listen to Cornette's take on this. It was honestly better than I expected. And one of the things he said that was I thought was kind of interesting insight is like there's a point where Flair probably did regularly have um willing audiences constantly of people in and outside the business for that. You know, the, Oh yeah, that was that, that was his the, the high spot. The high, the high spot was everybody. Everybody wanted. I mean, they said it in the show. Everybody the wanted to see him in the robe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was his high spot. And you know, but even including women who weren't in the business and other people who were in the business, whatever. But the thing is, oh, like, yeah. that's when he's in territories. Everyone at the bar is at the hotel bar, or whatever is there for him in the wrestling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got you got you got the room. You got to read the room, right? Whereas, eventually, it's just people who are there. This woman's doing her job, right? You know, and God bless. I mean, all the other stuff that we didn't talk about, like the Kurt Henning, Brock Lesnar thing, and then Scott Hall. You know, his and we know he was fucked up. Yeah. And then you had the, the Michael Hayes's ponytail cut off and. That's all the shit that was going on in that show. Just Gold Dust singing Dave Allen Coe to Terry Runnels. I mean, <laughs> wow. And, and the whole thing, Vince and Linda were on this flight. Well, okay. <laughs> now it's looking like they were not. Well, they said they were. Okay, so he, I don't even know anymore. Dave reported, I believe it was the Dave Melter report at the time they were not. But... All of the people, Jim Ross said Vince McMahon was sitting well, on no, no, the no, no, flight. That's where I'm going with this. The way yeah. Evan explained it is that everyone met, they in, they talked to said it, and unprompted. It was all coming out naturally as part of other stories. So I don't know. It's weird. Now I J- think- Jr. said Vince told him to handle it. That was his job. I mean. There you go. I wouldn't be shocked either way at this point, just because of how memories are. It is one of the weirder things about what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was it's a wild show. I mean, it was maybe the the best Dark Side of the Ring yet, as far as the Dark Side of the Ring show. I mean, you had everything in there. Yeah. I mean, so so yeah, that was a hell of a show. If you haven't seen it, you need, need to watch it. And uh, this this week's show will be on Chris Canyon, which that will probably get depressing. So, and well, I haven't seen it, but wouldn't even be shocking if it also included Ric Flair being kind of an asshole because of the Howard Stern thing. Yeah. So. Yes. And then yeah. uh, what was the episode order again? Oh, I just, I just one week at a time. That's all I really know. Let me but pull it up again real quick. I'm sure it's up. But anyway, yeah, Canyon's on there, so there's that. Yes, it's uh okay. Again, it's Canyon FMW the week after. Oh wait, this isn't showing it. Where's the Wikipedia? Uh, Dark Side of Ring Wiki, because that's probably the quickest way to see it. 
Okay. Oh, Brock Lesnar too. Do we want to talk about that real quick? I mean, that story is also was also out there, but still. You know, Terry told that story in two in like two thousand two or three. It was like two thousand four, I think, in a torch talk. Yeah. So that story has been out there for a long but time. Then she tweeted that she didn't really see it as sexual harassment. She saw it as him being like an obnoxious older brother. Yeah. So she's had different different reactions towards that over the years. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the rest of the season, in order, is FMW Johnny K Nine slash Bruiser Bedlam Luna Vachon XPW and then Steroid Trial. Yeah, so. so that's what you have to look yeah. at. And since we didn't do plugs for me necessarily, like, what, there's the one article coming up at Mel. There was something that was taking time to edit it, but that's coming. I should maybe have something at Fan by two in the next week or so. So there is some stuff coming up. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to other North America now, and we begin with TCW. And they ran key, the Keystone Center in Brandon, Manitoba on uh, September 26th. We have Randy Rhodes, not the Randy Rhodes of Ozzy Osbourne fame, beating Bruiser Bastine. That's an interesting name. Easy Rider defeated Steve Stryker by count out. Oh, so is this flowable, Randy Rhodes? Probably not. I, got, I don't think so, but it's I the same spelling. It. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, Bulldog Bob Brown and Kerry Brown defeated Paul Marco and Gene Swan. Eddie Watts over Champagne Jerry Morrow. And your main event, the Battle of the Supermodels, the natural Don Callis went to a double countout with Rip Marteau. Have you ever seen any of this stuff? I mean, well, I mean, this feud at least, because this the stuff I've seen is from WFWA slash IWA. I mean, I've seen a little of their stuff. So. They had good chemistry. Well, you know, I've never, I've never watched any of the tag game stuff, but from what I've seen, and their feud was pretty good. Although it's weird seeing model Rick Martel as a babyface. Well, I mean, he could do it. He can get away with it. He's, he's just Rick Martel as babyface. Rick Martel wearing the model stuff, pretty much. Yeah, I know. I would pop if his music played as a babyface. So there you go. Can you imagine what a Bob Brown match is like in 1995? Obviously, 94. Probably as bad as bad as it would have been 1984. Eh, I think it'd be worse. Mm-hmm, yeah. All right, let's go to the West Coast of Canada. West Coast Championship Wrestling drew their biggest crowd to date on September 24th at Cloverdale, British Columbia. 685 paid, about 720 total fans when they brought in Tito Santana, Rip Martel, and Doink Osborne. Matt Bourne is doink. All right, our full results here. Buddy Wayne, front officer's trainer, and Bart Sawyer beat Atomic Punk and Ole Olsen. Johnny Canuck over Skull Crusher. Timmy Flowers over The Trash Man by disqualification. The Bodyguard over Rocky Della Sera. Doink the Osborne over Michelle Starr. And Strike Force Collides as Tito Santana beats Rick Martel by disqualification. I think there's a handheld of this show out there. I've never seen it, so I wouldn't know. I had it at the end of another tape, I think, and I think it's on YouTube. But I think the show is actually out there. And I'm guessing, at this point, maybe we should just start addressing it when we talk about Northwest Buddy Wayne. We should call him Nick Wayne's father instead of Brian Alvarez's trainer. He's Brian Alvarez's trainer. <laughs> I mean, Nick Wayne is nowhere near even close to a name like Brian Alvarez. He's so. on a lot of GCW shows now. Yeah, but 
Brian Alvarez is love him or hate him has been around for well over 20 years and has an established brand so yes and he's worked very hard for 10 of those hey well i mean it is what it is so all right uh let's go to mexico the trio's titles change hands on september 23 and AAA show at tijuana as los payasos regained the titles from super muñeco il desato at ajusteca since payasos are in the middle of a turn they weren't the entire first fall and most of the second fall scientifically and won the first fall. They continued to work as technicos in the second fall when Rojo Azul, Coco Rojo, uh, used the tombstone pile driver on Azteca. This hold is the killer hold in Mexico, the Martinette on that DQ. Azteca sold this huge never moving and being carried on a stretcher between falls. In fact, backstage after the show, more than one hour after this happened, with nobody but the wrestlers and the TV production staff and Chris Cruz and Mike Tanay from WCW doing interviews, Azteca never got off the stretcher until he finally left the building in a net brace. It was then announced at the, t- at the television tape the next night that the injury was so severe that Azteca's career was over. Like somebody's getting a gimmick change. Anyway, they left it two on three in the third fall. Santo Mendoza submit to the uh, clutch, but he wasn't the captain. That's still faced by Santo and Mineco, Santo and, and uh, the Yellow Clown, <laughs> Coco Amarillo, were left in the ring, and Santo kicked in near falls, but Terrantes would count slow. Finally, the Yellow Clown, Amarillo, missed the moonsault, and Santo got him in the camel clutch, but Red Clown, Coco Rojo, <laughs> who had been eliminated, interferes on Matt DQ, but both for us missed it and reversed things, and the Yellow Clown made Santo submit to the camel clutch, which would be the equivalent of, of Von Eric submitted to an Iron Claw, since that was his father's winning hold, and his. Now, besides the tr- tr- trio's title change, Tijuana was another hot show, with the crowd a few hundred shot capacity. From the Heat standpoint, it was the best show since Dave's been going to the Tijuana shows. Although since they just had the technicos destroyed the uh, since they had the Rudos destroyed the technicos, it was all brawling. It couldn't match the past few shows for the great spots. The opener deserves to mention because they went twenty six thirty three, and their session about four minutes in the third fall when the match fell apart as they lost their rhythm. It was a great match. Vagabundo, a local kid, looks to be all of seventeen, like a younger Sean Waltman, did the move of the night. He ran across the ring, jumped on the referee's shoulders. The ref was bending down to count the wrestlers, brawl on the floor, leaped off his shoulders onto the top rope and did a high springboard punch on the top rope onto the wrestlers on the floor. Not too shabby. They debuted video walls of this show, and people were going crazy as they showed the replay that moved over and over between the matches. The match had excellent heat from start to finish, which is really a compliment since these were local wrestlers who had never appeared on television. Second match saw Tony Arce, Volcado at Rocavallete, the Destructores destroyed El Mariachi, Heavy Metal, and Latin Lover. Two straight falls. The Rudos were decayed in both falls being so brutal. Metal, in particular, juiced a gusher and they continued to destroy the Technicos long after the match. It was the Destructores' revenge for Vulcano losing his hair and Arce Valente losing their tag titles in Monterrey on September 11th. Arce, in particular, destroyed Metal to build to their hair match on September 28th. With one hot spot where Metal did a tope and Arce picked up a chair to block it, Metal. Metal took in the chair, and this was after he'd been bloodied up. Then Sacosis, Tierra Estrada, and Fuzzle Guerrero destroyed Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Octagon in two straight falls in a mass gripping fest, which saw Mysterio bleed. Then came the Payasos, when the tag title in the process being Santo, his favorite holding, and he has career. And after all that, the main event had to have a Rudo win because it matched up Rudo Trio, Cien Blue Panther and Fishman against Rudo Trio, Conan, 
Love Machine and Chicano Power. Match had super heat, particularly for Cien and Conan, with everyone behind Cien even in Conan's hometown, quote-unquote. The match was very good in spots and other times, like when Chicano was in the ring, it was pretty bad, but the heat never died down. Conan juiced like crazy, and in a sake finish, Cien picked Conan with Conan's winning move, the Fisherman Suplex, and it appeared they were sending up Conan defending his heavyweight title against Cien Caras. Full results. 4,800 in the house. El Angel of Vagabundo and Prince of Universal with the double count-out with Asushia, Phobia, and Pandiero won. Three and a quarter stars. El Mariachi, Heavy Metal, Latin Lover over Los Destructores by DeHue. Three and three quarter stars. Buzz Guerrero, Jerry Jarlin, Tocosis over Octagon and the Rey Mysterio family. Three and three quarter stars. Then the uh, Payasos winning the Mexican National Trio titles over Angel Azteca, Il de Santo Super Muñeco. Three and a half stars. And then Pupanto, Cien Caras, Fisherman of Chicano Power, Conan and Love Machine, three stars. Okay. And those are Dave's <laughs> ratings, right? Uh, that's Dr. Lucha's ratings, I think. Um, but Dave, Dave's at the show, though. Yeah, but Dave doesn't, doesn't didn't rate anything in the, in the oh, newsletter. Oh, that's a good point. So where would, when would Dr. Lucha's star ratings have appeared anywhere, though? He's not doing Lucha Libre Weekly. I don't know. Oh, is there maybe, maybe was it a separate thing in the results Dave, section credited? Yeah, Dave brought Dave maybe did in the results section. Now that I think about it, yeah, you, that's the point. Oh, so okay, so they, those may still be Dave's ratings though, too. Yeah, there's prob it could have been. Yeah. Okay, so if you've never seen it or read this, Beyond Hell is Tech and, uh, angle may still sound familiar with you, and here's why. It's mentioned at Men's World Collide by Tanay and Cruz to get over the Martinette in the Mass vs. Air match. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is he takes some time off from being on Hellas Teca as Charo into 95 and then eventually comes not back the, as on Not the famous dancer Charo. Yes. And now, I don't think he had the surgery to do that. Oz Charo is a different wrestler. Right. Yes. Yes. Is there any relation or association there? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It's oh, I see. Charo means horseman, and Oz Charo means ace horseman. Well, there you go. How about that? Yes. And Oz Charo has one of the best pieces of entrance gear in the history of wrestling: the giant embroidered po custom poncho with his name and his image on it, with the mask and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway. thoughts here. Um, looks like a hell of a show on paper. And of course, since you didn't actually, we should note that Mariachi is Solar. Yes. And I don't know why he's not Solar during this run, since he's such a big name. But well, they were good. They repackaged a lot of people. So... Well, this period they were repackaging a lot of people. Yeah. Even if they were because they were trying. To... They were doing a, a WWE type of thing. Yeah. They were taking these people that were established in other gimmicks in, in their before in their pre AAA era and giving them new gimmicks. So who would be the biggest stars we would say that got that treatment? Solar, Massacre, because it was it was Massacre that wrestled as Dracula, right? He wrestled under many things. Yeah. Um Hakimate. What was Hakimate in AAA? Oh god, he he, he was a few things. He was monster. No, that's that's a Verdugo. Hombre Bala. Hombre Bala was No, monster. excuse me, Hombre Bala. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember which which of the Buccaneeros it was. 
Um, okay, wait. So Jake Mate. Um, Hakamate no, was, was just Hakamate. He had other gimmicks, though, I think. Lucha with PE only has his debut being as Scorviken. Infermo Jr. from seven earlier on, and Hakemate from August 88 to now. Okay, well, maybe I was thinking of somebody else then. Which, of course, means checkmate. Yeah, so. But, yeah. Um. Verdugo, I know he was, uh. Oh, God, what was he? He had one, too. Um, Troglodita. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was that one. Uh, yeah, it's a whole Ombrebala. Of course, Ombrebala. Yeah. In uh, Fantasma della Opera in AAA. Mm-hmm. So he was that. Yeah, not as big uh, a name as Solar, of course, but. No. A fairly big name to get recognized like that. Holy shit, even though it's not AAA, Pirata Morgan was once uh, Violencia in Promo Azteca. That's a that's a pretty big name to be repackaging, and that's in AAA. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot. A lot of those guys were doing different things. Those guys from the '80s and stuff. That, um, like I said, just it felt that they needed to be repackaged. So, all right, the next night in Mexicali drew nine thousand fans, where Mysterioso kept the IWC middleweight title being Rey Mysterio. In the student versus teacher match, a senior. And Conan, Love Machine, and Chicano Power won straight falls from the Piazzos using brass knucks on both falls. Gringo Locos just continued destroying them until, ironically, based on what happened in night four, Sato and Octagon ran out to make the save. Well, I mean, they got a bit up to that Win Worlds Collide show, Dave. Yeah. So that's why they did that. All right, um, results here. Interesting looking show. Evie Metal, Latin Lover, and Rey Mysterio Jr. over Los Destructores, Rocco Valente, Tony Arce, Volcano, not too shabby. Then uh, the Mysterioso Rey Mysterio match. Um, DQ for Volcano throwing a drink at Mysterio. Mysterio Duck and Interantes taking the drink in the face. Then Io de Santo, Otagono, Super Muñeco over Blue Panther, Fuzzacarera, and Psychosis. Good lord. Once Psychosis took a crazy fall to the floor, and then the main event. Where uh, the Gringo Locos and the Payasos. That's a hell of a fucking card. Man, Triple A. I mean, they were as good as anybody was at this point in time, talent wise, in their promotion. Absolutely. Uh, yes. And also, with it being such a loaded show, instead of getting the feeling you kind of had at other points where Chicano Power feels like one of your, you're putting too many people in the NWO guys with Gringo's Locos. Here, it feels more like it's elevating him. Yes. Because yeah. it's not like a sparse show, no one's touring Japan, that he's... Re- well, maybe there is people report touring Japan, but still. He's not... He doesn't feel like a replacement level wrestler. Not at this point in time. Not in th- not here. Okay. No. That's right. Eddie's not on tour. On this tour. That's going... Oh, uh, yeah, he was. Oh, no, he is. Talk- yeah, but we should talk about it. He's the, on- he's the only one. Okay. <laughs> he's the only one. All right, the biggest show prior to Win Worlds Collide was on September 28th in Veracruz for a one-night trios tournament for the Copa Tripre A. This was a card that was originally scheduled for September 30th at Hinacha Juan de la Barrera to go head-to-head with CMLL's big show. However, the government put the building and they moved it to Veracruz and made the major announcement of the show for September 30th 
But then because that building was then taken, they had to move it to September 28th. And they're drawing a sellout house of over 10,000 people. The Copa Triple R uh, tournament it came down to Pedro Aguayo, Yoda Santo, and Blue Panther as a trio, meaning Conan, Le Machine, and Chicano Power. Earlier in the show, Evie Metal won the Harris Hair match. Caballero Cocho Caballero over Tony Arce. Arce won the first fall. They did a gimmick where Arce was injured. It was unable to answer the bell for the second fall. Interesting finish. All right. This was a anniversario type show for Triple I here. So, some interesting matches. Bali, Sugriya, Sugriva, in winners. Bizonegro over Ilda Espresso, Picudo, and Ravagna as your opening match. El Taro, El Mariachi, and El Mexicano Bix. So, here's Most El Taro. Funny how, yes. Funny how that, that gimmick is here. Uh, and at the Athens Tucker gets uh, creamed out by the two of Oh, um, and how could I forget to ask you, Bix? Uh, Bally. Who was Bally? Ooh, well, he's one of the monkeys that Bobby Heenan was making fun of. I know that. So that's his yeah. gimmick. But who does Bally become? Isn't that another Black Warrior gimmick? Yeah, it sure is. How about Sugriva? This is going to be tough. Now, is Sugriva another monkey? Or something else. Uh, well, it's a teammate of Bali and Winners here. But Winners is not a monkey. <laughs> winners, Winners is another Super Calo at this point, basically. That's why I'm asking. I don't remember Sagriva, so I don't. I don't even remember the gimmick. It's not a. It was not a long gimmick. Like any guesses? Can you describe the gimmick to me at least? It's what might ring a bell. Uh, I haven't seen Sagriva in a long time, so I, I I don't remember what the gimmick was. So I don't know. I'll just leave that to you. But I know who it was. Okay. Salcero. Of course. Yeah, so there's that. All right, Charo, Mariachi, Mexicano, with Jerry Estrada, La Parca, and Sacosis. Your second match. Otigon, Otigoncito, and Rey Mysterio Jr. over Fuerza Guerrera, Fuerza Guerrera, and Juventud Guerrera. Four stars. Blue Panther, Love Machine, over Tinebles, Universal Dos Mil. That's seceding for the, the AAA uh, Copa matches. Evan Metal over Tony Arce, Caballero, Coach Caballero. Three and a third stars, Big. Do you want to describe how we get a three and a third stars? Because it's Dr. Lucha star ratings. <laughs> so there you go. That's a, that tells you, Big. So I guess that is uh, Dr. Lucha's ratings on that first show. Well, isn't at least it? That, this one is, it is, yes. Mascara Sagrada, Tenebulous, and Tenebulous Jr. Uh, defeated uh, Los Hermanos Dinamita in the uh, Copa Triple Trios consolation match. Three and a quarter stars. So, consolation match, meaning third place match. Yeah, and then the finals. Bupanta, Ilda Santo, and Paraguayo over Chicago Power, Conan, the Machine. Four and a half stars, one of the best matches of the night. Machine tried to march against Panther, but Tarantas broke it up. Conan destroyed Pero with a chair. Pero came back, destroyed Love Machine, and Conan with a chair. Panther tried to march against Love Machine. Tarantas broke that up, too. After dies, Panther rolled up Love Machine when Machine tried to powerbomb. Yeah. They're smoking hot promotion. Absolutely. Hot matches, hot, hot angles. Yep. And unfortunately, due to factors outside of their control, that's about to come to a screeching halt. Yeah, but they're rolling right now. Mm-hmm. All right, CMLL, the uh, September 23rd anniversario show, week one of two. They had two weeks. That's why AAA was trying to run against them on the 30th. Uh, saw Negro Casas beat Mocha Cota on top in a one fall to the finish Caballero Coach Caballero match, which only drew 4,000 fans, which is a big disappointment. 
Satanico's debut match at the jump in a few days earlier was on this show in a trios match, and he made Ultimo Dragon submit to in the middle of the ring in the third fall. And the final split up of Los Brazos occurred on September 23rd as they were wrestling Felino, Gromacus Jr., and Mano Negra, where El Brazo turned Rudo on his two brothers, causing him to lose. Our full results here Atlantico and Lipdick Star of the Corazon Salvaje and Tarahumara. Felino, Gromacus Jr., and Mano Negra over the Brazos. Americo Roca, Atlantis, and Aldandi over Javier Cruz, El Maraca, Koki Kitahara, and Petal. What? Koki Kitahara and Petoff and Javier Cruz. But why here? Why now? Enrique Santana and Scorpio Sr. defeated Silver King and Natejano. Oh, and now I see what is there. Bestia Savaje, Emilio Chavez Jr. Satanico defeated Hayabusa, Masara Orihara, and Ultimo Dragon. What a team that is. Okay, so basically for some reason he was coming in with Orihara and Ultimo. Yeah. And then Negra Casa Silva Mochocota, Caballero Coach Caballero. Three and a quarter stars. So not quite as good as it could have been if it was three and a third stars. Uh, no. So yeah, we got the the war group here. Hmm. Uh, and Hayabusa. So. And then there's UWA. They drew 500 fans at El Torreo de Cuatro Caminos in Nacapano September 25th. Which is... The closest comparison to that would be if as we're recording this, if tomorrow night AEW only had 500 people in our Thresh Stadium. Oh, well, Tor- Torreo's way more. Well, I was going to say Torreo's bigger. Torreo's more like 24,000, right? Yeah, basically, it would be like, um, um, I'm trying to think of a stadium that would be a 20,000-seat stadium. Oh, uh, like a, well, th- these might be a little bigger, but like a StubHub, well, that used to be called StubHub Center, or yeah, uh, yeah. maybe yeah, Red Bulls Arena in Jersey. Yeah. Something like that. All right, the Blackbirds, one and two, not Iceman and Brickhouse, and Oriental defeated Loco Valentino, Relicario, and Supriso. Surprise! However, though, here Oriental was played by Harold T. Harris. <laughs> Cosmico and Mator over Bird Boy 1 and Monster Man. Not to be confused with Monster. El Mercenario, Mala Sangre, and Spartico. Over El Seminarista, Nuevo Adaz, and Transformer. I love that someone decided to name themselves Bad Blood in Spanish without the alliteration. <laughs> Scorpio Jr., Suel Guerrero, and Villano 5. Over El Signo, Negro Navarro, and Enrique Santana. And then our main event, Relevos Increíbles, Cibernetico and Villano Tercero over Kinect and Villano 4. Where Cibernetico pin Villano 4, Villano Tercero turned on Cibernetico after the match, setting up their singles match coming up a week later. Sounds delightful, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it could have been decent. It could have been decent, but, five, but oof. That house. My God. Did, mm. did they own the building? Why are they running El Torreo? They didn't own the building. Then, how are they getting such a big building so cheap? They've always been running there. So they must just have had some kind of deal that they had forever. Pretty much. That it wasn't worth just running around yeah, they were grandfathered, They were grandfathered in, yeah. It must have been, because otherwise wouldn't they just run Rina Nakaban? Well, they were running those buildings, too. <laughs> they were running those, too, but I'm saying, like, they would... I would think that would be your main venue if they didn't have some yeah, kind of sweetheart deal but here. They would eventually do that. They quit running Torreo, I think, in 95. Mm. I think they gave it up. But anyway, there you go. There's Lucha. 
All right, let's go to the indie scene now and begin with the ASWF. And let's awesome. go to Reading, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I guess. Let's go to Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, yes, this is going to be one of those shows. Open a match. The bad crew, Dog and Rose, defeated Jeff Gripley and Flex Wheeler. I can take one guess whose promoter's license is being used for the show. <laughs> well, that's a quite a uh, Central Pennsylvania match right there, too. Yeah. Then we got Purple Haze over Dennis Diamond. And that's clearly not Mark Lewin. Well, no. George Anthony and Max, MAXX, over Bonsai Warrior and the Kabuki Kid. Oh, this match right here. Oh, my God. The this Bode- is the worst name I've ever seen. The Bodacious Pretty Boy. I'm so sorry oh. that you have to say these words. <laughs> Defeated Coco Buckwheat. <laughs> and it's spelled T-O-C-O as well. I'm guessing whoever uh, whoever this was was a big fan of Jesse Ventura's uh, Coco yeah, Beware. I don't know if that's an comic. excuse. Well, it's probably the guy announcing his own. I mean, yes, he named himself probably. Perhaps. Um, wow. I would think so. Who knows? It's wrestling, Chris. Or, or, or it could be, or it could be a white guy in blackface, which would make it even even oh, wilder. Oh no. Well, I guess, I guess we figured out either way that maybe this is actually using Rock and Rebels license. <laughs> the Nomad defeated Scott Baker. Then we had Quinn Nash over Dirty D's Darren Wise. You knew I would get upset with you if you did not use Darren Wise's full name. Yeah. Tiny and Cousin Luke defeated Don Deluxe and the Flamingo Kid Pinky. That is definitely a Central Pennsylvania indie match circa 1994. Adam Flash and Christian York over Ranger 7 and Sheik Mustafa. How old is York here? Very young. And then our main event, Greg Dammer Valentine over Salvatore Belomo. Sure. In 1994. So there you go. So Christian York is 17. How about that? Yep, let me see. When did it when did it say he debuted, actually? How far in is he? Okay, his little info box doesn't say it. Does his Wikipedia say? Wikipedia proper. Well, Wikipedia says he may... Oh, see, okay. This is some idiot looking up his first listed cage match match and saying when his debut was. Because here's what his Wikipedia says. He tra- that he trained under Kubel Carmichael and Jimmy Cicero in the IPWA training school and has ring debut at the age of 19 on December 7th, 1996 in Middleport, Ohio in a 30-minute <laughs> hardcore Ironman match against Joey Matthews. Yes, sure. That's going to be his first match. Well, do you think that we could have... A, you don't think there's another Christian York, do you? I, especially wrestling in a part of a con- the country that Christian York would wrestle plenty in? I gotta think it's the same guy. I would think so, too. But anyway. All right, let's go to ECW. And their first out-of-the-area tour took place over the weekend and would have to be classified as a mixed bag. Fan response to the shows on September 23rd in Tampa, Florida, and September 24th in Ocala. Florida was excellent, but Tampa only drew 338, and Ocala just over 600. The Ocala crowd's decent for a city that size. In fact, good, considering it was an indie show, but at some point you'd think profit has to enter the equation. But as mentioned, those who were there raved about both shows. Tampa was more of a typical ECW show with fans being more hardcore into the television. For instance, chanting Dick Flair as Shane Douglas, etc. St. Joe's, etc. Ron Simmons replaced Tuco Scorpio, who was in Germany working for Otto Vance for that 
Fit Billy mentioned a little bit earlier. Although, to this group's credit, they had made the announcement before the show and offered refunds, but he wasn't the right opponent for Sabu. Plus, Simmons at first had qualms about putting Sabu over, but he put him over both nights. Good for Ron. In Tampa, Sabu did a leg drop on the Simmons on the table and landed with his butt flush in Simmons' face and busted Simmons' mouth. Public Enemy Bruce Brothers match ended up with all four men bleeding, brawling all over the building, destroying chairs and everything else, including Johnny Grunge getting his head put through a glass pro- protecting fire extinguisher and fancy in the show chanting ECW and, 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 and that. Then Ocala, the wrestlers were told specifically there could be no brawling outside the barrier, so it was more of a traditional style wrestling show. Although Dave Soto is actually even better than Tampa. The only negative is that Ocala had been heavily promoted around the show being a memorial for famous fighting fathers, in particular Dory Funk Sr. and Duke Kiyomuka. However, Duke's son Pat Tanaka arrived late to the building, so Dory Funk had to wrestle Mr. Hughes instead. Isn't that amazing? He's a wrestler, so he's probably too busy killing you all to get to the <laughs> building in time. Um, the Sabu landing ass first on Simmons' thing almost made me laugh because it's well scorpio no showed but he did no show oh, didn't no show in spirit <laughs> yeah all right so the torch had the results September 23rd. This, i appreciate that on his current indie run he understands that he kind of has to land ass first on people but is now taking better care of them and like so if he's doing some kind of flipping light drop it's probably going to end on your end up like on your belly instead of in your face which is probably the better alternative. Hmm. All right, the results for the torch from Tampa. Dean Malenko over Son Shimura. Yes. Tasmania won a battle royal. They're shot Shane Douglas later that evening. Taz is building ads as a challenger. ECW, everybody. <laughs> ECW, everybody. Ian Rodden Hat Myers defeated Five Delta Slam. Bruno Sassy and Big Tilly. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer over the Sandman. Dorfunt Jr. for Dean Malenko. That's interesting. 9-1-1, pin Mr. Hughes. Shane Douglas over Tasman at the retaining ECW World title. Sabu over Ron Simmons. And public enemy of the Bruce Brothers, the Paul Scott. They batch. Then we have Ocala, where they did pretty much the same show. Uh, Tasman won the Battle Royal. Tommy Turner over Sandman. Five Delta Slam won over Ian Ron and Hat Myers. Douglas retaining ECW title over Tasmaniac. Dory Funk Jr. over Mr. Hughes. Sabu over Ron Simmons. And public enemy of the Bruce Brothers, the Scott anywhere. And ECW indicated they returned to Florida in November. Well, this will be a home away from home for ECW for a long time. Yep. Florida was somewhere where they had television on Sunshine Network, and they were able to do really good at those shows. Yep. And Hot crowds, different crowds. I always loved the Florida tapings because they just felt different. Yeah. Different atmosphere, sometimes some different wrestlers. And this is the time where ECW, at this time, they're not always taping ECW Arena. They're taping Hamburg at, at, at Agricultural Hall. Mm-hmm. The old WF taping site. So, so yeah, they're not just taping ECW Arena at this time. All right, speaking of television, uh, Torch had the report here. Uh, show up no time Drew talking about the Sandman feud from the locker room. Sandman beat Hack Myers and hit him when he came. Then we had two cold talking up Shane Douglas, Holly Video Air. Then we get a recap of Dean Malenko interfering on behalf of Jason and Jason's TV title defense against the, the previous two weeks. Then we had Jason over Dino Sendoff after Malenko twisted Sendoff's head before the match began while the ref wasn't looking. 
Tasmanian ran to the ring, confronted Malenko for his interference. Two squared off, and Malenko locked on an arm lock. Taz escaped and applied an arm lock of his own as Jason kicked him, tried to apply him loose. Big pull apart in the confrontation. Shane Douglas is simply the best video air when you feel the jatted. Public Emmy promo air following a squash match. They put away Don E. Allen when Rocco crashed into Allen, who's lying flat on his back on the table, which is sitting on top of another upright table. Katniss Jack approached the ring, dragging Mikey Whipwreck with him. After a short pep talk from Katniss, Mikey got brave and charged the ring. Katniss followed. Then the teens brawled throughout the crowd to the back. Then we get Chris Benoit over Osama Nishimura. Yeah. Or, as it says on the award-winning WWE Network, Samu Nishimura in, sing- in a singles match. Mm-hmm. And then we have Paulie Dangerously talking about Sabu, which is always a hoot. So let's go to uh, Paulie's promo here. Is he going to be speaking in tongues here? <laughs> I'm close enough, I'm sure. It's an image that's burned into my mind. Worse than any nightmare that I could ever have, because this is no nightmare. This is the reality that I live with. And that's the image of the day Sabu goes too far. The day he tries that one suicidal, homicidal, genocidal, death-defying maneuver and misses and crashes and burns and it's over. Just like when you go to the car races. And you can't wait to see them crash. That's what Sabu is all about. For a year. For a year of my life, I have watched this man come this close. Come this close to crashing and burning. Every single night, I watch Sabu wrestle. I think to myself, of the night that I first met him. And I looked at this man, this beast. I said, what in the... I mean, scars raised six inches outside of his body, flipping through the air, flying over the top rope, into the stands, doing anything it takes to win. Because that's what's in his heart. That's what burns inside of his soul. To the point where he just doesn't care if he has to go that extra inch to win. And everybody said, there's only one man on the face of the planet who is as homicidal, who is as suicidal, who is as genocidal, who is as death-defying as as Sabu. Bang, bang, Cactus Jack. And we proved them wrong at Hostel City Showdown. Because Cactus Jack went down to Sabu. And now he comes back for the hardcore rematch of the century. And I got to be asking myself, what does it take this time to beat Cactus Jack? What does it take this time? How far does Sabu have to go this time? How close does he have to come this time? Because it's not just Cactus Jack this weekend. See, it's a double header for the most homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, death-defying athlete in this or any other sport. Because the day after he has to fight Cactus Jack, he has to take on the only wrestler on the face of this planet who I know deep in my heart is heads up with Sabu, where the odds are even, where it can go either way at any given moment. Chris Benoit, 
a man trained by the Japanese, a man who has studied every single solitary tape that there is of Sabu, and a man who Sabu himself is obsessed with, because he knows how good Chris Benoit can be, and this Saturday night is Chris Benoit's opportunity to show the world just how great he is, because he wants to go through Sabu. And Sabu will do anything on this planet to stop him. And that's what scares the hell out of me. Because I got to think to myself, a doubleheader with Cactus Jack and Sabu, it burns in my mind. Sooner or later, he's going to crash and burn. Sooner or later, he's going to go too far. Sooner or later. He's going to miss. Sooner or later might happen this weekend. One way or another, this weekend will be Sabu's finest moment. Even if it's his last weekend in wrestling. How about Paulie and his uh, ASMR uh, promo stylings there, huh? No comment. <laughs> Again. As we said this before on the show, ECW took a hit when he quit being a manager character. Yes, because the one thing that really struck me here is this is this era, this the ECW version of Paulie is the beginning of the Heyman we know now and the end of the Heyman who was basically a cross between Cornette and Piper. Yes. The psycho yuppie. But it's, I mean, listen to him there. He's so good at getting over Sabu. I mean, he got over Sabu as much as Sabu got over Sabu as far as his in-ring work. I mean, this is promo styles. I mean, cutting the promos on him, you know? Yep. He's fantastic. Well, speaking of great promo men, Katniss is here now. He's got Mikey Whipwreck uh, as his, uh, his uh, protege. Take so let's go to... Yes. Let's go to one Cactus Jack and Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey, I told you I was going to take you under my wing, didn't I? Yeah. And the, today's lesson is this. Please never, ever, ever confuse the words Cactus Jack and greatness. Because I'm not great. I hold the World Tag Team Championship. It doesn't make me great. You hold the World Tag Team Championship, and I hate to break it to you, but you're not all that great. Now, the public enemy, they are great. And now they're mad. But public enemy, I want you to zoom in and take a look at this. From A to Z, the history of professional wrestling is written on this face. From Abdullah to Zabisco, they've all been mad at Cactus Jack. Sting got mad at Cactus Jack. Knocked your teeth out. Bang, bang! Vader got mad at Cactus Jack. He ripped your ear off. Bang, bang! And now the public enemy's mad, and I say, put your mark on this face. You scar cactus jack, you live in infamy. You don't leave a mark on this ugly mug. Then the two of you go back to the streets where you belong. Mikey, I guarantee you this, we're going to be battered. Battered? We're going to be bloody. Bloody? Possibly disemboweled. Disem what? Disemboweled, Mikey. <laughs> Tell us what you're going to do. No! 
Come back here. Come back here. Public enemy. He likes it. Look at this face. Mikey likes it. Bang, 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 bang. And we're coming after you. EC. <laughs> oh, me. Putting Mikey with Cat, this was a smart idea. Yes. It's a, it's a fun gimmick. And it, it gives Cat this a different dynamic. And, uh, yeah, that, that was good. That was good stuff. Disemboweled. Some what? <laughs> All right, now let's go to All Star Wrestling. Uh, they ran some shows in North Carolina. Mount Airy, North Carolina, on September 23rd. We have Roger Anderson over Jason Jarrett. Not Jeff's brother. Bambi over the Amazon Queen. And Rob Van Dam over Jimmy Garvin. That's a match in 1994. I wonder what his memory of that night is now. (laughs) (laughs) And then Warrington, North Carolina, the next day. Scott Studd, friend of the show Scott Riggs over Mike Justice. friend of Rob Van Dam. (laughs) Yes. Little Atlas over the Texas Outlaw. Rob Van Dam over Gordon George III. Gorgeous George Thurs, excuse me. And Jake the Snake Roberts over The Punisher. Will which Cannon. would be uh will be Cannon. Yeah. That's an interesting match in nineteen ninety four as well. But was Ben alive yet? No. Okay. Ben's like only twenty right now. He's twenty or twenty one. He's he he was born like two thousand picks. <laughs> Can't think about that. Well All that, right, doesn't, uh, that doesn't make me feel as old as like a Nick Wayne does though. No, I'll tell you what makes me feel old is, you know, working in where I work at, and now we have people working at at the store that were born in 2004. Mm. Yeah. All right. uh, Jim Crockett has moved his next NWA tapings from East Ridge, Tennessee, to Dalton, Georgia on October 17th, using Nick Busick, Ron Simmons, and the Rock and Roll Express as headliners. Yeah, East Ridge, Tennessee is right outside Chattanooga, so it's not, that's not that far. It's just across state line and then the Dalton. And they already uh, had been taping some Tennessee and some yeah. Tennessee in that area anyway. Yeah. Before he settled in Dallas. Well the settled the promotion. Yeah, one Dallas. yeah, one of the things that's around the week after our week, actually, is in the newsletters that uh they're trying to expand their T V mm-hmm. into newer markets and stuff. So we'll talk more about that when that week comes up, probably next year or so, when we do it. So there's that. All right, uh, Peach State Wrestling, Ben Masters. Captain Shack and Abdul the Butcher did a double disqualification finish in a no-DQ match on September 24th in Cordell, Georgia, for Peach State Wrestling. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, Brian and Scott Armstrong worked as heels on the show while Father Bob worked as a babyface. Yes, we're having the Armstrong feud here. Brian's interference caused Bob to lose a lumberjack match against local manager Mad Jack. They're having a one-night tournament on November 25th in Cordial for their U.S. title with Adrian Street, Tuco, Scorpio, and their regular crew. I don't remember that, what matches came out of that tournament off the top of my head, but can you imagine Tuco, Scorpio against Adrian Street? Holy shit. That, that's a match. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a dream match. All right, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Jim Ross will officially replace Bob Cottle as their lead announcer on the October 3rd TV tapings. With Ross heading things up, Smoky Mountain will start their own 900 number. Ross and Les Thatcher will become the regular announcing duo, 
And Ross has also been in negotiations with UFC about doing their December pay-per-view show. That's something that nobody talks about. I'm guessing so, this money ends up being allocated to wing Jeff Blatnick. I guess, but imagine Jim Ross in 1994 UFC. Uh, that would have been interesting. Well, and also they just don't even really have a good announcer yet, because it's still Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> yes! Fox and Friends' Brian Kilmeade was the announcer, with yeah. Jim Brown and uh, who else? So, well, was Ben Perry only UFC 2? I think so. Then who did three and who did three? Was it just the two of them, or was there a third? No, there was a third. Who was it? I don't think it was Ben Perry. I think uh, Ben Perry's only UFC two. Oh God! This can't be that hard to find. Was it UFC three? We covered this. UFC three announcers. Does it say on the Wikipedia? Right, uh, Rich Goins. Well, he's the ring announcer. Rich the G Man Goins. Yeah. So Kilme was on there, Jim Brown was on there, um, Ben Perry. Yeah. So Okay, so it was Ben Perry. Okay. Yeah, IMDB. That, that makes sense. So Ben Perry. Who was kind of in the bag for the Gracies throughout everything. Well, I mean, they basically run UFC, so. Well, yes, there is that. But he was one of their guys, I believe. All right, but uh, does Let's talk about Jim Ross and Smoky Mountain. Um, Bob Caudle had been there from the start, you know, and Bob was working with Les Thatcher, and they were a good announced team. They worked together for year, years earlier in, in uh, Crockett. But, you know, if Jim Ross is available, you need to bring him in. You know, and Ross added a different style to that show and, and made the TV show better, I thought. What were your thoughts on Jim, Jim Ross on Smoky Mountain? Wasn't Caudle leaving anyway? I think he was giving it up anyway. So I don't think he, I, I think this was a you know a, a timing you know being being great in that regard, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, that he had to concentrate on retirement or you know or Jesse Helms things or whatever. Because yeah, Jesse Helms still in office. Yes, and so with Ross available and him being a relatively short drive away in Atlanta at the time. It sounds. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jim Cornette's hearing on the vandalism charge was scheduled for September 27th. The legal charge of vandalism against Cornette for allegedly bashing in Casey O'Connor's car windows. That's to be a $1,200 damage, so it would be a felony. We're continuing until February when the case will go before the grand jury. Cornette was at presence as he was in Poughkeepsie for the WFTV tapings. There's a lot of pressure on O'Connor to drop the charges, and Cornette wants to settle the matter out of court. Now, Cornette talked to uh, Charleston Post-Courier Wrestling Commons Mike Mooneyham about the baseball bat incident. The torch has that rundown. Cornette called the incident extremely blown out of proportion and dismissed it as simply an argument between two guys, a personal thing. He said it was not a big deal. I called a lawyer next morning. He walked me over to the station, signed a citation and for vandalism, and we left. No bond, no fingerprints. It's like nobody ever had an argument before. It's been completely blown out of proportion. If that was the worst thing that happened to me in my, in my life, I'd be a happy guy. If O'Connor would just be a man and return my property, I'd pay for his. And Torch also noted that Jim Cornette made threats of physical violence towards Mark Madden as a result of several Madden's WC900 segments concerning Cornette's recent behavior. Cornette called Madden at home last Tuesday to deliver his message. Fix? Oh, are you asking me if this is the message you think it is? Well, I'm just feeding you. <laughs> I'm feeding you 
to talk about this. Okay. First of all, let's be clear. I mean, well, I guess because well, we're talking about the Madden stuff before we talk about Casey O'Connor. Dave, not, not Rob O'Connor. No. Um, <laughs> but it's bad that Dave covered none of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It is. It feeds into a narrative about protecting friends. Obviously, it's newsworthy that a promoter of a full-time territory that has a working relationship with WWF, where he's also on screen, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe he, I don't know if it's the exact same words, but I believe he and Wade have claimed he said similar things to either both of them or both of their mothers or both. Yeah. Um, now, as far as Casey O'Connor... Cornette these days basically admits that he knows he shouldn't have done that. Um, he says what he found out later was that some of the wrestlers that Casey was leave- living with, I think maybe even meaning well, were talent constantly drooling in his head. Like, you need to get your money. You always need to make sure you get your money, blah, blah, blah. And he had internalized it so much that... Just things kept escalating and escalating. Obviously, it's still it's not Casey's fault overall, but it he was being probably more stubborn than he should have been, regardless. Yeah, and we think about uh, about Cornette's uh, thing here about oh, it's just just snoring between two guys, nothing more, nothing less. He bashed at his car windows. Yes. I've I've had a million arguments with friends. I've never bashed in their car windows. <laughs> if that if that's his idea of a of a minor thing, good lord, it's what the major thing would be. Mm-hmm. Would the major thing involve Terry Landell? Well, yeah, there's that too. I guess r- trying to run over somebody, I guess, would be uh, considered major. Uh, yes, and later admitting that you tried to run him over. Yeah. All right, uh, Ole and Bryant Anderson will debut at the next tapings. Ole will do interviews to introduce his son and help get him over, but he won't be wrestling. And because he shot them outside the power plant, he was fired. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... Uh, those are great promos. Ole's awesome. And Bryant, I mean... Bryant, could, Bryant was okay. He looked the part, sure. He looked the part... It just, he seems like he came, I mean, he was in a different era. Even to work in that promotion. Yeah. Those fake Anderson sons, I tell you what, they, uh, they, they, they come from, they, they look like they come from their, a different era. They eat orange sun Brock, same way. Yeah. At least Brock, you know, makes fun of himself about how, you know, he's always looked old. Like his dad. It's in the did, jeans. I forget. Did we end up correcting the confusion over which son was Brock? I don't think we did on the air, did we? No. That the the son who was com, who was upset by the NWO parody of the own retirement segment was how oh, now I'm forgetting his name, but he was the older brother. Brock is twenty four. Okay. Well there we go. Or whatever his age is. So wait, was he would have been born right around then then? Or not long before. Or after. He's twenty four. So he was a baby. Yes. Put it that way. He wasn't talking. Yes. Why, so. How do they all have this look like look older gene when none of them are related? 
<laughs> I don't know. Do we know what Gene and Lars's kids look like? <laughs> well, Brad. I don't know if Brad looks that much like like that though. No, but I've said Brad Anderson. I mean, oh, yeah, we we've right. seen that's Gene's son. Yeah. Is there a Larry Hainemi Jr.? Oh, who knows? Who knows? All right, uh, Rock and Roll Express missed scheduled appearance over the weekend because they weren't indie shots of St. Louis and replaced by Dirty White Boy and Brian Lee. I guess the gangs is on top. So there's that. Chris Candido suspension angle aired on television over the weekend to allow him to leave for All Japan. Meanwhile, Tracy Smothers returns to sweep from IWA. Now, on television, we have the torch stuff here. In the opening, the gangsters be Anthony Michaels and Brian Logan when New Jack pin Michaels. And then we get a classic gangsters post match interview. So let's uh, go to that, shall we? Yes, we shall. And we start with a freeze frame of uh, them holding the job guy's face up to the camera while he has the, an X mark on his head. Yes. They are a new Jack Mustafa, the gangsters. Any way you look at it, that's D'Lo and Killer Kyle in the background. Yeah, and Mustafa is holding the noose right over Bob Cottle's head. That's delicious. <laughs> need to make sure to do a screenshot of that. All right. <laughs> why, why do I get the feeling they know about his political and non-wrestling job associations? <laughs> it's possible. Rock and roll, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. They ain't not gonna be pushovers. Let me tell you something. Rock and roll express. When you got in the ring with us, what'd you think? You thought we was soft? You thought we was easy? You thought we maybe we was cotton pickers? Wrong! Maybe you thought you had some homegrown Negroes? Wrong! Maybe you thought you was gonna be able to do the hot what you done did to everybody else. Well now, son, you in for a fight. You in for the fight of your life. Some of these folk better get the last look at you because when we get a hold of you, one more time, we gonna hurt you. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I got to bring in the ring. We gonna hurt you. I'm out for one thing. I wanna hear some bones breaking. I wanna see some eyes being pulled out their head. I wanna see some teeth being knocked out. I ain't coming here to play. I'm coming here to get paid. But most of all, I'm coming to put an end to a myth. That rock and roll was created by some Caucasian with a good talk up on some hill in Kentucky. Wrong. We created it. We just let you borrow it for a little while. Rock and roll, we gonna borrow you for a little while. And we gonna beat you like your mamas should have beat you a long time ago. We gonna beat you like your slave owners ancestors used to beat us. That ain't gonna happen no more. All I got to say, kiss your ugly kids goodbye. Smack your fat wife and get ready. Bring your white butt to New Jack and Mustafa. Cause boys, you in for a treat. And it's not long when we get you. You better know you've been got. Ooh, fans, what a collision oh that God. one is going to be. A rock and roll and a gangsters. We're going to be back right after this. All right. <laughs> you know Bob, Bob Collins is standing there going, oh, my God. But he's a professional. <laughs> but God almighty. Yes. <laughs> um, well, we said it before, but Smokey Mountain New Jack is the best New Jack. Uh, yes. Absolutely. And oh, able, man. And that he's able to make these work as wrestling promos without just 
making the the content of them like white fragility bingo you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it it really shows just how good a talker he is to make these promos work and to make all the references and stuff not sound shoehorned well it's just i mean it's all it's all about the flow too yes it's it's, i mean it's coming off as all of it is you know free off the top of his head he's just talking he's not this isn't something he like memorized or you know st- stuff he's prepared. He just out there shooting the shit. To me, that's what it seems like. Hmm. But yeah, he's amazing here, absolutely. All right. Um, so Derry White Boy said he arranged for a serious title defense against Bru- Bruiser Bedlam, where if he loses, Bedlam and Cornette can whip him ten times with a strap. But if Bedlam loses, he gets to whip Bedlam and Cornette each five times. Or Cornette can avoid the lashes if he agrees to leave so he came out and wrestling. Blue Bradley beat Lance Storm to catch at a TV time. Chris Candido to shut the referee and Bradley KO Storm with a chain. After the match, Brian Lee attempted to make a save, but he was flattened with a chain. Yeah, Brian Lee's back as a babyface again, folks. And Brian Logan came and joined Lee and eventually ran off Candido and Bradley. The entire Johnson City, Tennessee brawl aired the Gangsters and Rock and Roll Express. All right, we're going to play this because this is wild. So let's go to that clip, shall we? It's not the whole thing, but it gets, it's to the point where it gets, you know, it's the important parts. Away from the ring, Ricky Morton is being held back. They're trying to hold back Robert Gibson as Mustafa Saeed has gone back. New Jack, though, is still by the ring. And now they're taking New Jack back. Robert Gibson, though, sees New Jack out there, and there he goes after him again. Gibson's got something to use. exploded all over the building all over the building here fans and hopefully neil has gotten our camera in position where we can still follow the action here mustafa saeed and robert gibson are going at it the dirty white boy trying to hold up robert gibson they're also trying to separate ricky morton from mustafa saeed hopefully our camera's picking this up i don't know if it is but we're going to keep commentating even on the off chance we're still getting some of this action now ricky morton looks like yeah he got a two by four morton on new jack also swatting that two by four on mustafa saeed all the wrestlers have pulled out of the dressing room trying to hold these two tag teams apart from each other and as you can see fans that is not really helping now robert gibson's got a mop if it isn't nailed down these teams are going after it robert gibson's being held by the dirty white boy but mustafa saeed is not going to let well enough alone meanwhile new jack has part of a door frame here he comes he's looking and he connects with ricky martin oh brother again fans if it's not nailed down these guys are using it it doesn't matter what it is backstage here outside the ring at freedom hall all hell is broken loose here tonight and now it looks like let's see if we can keep following them here neil they are making their way back towards the dressing room area who knows where this thing's going to wind up 
seeing here tonight. Finally, they're holding them back a little bit. At least they're trying to. The Rock and Roll Express down New Jack and Ricky Martin are at it again. They're at it again tonight. Unbelievable. This thing has gone from the ring to the backstage area by the dressing rooms and now out in the parking lot here at Freedom Hall tonight. And again, some of the other wrestlers are trying to separate the combatants here. Mustafa Saeed has that garbage can. And again, clunks Robert Gibson with it. New Jack and Ricky Morton are at it again. They're trying to hold him back. They're trying to hold him back as Mustafa Saeed and New Jack are finally being dragged away. They're finally being dragged away here from the Rock and Roll Express. Well, you see the gangsters coming to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and introducing themselves to the Rock and Roll Express. So they beat every tag team across the United States, but they never wrestled the Rock and Roll Express. Well, you see, on every time that we have met the gangsters, we have beat them in the ring. But they said that they, they know that we can beat them wrestling, but we can't beat them fighting. Well, everybody knows what a fight is all about. And you see what happened in Johnson City, gangsters, that we're just like you are. We can throw the rule back out the window. It don't matter to us. You see, you have started something that we are going to finish. You see, gangsters, you tell everybody, you want these Smoky Mountain Tag Team belts. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We will hand them to you. Because after the match that we have with you, you'll be glad to give them back to the Rock and Roll Express. What it all boils down to is you have come into Smoky Mountain Wrestling with no respect. No respect for the Rock and Roll Express. And one thing is for sure. One thing you can guarantee on, that when we get through with you, you're going to have more than respect for the Rock and Roll Express. Wow. <laughs> what a wild fucking brawl that was, man. It probably would have had that an impact the if they hadn't done the same thing in February, though. Yeah. With the bodies. I know. Although they went into but traffic and across the street. Yeah, it's a different dynamic, though. Well, the bodies, gangsters, things... That's after this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, what am I talking about? We're 94. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. The closer, well, they did the Fantastics thing, but that was in 92. So, I mean, it's been a while. And that was a, but, or, well, no, 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 no. They pretend, where did they, they pretended it was one place, it was another. Well, they pretended it was in Knoxville. Right. But they did it at like a school, the school where they did TV that week or whatever. Yeah. But. That's fucking wild brawl. That was like the their version of Memphis Concession Stand brawl right there, you know. And Chip Kessler, not too bad on the commentary too, keeping up with everything. He was always good at the downrating house show clips. Not yeah, and he was all straight up. And he, and he, yeah, and he did it for year, and he did it for years before he became the regular announcer. Yeah, and he was involved for a long time. Now that turned out to be too much of a step for him, but whatever. Yeah. Um, 
So Cornette, who's talking here, complained about the unknown new commissioner. He complained that stipulation during White Point Bishop Brother matches, said stipulation for the new commissioner's number to Bob Armstrong Crony. Then we got Chris Candido, Bob, Bob, Boo Bradley, and Tammy Fitch interviewed. Candido brags about gaining revenge on White Boy and Storm. Armstrong came out and said he just talked with a new commissioner. Who was the new commissioner? Wasn't that Scott Armstrong? I don't remember where this goes, actually. I, I I remember something like that happening somewhere. I don't know if it's Continental or here. Uh, it's this Candido apologized Brian Logan during the brawl. He suspended for four weeks. All Japan, baby. Cornette came out with a net brace in his arm and a slant to avoid wrestling bullet. Bob, killer Kyle Sud, then Bedlam, and Cornette attacked Bob for the DQ. So there's your TV for the week. All right, there's some heat with the USWA in Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain ran a show on September 22nd in Glasgow, Kentucky. USWA then put the same building one week earlier. USWA drew 200 fans, while Smoky Mountain drew 250. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's something that didn't happen. You didn't get the crossover uh, towns oh. between these two promotions. So that is different. Absolutely. High in Kentucky on the 23rd drew 350. It's Lance Storm beat Killer Kyle. Chris Candido beat Primetime Brian Lee. Uh, Dirty White Boy retained a Smoky Mountain title beating Bruiser Bedlam by DQ. And Brian Lee and Dirty White Boy beat the Gangsters in the main event. Those rock and rolls ain't in town. Killer Kyle may be through with the group as he worked the main event in opposition show on September 24th in Elizabethton, Tennessee. The same night Smoky Mountain was in the city. And the opposition show with no names apparently outdrew Smoky Mountain. Yikes. How about that? I mean, doesn't this kind of go to what Bo has told us that a lot of the time his spot towns were doing better than Smoky spot towns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. There are people doubt Bo on a lot of things, and I'm not saying he doesn't have tall tales at times, but when he's talking about stuff like that, he's not bullshitting at all. Well, Smokey, I mean, had problems for years in promoting their poor markets. Well, I, I would say especially, was, was Scott, was Sandy Scott there the whole time? I don't know if he was there the whole time. But he promoted some of the spot towns at least early on, right? Mm-hmm. And he had a, tra- but, 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 you know, he had the track record there. Although he really didn't promote a lot of East Tennessee. Johnny Weaver was East Tennessee promoter for Crockett for most of those years. Mm. Scott had Virginia. I mean, he had West, had the, the Western parts of Virginia and stuff and the Western parts of Carolina. But it was Johnny Weaver who did East Tennessee. Well, anyway, don't know this to be definite, but there appears to be a good chance that Cat Shet be brought in for Thanksgiving weekend as a babyface team on Lance Storm against Chris Candido and Boo Bradley. And Cactus does come here. Yes. All right, now let's go to the USWA. Doug Gilbert was stripped of the USWA title for not defending it within 45 days. It was announced to be a tournament on October 3rd in Memphis, as there's no show on the 26th because we go head-to-head with the fair. So we go to TV, and our dearly beloved Scott Bowden came out and did an interview. And, uh, yeah, Florida State was playing a big game that day. Uh, let me see who Florida State was playing that day. I do Eight. Uh, they may have been playing Miami that day. No, they're they're playing North Carolina, who was ranked number thirteen in the country. So a big a good game. So Scott talks about that and uh, Uncle Bobby and all the other stuff going on. So let's go to Scott Bowden and Dave Brown. Telephone rang. It was a long phone call from Tallahassee. It was joined in progress. My Uncle Bobby. That's right, Bobby Bowden, coach of the national champion football Seminole. That's exactly right. 
For those of you that don't know, of course, I'm sure people in this area probably don't even follow college football because you got teams out here like Memphis State. Oh, excuse me. The University of Memphis, Tiger High, whatever you want to call it. Hey, come on. Hey, they couldn't beat my high school alma mater, the Germantown Red Devils, in a football game, let alone a college team. And another redneck Germantown. team, the Tennessee Volunteers, got beat last week by the number two team in Florida, the University of Florida Gators. And brother, Uncle Bobby said, Scotty boy, that's what he likes to call me, Scotty boy. He said, I understand you're having a little trouble there in Memphis, but I want you to come down to Tallahassee and give an inspirational talk to my players. And I was so touched. I went down to Tallahassee, I spoke to the fellas, and I told them about how against all odds, I've come back week after week after getting pile-driven, after getting fire thrown in my face, after getting hit with a chair, hit with a chain. And I looked out, Dave, and there were 300-pound linemen with tears in their eyes as I spoke. And they told me afterwards that they are so fired up that they're going to hit the field today and just crush North Carolina, baby. They are on their way back to number one after my inspirational talk. You went to Tallahassee and gave the Florida State number three, four team in the country an inspirational talk, okay? That's, that's exactly right, David. You're going to see a total turnaround in their play. They're going to score 100 points today, they promised me. And as a token of gratitude... As you can see right here, Clifton Abraham, the quarterback, last week scored, I think, four touchdowns, gave me this workout shirt. It's a little bit big on me, but I'm working out, and I'll fill it out pretty soon. You can better believe that. <laughs> and Derek Brooks, Derek Brooks, who recently came back from a suspension, gave me a Florida State starter jacket. Of course, I have sense enough not to wear a starter jacket here in this city because you get shot and somebody rip it off your back before you even knew what happened. <laughs> but the greatest gift, the greatest gift might just be right here. The Florida State football helmet that Uncle Bobby himself gave to me. He, gave, he said, Scotty boy, can I see that? Yeah, you can just look at it. Hey, don't, don't smudge it on up. Well, it looks like it was painted with a spray can. Uh, that, that does not look like a legitimate Florida right. State football helmet to me. Have you ever played football for Florida State? I have not, neither have you. I've been set up then. You don't know what their helmets are like, old man. i tell you what I'm going to do. You and Florida State, good luck to Florida State. I'll reserve judgment on you. I'm wishing you good luck. Hey, look at this. And right you here, can I talk about all of this stuff. Make it all up. Tell us about whatever dream you had. We're going to be back and get this show underway in just a moment. On the left of your screen, Red... Uh, God love him. <laughs> God love him. So great at that stuff. And Florida State won 31-18 that night over North Carolina, so that speech worked. <laughs> Yay. I'm sure my Uncle Bobby was watching. And then they lost the next week to Miami. <laughs> so, oh well. Well, they lost two weeks later. They were all... They were off the week uh, after, but two weeks later they lost to Miami. So, God, God bless Scott. I miss him. Miss him a lot. All right. So Fantasia, the ballet of the Phantoms. Of course, this is a dirty white girl in her Fantasia gimmick, where she's trying to not sound like a dirty white girl, but she's so southern that the, she can't help herself. She's seemingly trying to cause a rip in PG-13. She came out and told J.C. Ice he, was, he wasn't a real man and then came on the Wolfie D. <laughs> so there's that. Lawler interview saying the reason why Sid Vicious wasn't in television is because his face was burned. Well, Sid was in Las Vegas. More on that later in the show. Lawler then faced Gilbert on television. Doug. Bow, Scott Bowden and Bailey and Doug both interfered. And Doug gave Lawler two stuffed pile drivers with help before Brian Christian made the save. 
Also on television, Eliminators face the Phantoms. Fantasia kept the interfering cause P13 to come out. JCI's kiss Fantasia. Spellbinder wound up interfering as well. And then we get Buddy Landell doing an interview about uh, having to split up his team with Tommy Rich because they lost the match on the September 19th in Mid-South Coliseum to the Moon Dogs. And Budrow is Budrow here. Classic Budrow. So let's uh, go to Budrow and Scott Bowden talking about dear old Tommy Rich. Arkansas Truman tonight, March 3 on Monday night. Buddy Landell is out here. Got a big match coming up right here in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, you know, Dave, this has got to be one of the most exciting times I've ever seen in the, in the USWA. You got big Sid Vicious, you got Wildfire Tommy Rich, you got the Spellbinder, you got Jerry Lawler, you got myself. It's packed, baby. Excitement. And things happen when big names are around like that. Now, what we got here is a situation where I was in a tag team match with Tommy Rich, and bless his heart, I was out there beating both of the Moon Dogs up. And Tommy got beat right in the middle. One, two, three. Now, bless his heart. I love him. But Tommy messed up. The team had to split up. So now I give Tommy the day off. You know, he's really feeling bad because he lost the match. So the Nature Boy Buddy Landell is going for the USWA heavyweight title match next Monday night. Now, Dave, I've tried rich and I've tried poor, and I like rich a lot better. I've tried champion and I've tried champion, and champion fits me a lot better. I look a lot better with a belt around my waist. You understand what I'm talking about? And I'm telling you something, I don't care if I gotta kick a mud hole and everybody's tying in and walk it dry next Monday night. I'm gonna be the two-time USWA heavyweight champion. You can take it to the bank. Dave. Well, you'll have to beat some other folks too in the tournament, which is coming up on October 3rd at the Mid-South Coliseum. Ain't no problem, Dave Brown. Like I said, brother, there's a lot of big names in here, brother, but I'm at the top of the list. I'm the nature boy, Buddy Landell. And I was beating people up and kicking people's teeth in when a lot of these guys in the dressing room were in elementary school, baby. Well, and I, what? What? Okay, right, go ahead. Finish what you were saying. There ain't nothing that gives me any more pleasure than to sneak up behind somebody and kick their stinking teeth in like I did Jerry Lawler a minute ago. Frank Christopher, I'm going to take you to school, son, in just a very few short minutes. You understand what I'm talking about, brother? You're, work, you're wrestling a real man here, brother. I'm not one of these punks around here. So take notice and gear up. I'm coming your way in a minute. Well, that match is set to begin here in just a couple of minutes. First, let's talk about Truman, Arkansas, which is coming up. All right. Scott Stanton, we got other things to do. Tonight in Truman, Arkansas. So, oh, Bud Rowe. Yeah, you can promo that. Yeah. And then Too Sexy wrestled Bud Rowe on television with Doug interfering for DQ. Lola made a say and did a four-way brawl with the football helmet getting involved. And Dave spelled helmet H-E-L-M-U-T. Well, it does represent Germantown. <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so it's a football helmet. Yes. Yes, it is. All right, let's move on to Eddie Sharkey's PWA. They ran Sox Center, Minnesota on September 25th, where Jesse Henning beat Dan Jesser. Jesse is uh, Kurt's brother, right? His little brother, yes. Yeah. Jerry Lynn went to WDQ with J.B. Trask, Buck Zumhoff over The Professor, Baron Von Raschke over uh, Sheikha Nondell Casey by his qualification, and Sawbuster Kenny J. over Randy Gusto. So there's your Pro Wrestling America card. All right, speaking of Minnesota, latest on Jesse Ventura. 
There was a hearing on September 24 from whether or not Ventura could continue as the mayor of Brooklyn Park because of the claim he had moved to Maple Grove. Ventura, in the role of lawyer for himself, shocking, defended himself against political opponents who would stake out his Maple Grove home and record when he arrived to prove he had moved out of the city, thus could be mayor, and thus anything he signed after moving would be invalidated. Ventura didn't want any tapes from his radio show where he discussed the situation brought into the case because he said that on the radio he's an entertainer and isn't sworn to tell the truth on the radio. Amazing. He acknowledged he bought a house in Maple Grove in June, but said he still lives in Brooklyn Park, has two TV sets, a radio, a bed, and his exercise equipment there. The administrative law judge is expected to announce his decision on the case in the next week or two. Although Ventura's fate as mayor ultimately will be decided by the city council, which, according to an article in the local paper, may not be a positive for him because his supporters believe to be in the minority. The hearing included a neighbor in Brooklyn Park who said he often sees Ventura jogging at a gas station. Another neighbor says she saw Ventura's wife entertaining friends at their pool in Brooklyn Park. Postal officials said Ventura made an address change to Maple Grove, but has since changed it back to Brooklyn Park. Ventura admitted his children were registered in Maple Grove, but when the heat came down, he's re-registered them in Brooklyn Park three days after school started. He did concede his wife, mother, and kids have been living in Maple Grove. They also showed his mortgage document, which showed he intended to make Maple Grove his primary residence. Ventura claimed he didn't read the document the day he signed it. Ventura supporters claim his enemies were obsessed with embarrassing him, even as he finishes up his term. This is Jesse Ventura right here, isn't it? <laughs> it's like when he moved to Mexico because he couldn't stand being in the United States anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I did pull up one of the newspaper articles. I think the one from our week. I'm curious to see if there's anything we don't have here. It doesn't look like it. Um, this is kind of shitty to do. Are you talking about Jesse? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But that's Jesse. I mean, they, he thinks he's above the law. You know? He's always stuck that way. Yeah, I guess so. That's why he does what he does now. You know? Conspir- yeah. That's why he, he, I mean, conspiracy theory, all that stuff. I mean, he, I mean, he... Wasn't he originally one of these? I mean, a hardcore libertarian at start at the start of his whole thing, wasn't that his thing? Not exactly. Well, kind of, sort of ish. But I get what you're saying. But he, I mean, but again, I mean, he turned to an- another level after that, though. So he's yeah. it's just Jesse Ventura. I mean, this is the type of shit that he's he does. Yeah. And okay, I just found the second part of the article. Okay, got to read this. On another occasion, Councilmember Richard Stromberg said he parked outside the same house at 3.30 in the morning waiting to see whether the mayor would appear. Yeah, that's a little too much. And then we go to Jesse. It was my intention always, I'm not doing the voice, to maintain a residence in Brooklyn Park to fulfill my duties as mayor, said Ventura, who ultimately smiled at supporters in the courtroom and entered legal objections, accused at one point of badgering a witness. I had no idea the question would be raised at all. It was a bit of, I'm, I was a bit of a novice. I had no idea I was doing something wrong. <laughs> oh, man. It's a little different when you're a mayor. Yeah. Well, I mean, council member, I mean, if you're, if you're sitting on a city council or mayor, yeah. you need to be living in the city. Yes. There's a lot of that that goes on. A lot of that that goes on. Mm-hmm. So... Just, mm. All right, let's go to Las Vegas, shall we? NWC. They're running a show at the Aladdin Hotel on October the 8th. 
making their debut with Terry Funk versus Tito Santana, Brutus Beefcake versus Nails, and Sabu versus Bobby Bradley. Then they're going to run the 29th of October at Silver Nugget Casino with Greg Valentine and Jimmy Snook on top. And then November 19th, they allowed in the tournament to crown their first champion with Funk, Rip Martell, Iron Sheik, Sid Vicious, Tito Santana, and Greg Valentine. So, yes, the NWC Bicks. This is their, the, you know, the beginning of them. Yeah, T.C. Martin. And it's interesting to see Las okay. Vegas, you know, it's interesting to see Las Vegas that time get back in wrestling because it's been, you know, a long time since they were a player. Since the AWA, you know, taped in 89. Well, they had their last tape in 89. And, you know, January. WWF had done Mania and WCW's about to start doing some stuff there, but NWC is kind of what gets it going. Yeah. Well, not just NWC. Well, you know what I mean. It was a it was quite an eclectic crew of characters as Herb Abrams ran his three hour show from Las Vegas on September twenty third. They aired nationwide on satellite. Let's see the opening video of that, shall we? As it aired on Sports Channel America. Yes. Now keep in mind that you need to know who the narrator is and who he introduces and go from there because it's a bit much. American bad boys are back and they mean business. The Universal Wrestling Federation presents the ultimate wrestling extravaganza ever. You people look intelligent. You talk about two of the biggest Howard men in wrestling the press conference. today. Wrestling a couple of insects. Who do you think is going to win? We are going to be wearing the belts. When the match is over, when they count one, two, three. Oh, excuse me, he's Power, power Warrior now. The belt up in front of New powers of pain with the Warlord. Tonight's main event, World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion Steve Dr. Death Williams defends his crown against the number one contender, Malicious. As they don't show anything of Dr. Sid Vicious. Uh, when I pull off the suit and you see the black and yellow striped tights and when the wings start flapping and the toes start tapping, uh, we're going to be ready for some jaw jacking and back cracking. Okay, and as Brian. long as I hurt Mondo Guerrero, that's my main purpose here. Jack Armstrong. <clears throat> I don't care too much about this shoveling cowboy Bob Orton. I want to go straight to the championship match against uh, Death Williams. <laughs> that's what I'm here about, all the way from Finland. <laughs> Is Doc's head frozen, too? <laughs> oh, my God. The Hellraiser. Yes, who at this point, I believe, still no one knows that he got fired from the WWF because of drug and weapons charges. Nope. Anyway, Ted Williams. <laughs> also, this is a guy who was making his living wrestling in Japan for a few years at the same time that Steve Williams was one of the biggest foreign stars. Mm-hmm. And he thinks his name for is the, Ted Williams. For the other company. Yeah. yeah. For the other of the big two? Huh. How can a guy be ranked higher than me when I taught him everything he knows? He has never <laughs> That's beat me. That's your opinion, Danny. That's just your opinion. <laughs> Pizza Park. Our host for tonight's extravaganza, Mr. Electricity, Herbie <laughs> But you're Mr. Electricity, Herbie Abrams. <laughs> no, you're Mr. Electricity, Herbie Abrams. <laughs> you know why his nickname is Mr. Electricity, by the way, right? Uh, why is that? 
because according to what I believe his wife told uh, Howard Brody, when he plugs it in, it always turns me on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I wonder whose role model is announcer is. Absolutely. Welcome me and Johnny, my Four years later, he's finally the Booker. Yes, he brother-brothered him in 1994 (laughs) and gave him a high five. Now, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes on Herb Abrams while Blackjack Mulligan is talking. I may, in fact, zoom in for you. Hey, it's Barry. The women's are going to be here. I like how he's doing the Gordon Sully two microphones so you don't have to mix it. Well, thank you very much, Herb Abrams, and we welcome you to the MGM Grand Garden Arena for the event we've all been waiting for, Blackjack Brawl 1. Good evening, everyone. I'm Carlo Gianelli, along with my broadcast partner, the Golden Greek, John Tolis. Welcome, Mr. Tolis. Welcome to you, too. Let me tell you something. If it doesn't say UWF, it is not wrestling. You hear that? If it doesn't say UWF, it's nothing. The only way to spell wrestling is UWF, and tonight... The UWF has brought in a card, a spectacular card. Guys like Williams, guys like Spivey, guys like Sid Vicious. They got the beautiful girls. They got the little people. They got it all, and it's all for you. So don't touch that dial, man. Hey, how about that? Even he even knows how to spell. How about that? He looked up at the banner, and he spells UWF. Did you pay to get in here? I paid to get in here, and I got my ringside seat. Greeks always paid. Did you pay? No, I'm Italian. I believe it. I will not pay. You're Italiano, I know. Absolutely. Well, we want you to stay right (laughs) here with us because we are looking forward. We'll be right back with Blackjack Brawl 1. Where we go. How about that? Great, great. And play Michael Jackson. (laughs) Go to Frank. And as I said when I tweeted the video of Herb and Blackjack when we did the Patreon show, I believe the technical name for Herb's state of being here is off his tits. (laughs) Stone to the bejesus. I mean, his eyes. Yeah. We'll have more Herb. He is on another planet on this evening. We'll have more Herb. Yes. All right. The show was a money-losing disaster, drawing just 228 paid and 600 total in a 17,000-seat building. 
Okay, well, wait, 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 wait. Okay, let me see what the official records I have from the commission are. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so the initial live gate breakdown says it's at 640 sold. Okay. Which you would think Dave would be getting this from the commission. And then do I have a paid versus paper breakdown? Uh, so just, is it possible 640 really means circulated and not sold? Because it's, okay, oh. your category, okay, your heading, your column headings here are on the club report are priced, printed, deadwood obstructed, so I guess production kills, available for sale, and this is at different price tiers, um, comps, okay, so wait a second, yeah, uh, so how many comps were there? Okay, so, okay, 24 to the commission, 230 to radio, 40 to press, uh, SP sports events, or maybe sponsorship events, I don't know, radio, three, seven. Okay, it says free and fee. I don't know what that means, that these are comps that could be resold, I guess. Like responsors or something. It says free 408 fee 600, and then under the sold thing, it, the total is 640. So, looking at this, though, Dave's numbers do not seem correct. Unless I'm reading it wrong. Well, I mean... It's not like it did well in a, you know, what it, whatever it is, 14,000 seat building. Yeah. Which is, you know, as someone who's been there, is an amazing building to watch wrestling in, or any combat sports. It, you know, it's just yeah. perfect sight lines, not too big, you know, very nice. You know, I always heard from, you know, MMA reporters and stuff, and, you know, even people just went as fans sitting in the crowd, that, like, MGM Grand is just an amazing place, you know, and it's an arena, and it really was, it really is, but not necessarily on this night. Yeah. All right, so uh, the, the, even though this was a disaster, they still thought it was returning on December 17th and apparently have a deal with Sports Channel America for two more live specials. It wouldn't be a Herb Abrams show if he didn't open with a statement like Bruno Sammartino was invited but couldn't make it because he was honored by the Italian-American Society of Pittsburgh, California. At least Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania would have made it a believable story. Abrams, along with Booker Blackjack Mulligan, interviews while John Tolos announced with an unknown individual... <laughs> And Steve Rossi was the ring announcer, and he was awful as well. Allen and Rossi fame. Yes. Size of the crowd's major disappointment because to Abrams or whoever was in charge of the pub's credit, there was a ton of publicity around town, including a cameo appearance by Dr. Death on Jay Leno's Tonight Show the previous night, where Dr. Death plugged the show, hinting he'd be defending the UWF title. He wore the belt on TV against the Hulkster at the MGM Grand, and he and Leno growled at each other. Okay. No one I've ever talked to has seen a copy of this, or has a copy of this at least. I, I've never seen it. And for the Dark Side episode, you know, Howard Chapman was on the hunt for it. And apparently what happened is that, like, NBC will not, they will not license you a clip unless you can actually, like, show them a bootleg on YouTube. Or something weird like that. Huh? I know. I was surprised too because, like, they know the date and everything. But that's that's why it's not in the Dark Side episode, even though obviously NBC should have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. I don't get it. I'm assuming it's just oh. someone being lazy. But you know what? I, 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 it makes sense in a way because you watch ESPN and some of these other networks. 
instead of going to their library to oh, find when they stuff do it with their own stuff i never they get. show youtube clips i'm like what it happens way too much or something especially on sports telecast i mean why are you are you that fucking lazy that you you try to find them on youtube and then use that version you know if the, if it's something that they own and it's a company we know has a vast archive, then yes, it's ridiculous. Yeah, ESPN should have all their stuff, I would think. I mean, ESPN Classic used to be on a thing, and that, I mean, they showed stuff for, forever and ever, ever on there. Yeah. So I would think, I mean, it's just, why, why are you resorting to YouTube where it had shitty quality to do that? So, it's yes. insane. Well, so like, I not like I've not seen every thirty for thirty. There are a lot I haven't seen, but I think of something like June seventeenth, nineteen ninety-four. I know not all of the like raw footage and stuff they had was from ESPN, but some of it was, and right. Well, the thing, yeah, I mean, with thirty for thirty is different. I mean, a doc, a documentary, I think, is is kind of different. You just mean on like day to day ESPN desk? Well, live. Telecast, no, telecast of games if they go do a flashback or something. Oh, you know? really? What? Absolutely, yes. That's ridiculous. Okay. Absolutely, yes. College football especially. Mm-hmm. But either way, oh, I back. don't understand the whole archive thing there. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it. I know plenty of people who would love to see it. It's, it's kind of a holy grail because it's so weird. How did he get Doc on here? Why did Doc say he's wrestling the Hulkster? Yeah, I know. Well, the show was largely called a major fiasco, almost no finishes. Every match builds a title match, and generally poor work rate. Well, almost every match, and other th all but one of those title matches actually had belt physical belts for them. <laughs> of course. Dan Spivey opened winning the America's title from Johnny Ace, even though Tito Santana was listed in the program as a champion. Other than those shows of name value were Jim Duggan and Hercules Hernandez. When Ace's manager, Missy Hyatt, turned on him and left with Spivey in one of the few decent matches. Yes, and also on uh, Sports Channel New York, the show began, like, in the middle of this match because hockey ran late. Yeah, so you never saw that video that we played earlier. Not until recently, no. Yeah. And um, also, I realized they do, when they come back from the first break, Herb and Blackjack are in the ring, so let's check that out real quick. You forgot the other mic, Herb. Legendary star from the Howard Stern Show and from the legendary Alan and Rossi. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest celebrity ring announcer tonight. Let's have a friend report for Steve Legendary Rossi. Gotcha. And now he, someone else needs to give him another mic. Yeah, and tonight. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Tallis and Gianelli do not know that the old adage, dead Mike may be a live Mike. Oh, my the God. The Universal Wrestling Federation and Mr. Electricity, Dr. Herb Abrams. What? Also Dr. known as Yellowbird. <laughs> present Blackjack Brawl 1. Tonight's matches are sanctioned and supervised by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, the Honorable Mr. Chuck Sledge at ringside. The doctor in attendance at ringside is Mark Goodman. The oh, referees for tonight's contest are Jessio Hernandez, Jessio? Dominic 
Nastasio, Harley Hogg, and Pete Enriquez. Harley Hogg! Tonight, we present 11 championship matches. <laughs> Our first match is for the American Championship, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> okay. And by the way, for the record, uh, Herb had to pay $200 for Margaret Goodman's services on that evening. I'm sure he did. Oh, I'm surprised. Oh, I'm sure Flip Hamaski costs more. So is 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 uh, Chuck Sledge one of the commissioners? Uh, yes. At that time? Oh, right? yes. Oh, yes. So Ratner would be the executive director at the time, right? Uh, yes. So he's not there. Oh, no. Well, I, I'm trying to think if he's the athletic director at that time or not. Um, let me see. Because he, he was in there, but I don't know if he was always the, let's see, he was the uh, chief inspector, then became executive director in 92. Okay, there we go. Because there was somebody else who was the executive director. Oh, okay, and I just found, I have a letter from Mark Ratner to the MGM Grand asking for comps. Um, okay, so, okay, wait a second. So this is, here's, here's what the letter says. It says to provide that, well, wait, it says 14 second row ringside tickets and 24 tickets of another denomination for the upcoming wrestling event on September 23rd, 1994. Tickets will be used by the commission members and the staff. Uh, remember, there also needs to be three front row tickets for the doctors and the chief inspector to sit during the event. I'm trying to understand why they are, be, why they need to be given regular tickets if they need to be inside the rail and everything. That's know. weird. Uh, and cl close the list of the gold card holders, which is capitalized. These people are entitled to receive two complimentary tickets to the fight. So is he Shut just me. working Shut with yeah. with the with the with the hotel and telling them who to like hire much. or whatever? Chuck Minker, that's the guy you replaced. Ah, there we go. That's the name from the past. You said I'm used to. I used to, I mean, I used to watch so much boxing back then, and in, in those days, I could pretty much uh, tell you the, every member of the damn athletic commission <laughs> from the bottom back in those days. Well, yeah. Doctor Margaret Goodman was controversial because she would always stop fights early, then earlier than other than other doctors would, and the boxers did not like her. Overcuts, or she would step in for other stuff too. Cuts, cuts, mm -hmm. man. Oh, they did not like her. Oh, no. And probably had a fat dude. She's a woman, too. But anyway. Yeah. All right, Jack Armstrong beat Mondo Guerrero for the junior title. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to have to watch this clip, but go ahead. Sunny Beach beat Dr. Feelgood, Al Burke, for the TV title. When the uh, the ether finish backfired, and Missy High had also managed Dr. Feelgood. Bix is searching this one out. Why is she managing another heel when she wasn't going to be a heel? Or a, <laughs> I, was this announced? Who knows? Okay. Um, <laughs> now, we need to... We watched this on the Patreon show, but we have to watch this again. So, first, uh, Wild Man Jack Armstrong comes to the ring to Van Halen's right now, and then Mondo comes out, and... It looks like Dave Allen Coe. As you'll see, I think Herb might have grabbed the wrong cassette. And now let's get rocking and rolling, everybody! Oh yeah, who's the bald guy that's walking to the ring with everyone? Just security, or...? Yeah, probably. 
I love how just the intro of right now is his entrance music. Doesn't really work. <laughs> also, I need to know which. Oh wait, Mondo was first. I'm sorry. Why did yeah. I get it wrong? Okay. Um, I w I need to know which referee that is. By the way, the one with the ponytail. Gotta be Harley Hall. Mexico City, Mexico. Mundo Guerrero! Mundo Guerrero at a height of 5'9", 205 pounds of dynamite! Let Sorry, me hear from Mundo Guerrero, ladies and gentlemen! Rico! Nope. Mundo! Grande! <laughs> Taco! <laughs> The best part is Mondo noticing. <laughs> and you can see, literally, you can see him rolling his eyes at one point. Okay. Somebody pulled a rib. <laughs> I don't know if that's a rib. I mean, it's a Herb Abram show. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> so we get Weird Al's parody instead of the actual song. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and yes, people listen uh, to the or the UWF shows <laughs> to hear Chris's original reaction to this too. <laughs> oh man! So we have. Oh wait, wait, wait. yeah, we have to hear Jack's promo. Enjoy the watch. wonderful Jewish energy here between Herb Abrams <laughs> and Lenny Ornstein. Junior heavyweight champion of the world. No belt, by the way. Jack Wildman Armstrong. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner and new junior heavyweight champion. Look at how of the tall the guy in the boat in the tuxedo is. Too. Champion, but I'm glad he got yeah. busted up. So you, you Herb Abrams, are a sick bastard. You know that. I have to give credit where credit is due. He was much tougher than I thought. He split my <laughs> head open. But remember one thing. I'm a thinker, not a stinker. Thinker. <laughs> How about okay. it, yes, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> I'll send this back to my colleague, Carlo Gianelli. All right. Thank you, Herb Abrams. And Herb Did you see Herb give it, giving Steve Rossi the Iggy there? Yes! <laughs> Elbowing him on camera. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, so. Oh, we oh wait, have, well, uh... no, oh wait, we need to see an ad with Sunny Beach. Okay. Because that's the thing, too. I think this one was not on YouTube when we did the Patreon show. So it was no. missing, like, the t shirt and hotline ads and MGM Grand ads and stuff. Yeah, this was put up in March 2020, so it's after. Yeah. Start! Oh, it's put up by the guy who did the hard book, Jonathan Plotman. Well, there we go. Which just came out, no Kindle version yet, though. So I'm I'm waiting for now. Just buy the book. And, uh, we have many exciting oh, matches yet to come here from the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Herb Look at all of the empty seats. And so far, the two champions tonight. Now that they you do Armstrong the and Spivey, if not, please, Mr. Abrams. Okay, we'll be right back, so don't go away. Yeah, because they ain't got no bell. Blackjack Brawl 1. 
from the MGM Grand Garden Arena. It's Carlo Gianelli saying, come on back soon. Oh, he's We've just talking over the Sunny Beach thing. Coming up. Let me tell you something. Sunny Beach, the man with the most from coast to coast, just flew in from Jacksonville, Florida, to come take care of business, Dr. Feelgood. You're going to come ride the wave tonight, baby. Welcome to the Redneck Choice Awards, brought to you by Showtime. You might be a redneck oh. if starring Jeff Foxworthy, and here's Bud Lightman. Hey, folks, you're right. in. Oh, my God. All right, so anyway, Sunny Beach, we got the feel-good for the TV title. When the eats are finished, backfired. Missy managed feel good. Then we oh, have Bob Orton. a lab coat, by the way. <laughs> of course. Bob Orton beat the, uh, and finished Hellraiser Thor. Ludwig Borg went to WDQ in a match where Bob Orton was busted open hard way. The worst... Yes, the worst was and a by the women's. Way, we should note, by the way, his name is Finland quote Hellraiser Thor, and this was for the Southern States title. Yes, not Bo's promotion. No, the worst was a women's match where Candy Devine beat former Glow Girl Tina Moretti. Yes, Ivory. I guess for the ladies' championship. Yes. Shouldn't we? Hear, oh, wait, no, no. I wait. I went too far. <laughs> I was going to say, shouldn't we hear how Steve Rossi introduces... Oh, wait. Wait, did he skip the midget title? Because I think... Hold on. Dave skipped it. It's on the results. Or does... Is it... Because he mentions it later, though. Yeah. When he misquotes Herb. So, oh, wait, we've got a t-shirt ad with Malicious and Vicious. All right. Which is his name on this show. <laughs> As you can see in this graphic. Yes. The Universal Wrestling Federation. Tyler Mayne. Some of the finest merchandise and in Dr. the world. Feel good. Dr. Feelgood, what do you think, huh? What do you think, They're Doctor? Sued. This is oh the best God. stop. The this is the best stop ever. Whoa. 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 It's hey. the business. No, nothing. They're walking around here hey, trying to find the MGM Grand. The building must fall in the Sit, sit, sit. You're at it. Come here. I'm falling in. Did you hear me in here, Carlo, in the background? Yeah, there, yes, yes. Oh, my God. It's the this... same, my friend, of getting an autographed baseball from Nolan Wyatt. You've got Steve the Wild Thing Ray talking to you about the finest wrestlers and the finest products sold in professional wrestling oh, today. We have baseball caps, t-shirts, blackjack ball posters, and lots more at 310-288-1632. Oh, my God. All right, so the you killer beat... how watching the show feels like you're being attacked with cocaine? <laughs> yeah. So the killer bees reunited here. Brian Blair and Jim Brunzel to beat the warlord. It was something to start with WCW on October the 9th, although nobody in WCW has confirmed that, and that's not true. And Power Warrior, Larry of the Power Twins, it was built as the Powers of Pain. The new Powers of Pain, yes. Yeah, and we also had the Midgets match, Bix, which was uh, Little Tokyo and who? Was it Chris Dube? Karate Kid? I don't remember. Yeah, it's Karate Kid. A stop to the forehead. Look at him, see? Oh, the yeah, fans are loving this one, John. Oh, okay, so anyway. let me. So I should go to the infamous post-match interview, right? Yes. Okay. Little Tokyo, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, the first time in wrestling history, 
World Midget <laughs> Champion, Little yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. What do you I'm have Captain to say? Sasaki? Oh, Sasaki. Sasaki. Yeah. No. Drink sake tonight. We, uh, we drink sake tonight. That's yeah, preparation, right? You say, Kampai? Kampai, yes. I say, How do you know Kampai? How do I know Kampai? Yeah. I used to be married to a Japanese girl. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I love how he went like half off mic. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations, little Tokyo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shall we say what Dave said he said? Uh, yes. Hold on. Is that because that's that's later on, right? Uh, yes, yeah. I found it. But I'll should we just say it? Yes. While interviewing Midget Little Tokyo, started talking about drinking sake and said he knew about sake because he was married to a Jap once. <laughs> but he doesn't say he that. Say, he doesn't say Jap. In fairness, Dave <laughs> like, did not see the show yet, but still. Yes. He doesn't say anything <laughs> offensive. No. He really doesn't. The, 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 the actual best part is how little... Well, besides the fact that it's genuinely shocking that Little Tokyo can still barely speak English. <laughs> yeah. Is that he seems genuinely surprised that Herb knows the, knows the word kampai. Yeah. And he just completely gets thrown off from doing the interview and is like, how do you know kampai? <laughs> like is again like half off the mic yeah it's just, what alright <laughs> so then we have Cactus Jack and Jimmy Snooker going to double count out in a lumberjack match yes. how can you have a count in a lumberjack match is another question Dave asks a decent match due to Cactus is outside the ring's antics and then the main saw Dr. Dev Steve be Sid Vicious by DQ the ref's hand actually came down for three or four spies at the ring for the interference, but they announced the DQ finish anyway. Match is decent. Okay, do we All want right, to see the end of Cactus Snooker or nah? Nah. Okay, but we do want to see the, the post-match, or I'd say the finish and maybe then skip to the post-match of the main event. But, yes. All right, so go here, I guess. Yeah. There's two of them up there. They're both on top of the ring. They're both on top of the ring. Sid looks deathly afraid of whatever Doc is about to do. It just backdropped them. Let's say well, more John of a water wheel drop off the second row. Dr. Bomb time. Williams getting the best of vision now. It could be. Oh, who's this? Daddy Spidey. The ref actually counted three before Spidey came in. What a double cross this is. He's rejoined Sid Vicious. Spivey! Spivey now, I guess, Spivey, Spivey, where does he come from? And there's the bell. And here comes Fisher. They're both gaming up. They're both ganging up on Williams. What a night of wrestling. Oh, what a surprise this has been. The world's heavyweight champion. Look at this. Going for the double oh, now, man. Oh, oh, better pair of them they did trouble. this job, guys. Danny Spivey. <laughs> What a match! What's that Spivey doing? Oh, here? what is this? And here comes. They're trying to now protect Steve Williams, <sighs> who is the UWF champion, who is sprawled out in the middle of the ring. Oh my God! Did you see Herb just now? <laughs> Literally jumping up and down on hard cam at ringside for no apparent reason. Yeah, I missed that. Go okay, back. Wait, let me. It's hard to run a long video. I'm watching the timestamp on the script carefully. Okay. 
serious trouble. Look, concentrate like in the upper right Spivey. quadrant of the of the Williams, who is the UWF champion, who is sprawled out in the middle of the ring. <laughs> he pounds the mic on the mat. I can't believe this. The matter with a Spivey. The winner. Crazy. By disqualification. Spivey was supporting Steve Williams Ladies the other day. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't Dr. Death. Beat the Hulk, Amazing story here tonight. You can't trust Spivey. Give me a mic. You can't trust anybody anymore. You can't trust anybody. I can't believe it. What the an outrage. Just Spivey hates vicious. He needs medical attention, ladies and gentlemen. Then he double-crosses Dr. Beck tonight. Then he goes on vicious side. They're all jealous, that's what it is. Because Williams is a great champion. A great world cha world champion. And they're jealous of him. That's what it is. He needs help. And it's really a shame because the UWF title holder... Steve Williams has been such a great champion is now out in the center of the ring and it's going to have to be taken off by the Someone kind of a solemn jacket. way for this night to end John Thomas <laughs> Williams is in trouble Williams is getting up though he's getting up alright well we're going to be back here at Blackjack Brawl 1 to see what happens with Steve Williams don't go away we'll be back alright so we fast forward to after the break after an SFCA World Cup soccer stamps plus oh, wow. points. World Cup points. Oh, stamps and points. Station New York, New York. That's one eight hundred two four eight sixty four hundred. All right, now let's go up to Herb Abrams, who's standing in the ring with the championship belt and Steve Williams, and let's see how Doc Steve's is sitting doing. on the apron. Doc, Doc, we all saw the big double cross that your so-called friend. That son of a gun, Dan Spivey, he's done it once again. I know you're hurt. We're going to try and sign a rematch here. Are you willing to take on Steve, Sid Vicious Steve in a Bishop. steel cage? I'll tell you something, Herb Abrams. You're the promoter of the UWF here at the MGM. You get the contract written up before I leave this MGM. I'll sign that contract, and Danny Spivey, Sid Vicious, you haven't heard the last of the doctor. And I'll tell you what, Polly, I ain't a hard man Polly. to find, and I've got a great partner, Johnny Ace, to cover my back. I'll tell you something, you haven't heard the last of us. Winner and still world heavyweight wrestling champion, Steve Dutchess and Williams. I turn it over to Carlo Gianelli. All right, thank you, Herb Abrams. Well, there you heard it, John Tolis from Dr. Best, Seth, Steve Williams. Dr. Best. There may be a steel cage match All in the right. future. We'll find okay, out. Okay, now there's also now we're a, take a break. another merch ad. Without a question, it's the best. UWF, and if you want to talk to me, or you want to talk to the big man, it's easy. All you do is pick up your phone, dial 1-900-484-4-UWF. Call us. Maybe there's something that's safe to you. 1-900-484-4UWF. You want to talk to the best okay, wrestler? Whatever. Um, and then, looks like there's a Sid... Yeah, there's. I completely forgot there's a Sid and Spivey promo. I don't yeah. know if that's on the version... I don't... We had the we had the Doc thing. I don't even remember this. Uh, I don't either. 
I don't remember this existing. What? Did that fan just say, I'm going to fuck your mom? <laughs> Possible. It sounded like that, right? Yeah, I guess. A great world championship match this was here tonight. And I have to tell you, Daddy Spivey, once again, you are the fiend, you are the scoundrel, and you, St. Richard, are just a devil crossing dog! <laughs> Did you just call him a double crossing god? Dog. Oh, dog. Okay, yeah, I definitely don't remember seeing this. <laughs> and also, uh, Herb, you are so high on coke that you forgot which one is the double crosser. <laughs> you know, I thought tonight when I saw this man, it was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life with this goofy jacket. Yeah, but you, Steve <laughs> William. To beat the cake, knowing that my mentor, the man who has taught me everything, was in the building the same night that I was to meet you. Let me tell you something, Sid Vicious. You and your hired assassin are nothing but a couple of double-crossing, yellow fist-jumping rats. I saw what you had to do, and I don't think that Steve Williams you've heard the last of probably be in the parking lot when he gets out of the hospital and i'm going to tell you something steve i'm with you brother hey that's enough you know i like how herb is now surrounded by these four incredibly tall men after all the years that you see every dirty book trick is you're ever using a book i've learned from you brother and you know that morgan me you go back way back some people change, Daddy. Some people change. Right. And you change. Right. You know, some people change. Steve Williams still has the belt. Steve Williams still has the belt. I have it long. Because either Sid or myself will get the belt. And that's all we got to say. The monsters and the paragons, the skyscrapers are back. Well, Herb, you can see right now. I'm they plotted this thing from the very beginning. Because... <laughs> they got the fucking snipers. They tried to pull the wool over our eyes. Obviously. They cut him up again. Well, John told us, there you have it. Quite an ending to tonight's Blackjack Brawl 1. It was an incredible night of, uh, of wrestling action I'll here at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Your thoughts to summarize the evening. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been in the wrestling profession for five decades, and never in my life have I seen matches like this tonight. <laughs> okay, do we end on that, or we do, do we see what else he yes. does? We end on that. Oh my god! You, got, you gotta find the other clip because we haven't played. The, we haven't played the you know the go-to clip yet because we haven't talked about it yet. But we gotta play the. Clip. Well, there's no clip of that. That was during a break. Oh, okay. That's, that's right. Yeah, there wasn't. A, yeah. All right. So here's Dave. I don't think that we've heard such a unanimous response to how pathetic a show was, with the exception of the 1991 Baltimore Bash and 92 Halloween Havoc, as the Herb Abrams fiasco on September 23rd. The difference is people went to the Abrams show with low expectations. Anyway, don't expect Abrams to be running anymore in Las Vegas. But he's telling people he's back in the game. By the way, Kurt Henning was in Las Vegas and scheduled to do an interview on the show. Since his WF contract hasn't expired yet, Dave suspects that Abrams figured out he could be sued if he put Henning on television. That's why it didn't happen. Among Abrams' class remarks were at one point out of nowhere, screaming over the house PA system. 
Let's hear it for the Jews. And another time, we'll interview Midget Little Tokyo. Again, the whole thing there. Many wrestlers that worked the show got rubber checks, some of which came up rubber the second time they went through as well. They've been assured it was some sort of a clerical error or something. Oh, this wouldn't be the first time this has happened on the Abrams show. The rule of thumb working indies is beware and negotiate with both eyes open. But the rule goes double with promoters that already have a track record. All right. We addressed this some on the Patreon show. We have to hear again. We get some insight into this into in the commission file. Um, we're not going to read the letters, but Marty Yesberg, who you all saw on the Dark Side episode, Colonel Red, he had written a letter to, I think, the commission in the MGM Grand warning them about all the people Herb owed money to. Herb said an unhinged letter back, which you can see on our Twitter as well, with me doing Herb and nearly destroying my throat, and according to some listeners, sounding like Dr. Marvin Monroe from The Simpsons in the process. <laughs> and, but it's I don't know if this is a requirement they asked of him in light of this or what, but now I have to scroll back up, actually, because since these were closer to the beginning, um, the file purports to include signed statements from everyone claiming to have been paid in full in advance. But there are some problems with these, okay? Um, there's one particularly obvious. Some of these are crossed out, so it's not easy. Let me because I think there were more than one. Uh, Steve Rossi's. Might have actually been signed, but it was misspelled and had to be crossed out because it spelled it with a Y. Um, but the the big oh, <laughs> I think I know now maybe why uh, Jesse Hernandez's name was said wrong because initially on his thing it was typed out as Jeffy Hernandez, or was crossed out. Chris Dube is Chris Dubey. Um, Terry Sosinski, the warlord, was Terry Shapin Excuse me. Shapinsky. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the Power Twins, instead of Sontag, were Santos. Some of these, it looks like the wrestlers actually signed because they fixed it. But the big one um, that does not get fixed. Well, Tony Holm is Tony Helm. Alberk <laughs> um, is Alberk. Candy Devine's Candy Devine. Oh, we didn't play the clip of Steve Rossi calling her Candy Devine. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. Okay. I, I don't remember noticing this before. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't forget this. So some of these came after the sh So some of these, I guess, are real, maybe. Because here's Ivory's, okay? Oh, wait, I went too far. Okay. I'll tell you which parts are handwritten, okay? I, Lisa Moretti, a.k.a. Tina Moretti, confirm that I have I have handwritten not been paid in full by Universal Wrestling Federation in connection with the Blackjack Brawl, in, in which I will participate in on Friday, September 24th at the MGM Hotel. Um, oh, and this is as of 7 p.m. on the 23rd, the night of the show. And she signed it, and she also wrote... And what did she initial this or something? Yeah, I do not hold MGM Grand, or excuse me, MGM Hotel responsible. <laughs> so some of these, I guess, are real, but the, also the fact that it's a, it, it's in a future tense. These are clearly supposed to be all before. Uh, Cactus Jack is Mike Foley, which I mean is close. John Tolis is spelled correctly. Uh, 
Jimmy Snuka, for some reason, they just crossed out an extra one that said Sunny Beach. Uh, Daryl. Okay. I think they misspelled uh, Tyler May and Daryl Carolet's name, too, because it's here he's Carolot. Uh, Bob Orton is Bor Orton. <laughs> B-O-R. Uh, let's see. Brian Blair's crack. But of course, the best one, which I suspect may not have actually been. Oh, wait a second. So, so these were faxed on the 19th, too. So this is late, I guess, coming from Herb's lawyers. But the big one is Johnny Ace being called Johnny Linganicious <laughs> instead of Laurenitis. They spelled Udy correctly. They spelled Williams correctly. Um, on uh, what you would call it, on Jack Armstrong's, he crossed out both places where it said Lenny Solomon to write Jack Armstrong. So now it says I, Jack Armstrong, a.k.a. Jack Armstrong. And Mondo Guerrero is Mondo with an O, Guerrero with an A. So yeah. some of these are real, but I'm not convinced that they all are. Yeah. I think that's fair, right? Yeah, but... And this, of course, is Herb's last show. Sadly. How We just gotta say, before we close this segment, how does he get this thing not only on TV, but live as a three-plus-hour special on every sports channel affiliate? He was a hustler, man. Yeah. What can you say? He's a hustler. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, he was. All right, let's close that with the World Wrestling Federation. Not a whole lot going on during this week. We start with the Pro Wrestling Torch. The new Sunday show that's replacing All-American is called The Action Zone, which is meant to counter the talk format of the Fox NFL's pregame show. And as we just talked about this last year, and then it becomes a show that's patterned after the Fox NFL pregame show. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about this on the show. WDF, yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. And of All course, it ends up being its challenge plus a bonus match that airs only on Action Zone and different commentary, which I always wonder how they timed that out. I guess it's just not having the local promos and stuff, right? Yeah, I guess so. Also, Torch. All indications of the syndication network took a beating when many markers jumping on moving on the time slots to late night. Partially due to the Fox Field carrying football and old wrestling time slots, which we yeah. talked about earlier. Yes, so did not go well for them. No. Three weeks of Raw was taped on September 26th in Utica, New York. On the live show, Razor Monk kept the Intercontinental title with the talk, was counted out fighting with Lex Luger. And a challenge was made for a match with Davey Boy, Neon Sign, quote unquote Smith, against Jim Neidhart for next week. Neon Sign meaning steroids. Well, you saw what he, he looked like out. at SummerSlam. He, he stuck out, didn't he, in his promotion this time? Uh, yes, he did. All right, so Torch has the Raw rundown. Program opened with a promo for the TV main event, Tatanka and Razor Ramon. After Vince and Randy opened the show, the match began. Tatanka took early advantage of shots. Ramon took, quickly took over offense to close like sock over the top rope. After some back and forth action, Tatanka locked Razor in a dominant stretch in 11 minutes. Razor made a comeback, executed a second rope, built it back. After showing for the Razor's edge, DiBiase distracted Razor. Razor chased DiBiase and ringside was here from behind by Tatanka. Lex Luger then approached the ring but was jumped by Bam Bam Bigelow. Tatanka and Bam Bam beat on Luger until Razor made the save. Paul Bear and Undertaker going to promo for their matches against Undertaker on the Heart Attack Tour. Now Quang won a squash. Jerry Lawler hosted the King's Court with guest British Bulldog. 
after a series of jokes by Lawler. Bulldog spoke one line. Then Jim Neidhart interfered and uh, challenged Bulldog to a match next week. Bulldog accepted. Bob Acklin's anger from last week was replayed. That's the uh, choking out of the uh, WF Magazine guy. Louis which we played on yes. played last week. Last Great year. angle. Great angle. Yeah. One, two, three, give one squash during which Backlund approached the ring and presented Savage with a gift, a dictionary, so you can look up big words that Backlund uses. Then we got a promo of Aaron for King Kong Bundy. We'll play that later in the Superstars section. The Diesel and Sean won a squash match. During the match, Vince mentioned that Samu had been a no-show recently and wondered if Diesel and Sean had something to do with it. Fatu and the former Barbarian, new head shrinker Sione, more on that in a minute later, attacked Diesel and Sean. Lou Albano said Samu got a Samoan disease from eating raw fish, and if he's scared, he'd bring him back. Michael's held back Diesel to show one off the air. Okay, so... Samoan disease. I believe those are his, his actual words there. Of yeah. some kind. Um, it's Albano. It's also, it's he does an amazing job of being Albano and just completely rambling the promo in a way you can barely tell what he's saying. Yes. Like, he just, it's like, blah, 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 blah. this is Sione, the cousin. This is Sione, the cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they end up, you know, so they're teasing that Samu might be back, I guess, because they have that one syndication match in the can with him, right? Yeah. And during that match on commentary, that. they ask, like, the head shrinkers are now not champions, but doing a free birds rules type thing. But no, because yeah. Samu just leaves. Mm-hmm. He's just gone. Yeah. The first Luka Tatanka match, which they believe was a dart match, saw Tatanka civil walk out and lose by count out. No dart match had Brett versus Backlund for their first title match. Advertises Brett versus Anvil, but they switched it live. Which the board is not good with no heat, but Brett won with a cradle. Backlund still wrestles scientifically, but tries to get heat getting fans mad. It doesn't seem to go over, even though people seem to be into the angles he's done on television. Diesel signed autographs at the grocery store in Utica the day for the Raw tapings. Usually, Babyfaces have played that role in the past. Well, they're getting him ready, Wade. They're getting him ready. And Shane McMahon was at the tapings, as Wade said. Uh, Vince's 24-year-old son working by his father's side, queuing commercial breaks and keeping fans under control around the announcing table. And I don't know if it's this taping, but in the WWE Network documentary that I, I guess it's about Shane, right? Yes. They show clips of Shane doing this. Mm-hmm. And Vince kind of lightly ribbing him. You know, he's doing for a while. Headset. Yeah. Yeah. Notice for the TV tapings the next day in Poughkeepsie. Superstar tapings are larger than Bob Backlund show. Backlund made fun of Shawn Michaels saying he was against the new generation. Later he did the chicken wing on Arnold Scola and went break the hole because he's mad at Scola and throwing the towel in 1983 until Bob Holly made the save. Backlund, Backlund later used the hole to be Holly in three minutes in a squash. After Yokozuna squashed, they played the Undertaker's music. Yokozuna freaked out, ran away, tripped, and fell down. Does this entire Yokozuna Undertaker angle seem like deja vu from last winter? Yes, it does. A lot of the same shit. Lawler and Doink could use their midget partners for Survivor Series. And then we go to White Plains, the 28th for the challenge and action zone tapings. They take three action zone matches, all of which would have been great. Where, yes, Michaels and Diesel kept the tag titles being Razor and 1-2-3 Kid. Bret Hart pinning Owen Hart to retain the title. And after the match, Backlund challenged Bret. And then Michaels, Diesel, and Tatanka beat Lex Luger and the Smoking Guns when Diesel, Jet, and Billy Gunn, and Michaels pinned him. Yeah, those were good action zone matches, I would say. Especially the first two. Well, and especially the tag. Yes. That is... 
whatever you want to say about the click, boy, did they clearly love working with each other. Oh, yeah. They went up there and just fucking went balls to the wall. Especially in 94. Yes. Think of all the good to great matches and how like how much better they look against each other. Think about how good the Razor Diesel matches are. Yeah. You know, the Razor Sean Raw match, which is one of the you know greatest matches in the history of WWF television. Well, they got reason to be motivated. Yeah. You know, they're playing they're going against their friends. Mm-hmm. King Kong Bunny continued to do the five-second pin gimmick. Undertaker wrestled Jerry Lawler in a casket match between with Paul Bear shining the life in the urn in Lawler's eyes, causing him to lose. Yeah. By the way, I just realized something, you know, when you were talking about some of the Backlund skull and stuff. Want to hear something that's going to absolutely scare you and make you feel old? What? More time has passed since Daniel Bryan choking Justin Roberts with his tie than had passed between Backlund losing the title to Sheik in this. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. This isn't at 11 years yet, and that was 11 years this past June. Yeah. I know. But so much changed, you know, in that ten in that eleven years. Which is why it feels like longer, besides also just different age stuff. Yeah. Alright, the Heart Attack Tour. Sacramento on September twenty third drew three thousand fans as one two three kid and Bob Holly beat well done. Abe Knuckleball Schwartz beat Luis Spagoli. Razor Mono of Owen Hart retained the IC title. Shawn Michaels and Diesel over the head shrinkers. And Lunger Blaze over Bull Nakano, Brett. Hard over the anvil and Undertaker over Yokozuna. Okay, Wade's so, got all the names here too, by the way. Yes, he's doing the the the, the, Dave, the Dave pay-per-view thing. Um, oh, so Samu's still wrestling here though. Early well, the weekend. This yes. Okay, that's yes. interesting. So when do they make this decision? When were these no-shows? Well, you're about to find out. On okay. September 24th, man, in front of 8,000 fans, Bob Holly over Stephen Dunn, Abe over Spicoli, Razor over Owen, Michaels and Diesel over Fatu and the One Two Three Kid. Well, there you go. So they they were back home in the Bay Area, and then he just he didn't leave. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? Interesting, isn't it? A lunch of blaze over Volnakano, Brett over Anvil, and Undertaker of Yoko. Then they, this crew went from Anaheim to Boston. Well, no, wait, Sam, who's not from the Bay Area, though? Well, that's like, I mean, that's Samoan, one of the Samoan home bases, though, you no, know? it is, it is, but I don't think he's ever lived there. I think he's, I think pretty much he's been in Pennsylvania the last however many decades. Well, yeah, but still, it's Samoan home base. Yeah. All right, Boston. They, so they went from Anaheim to Boston. That, that was quite the trip. 5,000 fans at the Garden. Not good. Bob Holly over Stephen Dunn. Abe over Jim Powers. You look good, Jim. Speaking of neon signs at this time. Owen over Razor by Countout, Michael Zadiz over Fatu and the Kid, Blaze over Nakano, Brett over Amble, Undertaker over Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. Now, at that Anaheim show, there was a fan with a WWF knee Sabu sign, which caused a small Sabu chant during early matches until Jack Lanza came out and got rid of it. It's a house show. <laughs> Why are you bothering me? It's, it's WWF. Oh, my God. What? What are they doing? Okay, so my my actual big takeaway here is... For all the belly aching about WWF office people watch when worlds collide, and the only person they signed was seeing that Louis Spicoli had put on all this size, here he is working the West a West Coast swing just over a month before when worlds collide when he's a push AAA wrestler. 
Um, to me, it suggests that it isn't that they turned on when worlds collide and suddenly saw he was on steroids. <laughs> yeah. No one, no one remembered that he'd worked. Okay. Yeah. For more on that kind of thing, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Rom, the 25th did a 2.6. All America did a 1.5. And Mania, 1.1. Now, the Barbarian is playing the role. Then you had Trigger Torch has this. Legitimate reason for Samu's departure from Dead Shrinkers is remarkably similar to explanation on television. He stopped showing up for two or three consecutive dates and was fired or quit, whichever came first. He made the return if amends are made. Okay, so they genuinely thought, okay, maybe he might come back? Yeah, well, he did. Um, I guess. Not for a while. Alright, uh, Torch, also Warrior has been contacted about returning. No idea how likely or how far negotiations have gone. Hmm. Yeah. Jay Briscoe's been hired to work in a minor booking role behind the scenes. Which I think goes to something that people got kind of confused about. It's very rare that Jerry was, like, actively, like, office-office, and I don't think he ever lived in Connecticut. No. He, like, he told me this recently, like, that he had always told Vince, you're not getting me... To move to Connecticut. He always stayed in Florida. Right. That's why for At the years business. he was either road agent or, you know, he was still, it was stuff that didn't require him moving. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, real quick before we move on to the clips, um, just for comparison, just to get an idea of how that compares to things now, Raw was the highest rated of the cable wrestling shows of the weekend. Um, 1.62 million homes, so probably in the range of a little under 2.6 million viewers. So, I don't know, kind of interesting when you look at it compared to now. Still more, but not close to as big as it would get even the following year. WF announced Todd Pettengill is a full-time radio air personality in New York City on WPLJ1, Billboard Magazine's Major Market Radio Personality of the Year Award, along with his sidekick, Scott Shannon. Huh. Which I'm sure Scott Shannon loved being called a sidekick of Todd Pettengill. <laughs> I but doubt it's that had been around. Board. Yeah, Scott Shannon had been around for years before Todd. Yes, Lawler <laughs> listened to him as a teenager in Memphis. Yeah, so. Uh... Alright, clips. We got two clips. Uh, superstars on the 24th. Jerry Lawler is feuding with Doink, and uh, he's had enough of Dink and Dink's antics. So let's go to this clip, shall we? Mm. Remind me, by the way, I forgot to mention it, I think, that how interesting was it that on the UWF show earlier that uh, John Tolis was seemingly making a point of saying little people and little person at times in 1994? Yeah. Which, obviously I'm not them, but I've always found that choice strange because I've always, I just always felt like it sounded condescending. Yeah. If, they, if you know, if you're asking us to say that, fine, but I've, I, you, you get what I'm saying, though, right? Like, yeah. It sounds flippant. Like, more power to you, but. Front, nice reversal. I don't know, Wait a minute. Pink was just knocked down. Oh, I can't believe that. You know what? I, I'm going to go down there and see if, see if the little guy's all right. Let me get a closer look. Hey. Come on. Where do you think you're going? Jerry Lawler, where do you think you Where are you going? Wait a minute! Jerry Lawler 
worst feud. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. This was not a good era of WWF. No, at, at, le- at least Jared and Doink had a couple good angles. You know, the the Jared dresses as Doink and embarrasses Dink angle. Yeah, that's really good. You know, like there's something there with this. Yeah, but mm. this isn't. This is not good. This is a bit way too much. Just something that feels designed for Vince to go. Ha ha! Anything can happen at the moment. <laughs> Alright, so next we get an interesting vignette to introduce King Kong Bundy or reintroduce him to the fans. So let's go to this. Sure. Everybody remembers Hollywood's giant gorilla, King Kong. He was a fearsome creature which wreaked havoc and caused massive destruction. Now the competitors here in the World Wrestling Federation are shaking with fear because like Hollywood's giant gorilla, the awesome and destructive King Kong Bundy will be making his return to the WWF. Now there's no denying that King Kong Bundy is a huge man. However, we don't think that he is 80 feet tall. <laughs> oh yes <laughs> it's fine it's cute it's creative yeah there's this guy who never seen before on WWE television wearing a WF blazer doing like a fake WF update thing Sitting and then the live event news uh, desk yeah and then Bundy picks up the thing and he's standing like King Kong yeah, I, I guess so. Cartoony, which is that's the time we're in that era. So yeah, um, why do you think they brought him back at this time? Just because like God, he's big, but he's not on the gas. They just they were trying to look for anybody cartoony and that Mike could draw kids. Well, and also he had left of his own accord, so. Thing is, but, so, but he'd been wrestling again for a long time. Yeah, but he looked he looked older here than you when he left. He, he aged. Did. He aged. Well, and also I think it hurt him that he grew his eyebrows back. I mean that he didn't shave them for this run. He didn't yeah, there's like, that. As much like King Kong Bundy, he looked too different, and I think it kind of aged him too, even though he's still pretty young. Yeah, yeah. And to close out the show, and where are they now? The apartment. Elizabeth is now working at the department store in South Florida. Supposedly she never gets recognized and looks different enough that if a wrestling fan saw her, they wouldn't recognize her. So I guess from what we see a little over a year later, is that just referring to her hair? I guess. That she has the hairstyle she has when she comes back? Yeah, the blondish hair. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. But anyway. Yeah, which... I believe the story was that she actually sent word to Randy that she wanted to go back into wrestling, right? Um, I think that's the way it went. I'm not positive. That's how I remember. I think it's in, like, the obit. Yeah, because I think maybe even we might have talked about it when we did that. Um, but that, that that's what happened. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying also real quick to see if I can find the Pettingill thing in Billboard. I doubt, I doubt it, though. Yeah, it... Yeah, it looks like that's not here. Because I don't... There's no hits on Pro for anything with his name in magazines or trade publications between January 94 and August 95. So. Okay. Oh, well. 
All right. Well, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go way back to 1984. And we're going to pick up on a show a week that we last did on episode number 10. Yeah. We did a 1984 episode that early? Yes, we did with a good old Will, good helmet was on that show with us back then. So, yeah. You mean now the increasingly world famous good helmet now that all of his customers are showing up in all elite wrestling? Yes. All right. uh, So, we got all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, We got World Wrestling Federation where we'll have uh, all kinds of comings and goings at that time in, in 1984. Where we got that going on, including uh, George Scott getting more power behind the scenes. We'll talk about that. Shocking debuts at, at different places. And uh, interesting uh, anecdote about Bobby Heenan and his jump into the Roman Federation, so we'll have that. We got AWA getting on TSN in Canada, so we'll talk about that. We get uh, Martin Lawrence talking to Stella Mae French outside of her, uh, her uh, big rig. So we'll have that, plus we'll have the uh, aftermath of Chris Adams' heel turn and why that happened. We got Mid-South Wrestling, where uh, Butch Reed uh, finds out how how uh, tough the Master Lock is to get out of and gets put out of action. The Master Lock? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then we got uh, it's Master G, George Wells. I didn't realize that. I think I knew that. I just forgot. Yep. Yeah. And then we got Memphis, where, where we'll talk about uh, Dutch Mantel and Tommy Rich having some major problems as a tag team. We got comings and goings in all the different territories, including an interesting story in Georgia, where Thunderbolt uh, Patterson and Jim Wilson have their court case coming up, but Georgia State Commission is trying to uh, get their hooks into wrestling, so we'll talk about that. We got uh, Crockett and Dave's thoughts on that. We got Pro Wrestling USA making their television debut in New York. The very first purpose in USA. Joe, we'll yeah, talk about yeah, that. Yeah. But our big story of the week takes place in Japan. Japan will lead off the show as Ricky Choshu's army jumps to all Japan pro wrestling. And we have the full rundown of everything that happened there that was in the newsletters at the time. And there's a lot of interesting information here. So, uh, yeah, and we got all three promotions, All Japan, New Japan, and UWF starting new tours during our week. And craziness going on with all the promotions pissed off at each other. All that more next week with special guest making his long way to return to Between the Sheets, John McAdam. All that next week on Between the Sheets. I was thinking more, maybe more of a Japanese wrestling guest, but I'm intrigued. Well, John's not going to do the Japanese wrestling section, so there's that. But he'll do everything else. All right, so, yes, that'll be us for next week. All right, Bix, thanks as always for the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach Day of Georgia.
Patreon special edition episode number 59. I'm your host Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bixenspan. And basically we're going to talk about a topic that we touched on here and there on the Between the Sheets shows, but definitely not like this. And this is the perfect type of concept, this Patreon series, to do a show like this, as this is a... Goes through quite a few years here. This this uh in, this subject in particular. Yeah, pretty much. Let me look at the data. Last thing we have here. Yeah, over four years. Just over four <laughs> years. The show is uncom- encompassing. Yes, and probably could have went longer, but actually, yeah, I'm looking been... at it now. It's about four and a half from when it actually yeah, starts. But... Four four year, a little over four years from. No, excuse me. Five, uh, yeah, four. No, I'm doing it wrong. A little over three from what we used as the anniversary to peg it to over four and a half from when the notes start. Yeah, so uh, long drawn out stuff here, but uh, a very interesting subject as we're going to talk about Superstar Billy Graham versus the World Wrestling Federation, which seemed like it's been going on and off for 30 years. (laughs) <laughs> but we're only going to focus on these years in particular. Yes, and the reason we're going with August August is the anniversary to peg you to is that that's when he announces his lawsuit against the World Wrestling Federation. But we'll get to that later because he doesn't exactly file it right away. Yeah, but it starts back further than that. All right, now, week of July 15th, Arsenio Hall Show. July 16th, Hulk Hogan, during his uh, legendary interview with Arsenio Hall, talked about superstar Billy Graham and Bruno San Martino and uh, all the hubbub they've been drumming up about steroid usage. And, uh, yeah, he's got some stuff to get off his chest. So let's go to the Hulkster. Have you ever heard of this? I, I saw a guy on a program named Billy Graham, not the Reverend, but mm-hmm. a wrestler. What's up with him? Well, superstar Billy Graham, apparently, um, in the 70s, was one of the top wrestlers, one of the top draws. I was a big fan of his. And he just came out during all these drug trials and admitted steroid use and abuse. And basically, he's saying that these are all the reasons his body's falling apart. But basically, um, Basically. there have been several other wrestlers like Bruno San Martino, who 
didn't have any problem working with Billy Graham at the time. He's on steroids and putting all the money in his pocket that have completely turned into hypocrites and knocked Hulk Hogan and said Hulk Hogan's never seen the inside of a church, and I doubt if he even says his prayers. And there was, there's been all kind of allegations, but Billy Graham was a top draw during the 70s, and, and he apparently was a heavy-duty steroid abuser. Yeah. Um, before we say goodbye, um, I know you called me, and you wanted to come and and uh, straighten this thing out yes, and, 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 I and tell the you truth. Come out here. Yeah, would you like to say anything else to your hulkamaniacs? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, steroids, like cocaine and a lot of other hard drugs, or class three drugs, if that's what you want to call them, the federal government calls them, is a dead-end street. And basically, basically. Um, as far as kids trying to get into athletics, and this is the 90s, the era of the fitness, stay away from those type of drugs because basically they're all kind of side effects and adverse reactions. And from what I can tell you, I've got a wife and two kids, and I don't want to miss one second or do anything that's going to take one second away from my life to be with my wife and kids. And as far as these kids go, if you work hard, if you train 20 years like I do and start as soon as you can, I mean, you can get what you want out of your body. It just... It's a little more intense. You've got to be a little more uh, dedicated and be a leader. Don't be a follower because that's what this whole thing's all about. And that's what we're trying to bring to the, the front of the WWF and Hulk Hogan. We're a bunch of leaders, not a bunch of followers. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, uh, no, very quickly, and I have to ask you this question. Um, I was so... Okay, we don't need this. This is when Hogan gets flustered when he asks him what should happen to the doctor. But... We don't need to go further than that. Um, what an asshole. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, the, it's Hogan. We, I mean, this is what it was. And people ate it, you know, ate it all. You know, they, they didn't get any blowback from this from most people. So, you know. Yeah, it's what, it what, but it's what caused uh, Graham to go nuclear on Hogan, though. Well, yeah. Um, but. How many times do you think he said basically there? <laughs> uh, basically, about six, seven times, maybe. Basically. According to Steve Beverly, in the entire interview, he used it 22 times. Yeah. His go-to word, I guess. At John Rezzi's wrestling fans convention in New York over this past weekend, Graham was scheduled to donate his wrestling boots and a custom-made tie-dye tuxedo to an auction. He also donated a frame 11 by 14 inch personal autograph photo of Hulk Hogan himself, which he claimed was one of his prized possessions up until recently. Putting up for auction shows my real disdain for Hulk's appearance on the Arsenio Hall show. So in that photo was me, was me doing a symbolic way of showing that I'm washing my hands of him. When I saw the performance, it made, was like a piercing stab in the back. I can't get over that shit. How in the hell did Theodore Densmore think that that was gonna you know because it's the world for, wrestling federation chris well shit fucking uh eugene densmore would have probably been better attorney in that case well he is a wrestling savant <laughs> it well luckily they didn't have to worry about this spoiler alert <laughs> let's keep going and poor and and you could tell that billy was you know crushed by hogan doing that thing on Arsenio. But what did you expect? I mean, really, what did you fucking expect? Yeah. You expect that to go out there and, you know, put it all out there for everybody. Yeah, I, I'm, I, Billy's right. Yeah, so what we have next now is the separate Inside Edition story. Um, 
at first second, I got confused with the other one, but it is a separate one, which and airs sometime in October. I could not pin this down at all, but thankfully there's nothing directly surrounding it that we have here anyway. So let's move on to that now. And this in part addresses Graham's upsetness with the Arsenio interview. So we start with this clip here, which is, so I look at how I have a time this, a little under two minutes. The undisputed king of the ring is Hulk Hogan. Hero to thousands of Hulkamaniacs, as his young fans are called, the Hulkster preaches clean living, prayer, and vitamins as the keys to success. I'm the last great American hero since John Wayne died. Forget the baseball players. Forget the football players. Hulkamania is what tears Madison Square Garden in every major arena down around the country. But some of his former colleagues say that the gospel, according to Hulk Hogan, is not quite kosher. The kids are believing that if they take their vitamins and say their prayers, that they're going to grow up to be some super athlete. Well, I got news for you. You can take your vitamins and you can say your prayers, but you're never going to grow up to be 300 pounds with 24-inch arms unless you take steroids. Dave Schultz is a former professional wrestler with the World Wrestling Federation. So is superstar Billy Graham. They both watched the Arsenio Hall show last July when their old wrestling friend Hulk Hogan appeared and made this statement. But I've trained train 20 years, two hours a day to look like I do. But the things that I am not is I'm not a steroid abuser, mm -hmm. and I do not use steroids. But Hulk Hogan's but, former teammates have a very different story to tell about his past abuse of steroids. I myself personally have injected Hulk Hogan with anabolic steroids. I brought him into my home. I let him sleep in the house. I gave him food. And in return, he gave me steroids. He showed me how to use steroids. Any thoughts on what we just watched? Here's the thing about this stuff is no matter how much of this is probably correct and true, a lot of people would see these two guys as, as malcontents and they have an agenda and they're bitter. And that's why it, it, it needed somebody to be in this that didn't have something that had already happened that they come out and say, this is what's going on. Somebody who would have been perceived as someone who had maybe more credibility. You know, Schultz, you know, God knows, been all over the media forever. It says Stossel. And Graham, you know, Graham is Graham. But if there had been somebody else who, they, who could have come out and they could have pointed to them and said, you know, this, this person right here, they're not like that. They're no, they don't have an axe to grind against the World Wrestling Federation or whatever. I think that's what this whole controversy needed to mm -hmm. to get it to that next to that next level of public consciousness. You know? Yeah, I feel like it hurts Schultz at the time more than it does Graham. You know? I mean, it's it's just it's the same old song and dance. You know? The same old malcontent. So these guys, they're bitter because they can't get they can't get work. But they're also them. not going to say anything until they know they have no chance of getting a job anymore. How it always yeah. works. So that's wrestling. Yes. Well, let's go to the part where Graham and the Schultz two come back up, and that goes through the end of the segment, and then we'll talk about this more. That way. 
Billy Graham, World Wrestling Federation champion of 1977, is retired now. He suffers from devastating physical problems caused, he believes, by his years of steroid abuse. He wants people to see the price he paid for his moment in the wrestling spotlight. Billy, what is it that you want from all this? What is it that you want the Hulk to do? I want him to be honest. I want him to tell the American public because of the overwhelming evidence of testimonies like people like myself and the common knowledge of all wrestlers who know him for years. He's taken steroids from the late 70s through the whole decade of the 80s. You know, I want him to come clean. He owes it to his fans. You see, he owes it to the children of this country. And as you heard, superstar Billy Graham told us he wants to spread the word about the dangers of steroids. Is that He's now Blast? making appearances in schools so kids oh, can see for themselves um, how he has suffered because of his unhealthy pursuit Nancy of Nancy No, 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 no. That's Nancy O'Dell's on was Entertainment Tonight. But she was on, she I think she was on Inside Edition too. I, I before. know you're talking about that's though, Nancy yeah. that's, I think that's Nancy Glass. Let me look make okay. sure. Nancy Glass. Yes, Nancy Glass. Wow, that's a blast in the past. But uh here's the thing. Yeah. Especially at the end. Graham's right. In large part because someone who we thought was his friend used his name to lie and shit on him. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of everything like he said about Hogan so far, and the later stuff is a little dirtier, but I if it was honest, and I do believe it was, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Like up to this point, though, he really isn't—he really isn't shooting that many daggers, you know. Uh, well, Ho he wasn't until Hogan did Arsenio. And not the Hogan direct. He's not going that far yet. Yeah, no, not really. Schultz point, is. <laughs> Schultz is, but still, but but Graham, Graham just seems sad. Yeah, exactly. You know, and understandably so. To hear this entire show. Support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.